Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour with... The Mixed Martial Arts Hour back in your life on this Monday, January 23rd, 2017. Hello again, everyone. I'm Ariel Hawani back inside our New York City studio. Great to have you with us on another Monday afternoon. Much to discuss. A lot going on, as always. Got a very fun show planned for all of you. And, of course, we are coming off that uh, interesting Bellator 170 show Saturday night in Inglewood, California. By now, you probably know that Tito Ortiz, in what appears to be what we're being told is his final fight, submitted the returning Chael Sonnen in a little over two minutes' time. Have a lot to say about that fight, that show, the aftermath. A lot has happened since Saturday night, and um, we're going to talk about that at the top of the show. But let me quickly run down today's lineup and uh, then we can get to some uh, Bellator talk. I'm very excited about today's lineup. We've got an interesting uh, group of guests, and I know one in particular many people are very curious to hear from. At around 4 o'clock, we're going to be joined by Chris Weidman, the former UFC middleweight champion. It was announced on Thursday afternoon he's going to fight Gegard Mousasi at UFC 210 in Buffalo, New York. How about that? The UFC back in Buffalo and almost... What, it's been almost uh, two decades since they've been there. So, uh, Weidman Musasi, uh, this obviously debunks all the talk that he was turning down a fight against Musasi. We'll talk about that and um, why he chose this fight. I know some people were questioning the decision to go up against Musasi after the loss to Yoel Romero. So, much to discuss with Chris Weidman at uh, 4 o'clock. Around 3.05 or so, New York Rick and I will answer some questions, talk about the week that was, whatever is going on in the world of MMA. 2.45 in his first interview since leaving the UFC, since parting ways with the Ultimate Fighting Championship, the longtime broadcaster, play-by-play man of the UFC, the voice of the octagon, if you will, Mike Goldberg will stop by at 2.45, break his silence on what happened the reaction to the news, where he goes from here, and a whole lot more. Very excited to talk to Mike Goldberg and uh, very happy that he chose to come on this program to speak for the first time. 225, we're going to talk to Tyron Woodley, and it has been an interesting week for Tyron Woodley. He was on ESPN um, midweek and said some things that uh, maybe upset others, confused others, bothered some, and... I know he is a lightning rod right now. I know he's a very polarizing figure. I hope that you will listen to the interview with an open mind, an open heart. I hope that we 
can try to get some answers, can try to really figure out, as opposed to him just saying statements, try to really figure out why he's feeling the way he's feeling. And hopefully by the end of it, we'll have a better sense of it all. It was interesting. On Thursday's MMA Beat, we talked about some of Woodley's comments. And then I received this long letter um, from a fan telling me how wrong I was. And it was amazing because I actually said many of the points that he wrote in his email. And I've gotten this on Twitter as well. And I think that when sensitive topics are being discussed, in particular race, people don't listen. They have their ideas, they have their preconceived notions, and they don't listen. And uh, and hopefully this time you will listen. I mean, and I don't know what he's going to say. I know he's been teasing stuff. I have no idea about any of that, but hopefully we can get to the, the heart of the matter. Uh, 205, we're going to be joined by Sage Northcutt, who's been hanging out with Tyron Woodley for the past week, training partner of Woodley's. Um, he doesn't have a fight yet, but we haven't heard much from him since the loss to Mickey Gall. So I'm happy to talk to Sage Northcutt at 205, 145. We'll talk to Yair Rodriguez about his big win over BJ Penn, where he goes from here, etc. And 125, we'll talk to Tim Kennedy, who last Tuesday announced his retirement from mixed martial arts. A beautiful letter. If you have not read it, do check it out on his Facebook page. I thought it was it was wonderfully written. Okay, so that's the lineup for today. Want to start off by talking a bit about Bellator 170 and in particular the main event. As you know, Tito Ortiz submitted Chael Sonnen. Uh, as I said, Ortiz's last fight, Sonnen's first fight since November of 2013, and there's a lot to unpack here. My first thought right off the bat, I mean, I watched the show obviously, and you know, here comes Chael with this uh, entertaining intro. And I just thought to myself, you know, right from the moment his video package started to play, this is the perfect home for Chael Sonnen. They will play up his persona, his character. And, you know, Bellator is okay with skirting the line a little bit between entertainment and sport. They've proven that. And I'm okay with that to a degree. It just felt like, okay, Chael has found the perfect home. Nice, nice, uh, nice walkout, the stage, the ramp, all that stuff. Ortiz, the similar thing. And they have the national anthem, which we could talk about later, but I don't want to get into all that much right now. And then the fight happens. You notice right off the bat, this is not the Chael Sonnen of old. This is not the Chael Sonnen, you know, who's ripped, who's in the best shape possible. This is a, an older Chael Sonnen, a Chael Sonnen who hasn't fought in three years. And to me, he was noticeably out of shape. It did not look like the same Chael Sonnen. Of course, he tells us he's basically clean, so you can make your own, you know, assumptions there. But uh, let's not forget, Chael Sonnen has not, I, I don't think 205 has ever been the ideal weight class for Chael Sonnen, especially in the last few years. I know he had the win over Shogun Hua, but I, I, I've always felt that he's better off at 185. Has not fought in three years. He's been through a lot over the past, you know, few months as far as family is concerned. Chael Sonnen was coming in with, with a lot of baggage. Um, and so when I saw him, when I saw the physique, when it was noticeable that he looked different, I didn't think like, oh, Chelsea is going to lose this fight. But to me, it did stick out shortly thereafter. You know, he, he actually starts off pretty well. Reversal of fortunes, Ortiz, you know, is now in a dominant position, ends up submitting him with this sort of hybrid of a rear naked choke slash neck crank. And right away, I think to myself, wow, here we are six days removed from BJ Penn's loss to Yair Rodriguez. And it wasn't any kind of loss. We talked about it very much last week. It was a depressing loss. It was, you know, 
it was a fight that never should have been made. It was a fight that did not put BJ in the best position possible. And it was clear, and we said this on the beat on Thursday as well, you know, it's clear to me now, we didn't need this fight to tell us this, but it's, uh, it's clear now more than ever, especially coming off the BJ Penn situation, that if you are a legend, if you are an older fighter who's lost a step, who hasn't fought in a while, if you're looking to go out with some grace, with, you know, your faculties intact with a victory on a high note, it's probably a smarter move to go the Bellator route. They don't have as many stars. They don't have as many up-and-comers. They don't have as many fighters, period. They are going to position you, I think, in the best possible light. They're going to put you in the best possible spot to succeed. Now, there are a lot of things, in my opinion, that the UFC does better than Bellator. I mean, they are number one. Bellator is a far number two. Maybe the one thing that Bellator does better than the UFC right now is the way they treat, you know, the legends of yesteryear. They won't put Chael or Tito against a 25-year-old stud. It just, it doesn't make sense for them. They can't afford to do that. The UFC can afford to do it, without a doubt. Bellator can't afford to do that. So, they put Chael and Tito in this fight, which, you know, is probably an evenly matched fight at this point, and, and, and Tito ends up winning. And it was amazing six days after the BJ Penn loss, the drubbing, you know, it was just disappointing to see him go out like that. And we don't even know if it's his last fight. Here's Tito Ortiz, who has been the butt of so many jokes, who we thought, you know, was going to retire moons ago. Here's Tito Ortiz going out on top, getting the last laugh, you know, writing the perfect script. I mean, how many guys have gone out like that with, you know, them walking out, the 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 camera fades away. I mean, it was just like, you couldn't have scripted it any better, to be honest. Um, it's unbelievable that of all people, he goes out like that. He gets the last laugh. He gets to have his son in the cage, putting his gloves in the middle of the cage. And yes, you know, he flubbed a few words here and there, but it was, it was endearing. Yes, he kind of did his own version of O'Doyle rules. But it, it, look, this is a pioneer. This is a guy who opened so many doors for the sport, let alone Zufa. This is a guy who was really, truly one of the first big stars in the history of the sport, draws, who understood the marketing side of things. I, w- I went back and looked at one of the post-fight press conferences. I think it was after Chemo Shamrock, UFC 48. Tito's there with the bleach blonde hair. It's a little longer. He's at the press conference. He's talking smack to Shamrock. You know, he's on Best Damn Sports Show, period. When I was a junior at Syracuse, I remember flipping through the channels and seeing Shamrock and Tito on the Best Damn Sports Show, period, and just being blown away by the fact that they were talking about the UFC, that two UFC fighters were on a Fox Sports Net show. That was a big deal. And it was in large part because of Tito, because of his look, because of the way he talked, his persona, the bad boy, all that stuff. He deserves everything. I mean, he's he's a Hall of Famer. If there ever is going to be an MMA Hall of Fame, you can argue him being on the Mount Rushmore. He did a lot for the sport. So he deserved that moment. There's no doubt about it. And I, I look, I, I don't I don't have a great, you know, relationship with Tito. In fact, I'd probably go as far as to say of all the current fighters out there. I probably have the worst relationship with him. I mean, he blocked me on Twitter. I don't know why. Uh, he refused to talk to me after he told me in an interview prior to UFC 132 that Ryan Bader's biggest weakness were his takedowns. And then I asked Ryan Bader, remember this? I asked Ryan Bader about Tito Ortiz saying that his wrestling was a weakness and he's a wrestler. And he went, you know, in school in Arizona State, he was a wrestler. D1 wrestler, successful wrestler, and then he got all mad at me and the Mitrione thing on my show. So he doesn't like me for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, 
to a degree, on a personal standpoint, the feeling is somewhat mutual, if I'm being honest. When when the UFC banned me, uh, Tito Ortiz was tagging me in tweets to Dana White saying that he made the right call, that I'm a scumbag, all this stuff. So listen, no love lost here. But I can separate that and give him his due and recognize the fact that he is a pioneer and that maybe we're not talking about the sport in the same light if not for him and people like him. He did a lot in the dark days of the sport. So he deserved that send-off. And to me, it was it was a nice moment. After everything, after the feud with Dana, the Spike special that painted him in a, in a, in a pretty bad light, Tito Ortiz gets the last laugh. How about that? I mean, that's amazing. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where then you start to think like, okay, is this a good night for Bellator or is this a bad night for Bellator? It's a good night for Bellator because there were a lot of stars there. They were buzzing. They seemed to be a hot ticket in Inglewood. Um, it felt like a big show, but they have invested a lot in Chael Sonnen. Do not believe that $50,000 purse that came out, um, you know, I think it was yesterday. Chael Sonnen got a hell of a lot more money than 50000 I still don't know why they do that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Chelsea is not coming back for $50,000. Tito's leaving. Chell's not. Chell's a big part of their future plans. I mean, they're already talking about Vanderlei Silva and all this stuff. If you go back to old school pro wrestling, the guy who's leaving isn't the one winning. He's the one doing the job. So if Bellator, if they're being honest, if they wanted someone to win, it's probably Chell Sonnen because he's the one sticking around. You know, he's the one who is actually part of their future plans. Tito's not. Tito's done, at least right now. We'll see if that remains true. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, this is, this is why we love MMA. It's unpredictable. If this was wrestling, obviously Chael Sonnen wins. Pro wrestling, that is. But this is a great moment. This is an unscripted moment. It, it was really nice how it all played out. And then I go on Twitter. And I know Tito is a lightning rod. He's a polarizing guy. But I thought, you know, he would be celebrated. What a cool moment. And the majority of the tweets that I saw were people accusing the fight of being fixed, scripted, fake. And the first thought that comes to mind is, why does this always seem to happen? Every time Bellator has a major show involving ex-UFC fighters, more often than not, a little bit older, people cry, fake, foul, scripted. It's happened countless times over the last two years. Why does this keep on happening? To me, that is a serious, reckless Lazy accusation. If you do not have facts, and I'm not talking about some Zapruder film with some kid on his couch, you know, questioning maneuvers. If you do not have facts that a promoter fixed a fight, you cannot go there. And yes, of course, if you're a fan, if you're a Twitter egg, if you're just, you know, some guy at home, you can do whatever the heck you want. But if you're in the MMA world, if you're an analyst, If you work for the UFC, that is a serious, serious accusation. If it is found true that Bellator fixed a fight, this fight, any fight, Scott Coker, Viacom, they are going to jail. They don't just get a slap on the wrist. That is a serious offense. You can go to jail for years. Look it up. It happened not that long ago in boxing. It is a serious thing. Not only will you never promote again, not only will you not be in the combat sports business, you will go to jail. Do you think that's worth it for everyone involved? And so I see all these people saying, this was fake. This was fixed. They show this clip of Tito Ortiz kind of tapping. Like, I don't even know what he's doing. Clearly not really tapping. I mean, his fingers are moving. And I don't, I'm don't. i trying to wrap my head around it. Why would Bellator fix a fight to have Tito win? If you're going to fix a fight, it's going to be 
for Chael to win. That's the guy sticking around. That's the future. That's the guy that you're paying all this money for. It's not for Tito who's leaving to win. Now, of course, you could say Beltor wasn't a part of it. Beltor has nothing to do with it. Maybe it was between them. Why would they do it? And then you have to ask yourself this as well. Is it because of Chael's past? Is it because of the fact that, you know, Tito is a polarizing guy? Is it because Bellator skirts the line? Is it because their show kind of looks like a pro wrestling show? I think many people are smart enough not to make that inference, but they have to seriously at this point ask themselves, why is it that every time they have one of these big shows, Kimbo Dada, Kimbo Shamrock, I mean, it just seems to happen every time. And I'm just talking about like in the last 18 months or so, people are crying fix. That is a serious accusation. It has happened a couple times in the UFC, but definitely not this many times in that kind of period. It is so serious to make that accusation. And quite frankly, it doesn't make sense this time. So what, Chael had him in a hold and then he's telling him to let go and then Tito wins. And then you have people saying, oh, look at the choke. It wasn't a real choke. What was that? I mean, just look at Chael's face. Chael's face turns purple. Now, of course, he could have been, you know, he, he, he could have just stopped breathing and done it, done it himself. But how many times have we seen a fight where it looks like a head kick kind of grazes an opponent, something weird happens, where from our vantage point as viewers, we're like, wow, that was weird, that was bizarre. We don't cry fix, we don't cry foul. We've seen neck cranks before. We've seen submissions that don't look locked in and fights. I think of like Josh Barnett, Brett Rogers. We've seen many times rear naked chokes that aren't quite sunken in, arm under the chin, that have ended a fight. You know, the pressure on your jaw. I, I, I've seen this before, but this time people are, are crying foul. And I'm disapp- I was disappointed to see, you know, Dan Hardy's tweet. Dan Hardy doesn't say that looked fake. He was saying that was fake. That was scripted. That is a serious, serious accusation. If you're a UFC employee, if you're working for the UFC, you can't make that accusation. If you do not know for sure, to me, it is, it is reckless. It really is, and it's bad for the sport. It is bad for the sport. I don't care who signs your paychecks. That is bad for the sport of mixed martial arts to make those accusations, to put that out there. I remember in the early 90s when boxing matches were ending controversially, people were saying, the judges are paid off. These are fixed. That is bad for the sport. That is a black eye on the sport. It's bad for all of us. You cannot do that. Look, I can't sit here and say that fight wasn't 1,000% fixed. Or excuse me, you know, like, it, like nothing foul happened because I don't know for sure I wasn't a part of it. But to me, unless I have legitimate information, text messages, you know, someone recording a conversation, I, you cannot go there. You cannot go there. You just can't. But Beltor needs to seriously take a look at why this keeps on happening, why this continues to be said. It really does, because it keeps happening. And it's a bummer. Saturday night should have been about Tito. Saturday night should have been about, you know, celebrating his career, the way he went out, how rare this is, opposite of BJ Penn. He deserved it. He's done a lot for the sport. That's what it should have been about. It shouldn't have been about this nonsense. Unless you have facts, don't show me this clip. I don't even understand what I'm looking at. What am I looking at? That 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 Chael has him in a in a headlock or a Dar's choke, and then he tells him to let go, and then he just goes out. Come on, that is just so reckless. Let me ask New York Rick. New York Rick, are you there? I'm here. What do you think? 
are you buying any of this nonsense? You have made it very. Are you wearing a Friday Night Lights shirt, by the way? Yeah, it's my favorite show. It's not the TV show; it's the book. But damn it, not a bad book. <laughs> um, okay, you have made it clear that you're not the biggest Bellator fan. You don't love the product. That's fine. But when you when you hear this talk, and I know you like to you know partake in the Reddit MMA threads and the, and I love Reddit, but the Twitter conspiracy theories and all this stuff. Sure. What, what do you make of it? No, don't buy it. Um, as you've mentioned, the incentive would be, or, 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 you know, the thought process would be for Chael to be the one ultimately winning this. So if, if there was some kind of, um, fix to be in or some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, behind the scenes workings, it would be for the guy who's staying around not to lose. Um, you'd have to imagine that the guy who's retiring goes out. Um, and so for that reason and many, many others, just the fact that I don't, I don't believe, there's any reason to fix the fight period for either guy it does it just doesn't really serve any purpose um i i don't buy it i don't buy it i hate the fact that we even have to spend time on this sure. but we do because it was such a big story and when people like i have so much respect for dan hardy for what he's done what he continues to do he was on this show this is not you know a personal attack at him but when i see that tweet when i see him say there's a big difference between hmm that looked questionable and that was questionable that was scripted Wow. I mean, don't you feel like that's a massive accusation? Yeah, it is. Based on what? Based on your eye? Based on the fact that it was a sloppy fight? That it was two old guys, a 42-year-old and a 39-year-old, one guy who had not fought in three years against the... You know, these are old fighters. You can't compare this to, you know, I don't know, Shevchenko Pena. You can't compare this to Cruz Garbrandt. This is, this is different MMA. These are older men. And that's, but that's kind of the point, right? That's why these things will come up. Why? Because, so why does it always happen with Bellator? Because you don't see when, when Ronda got blasted, you don't see people crying fix. Because you feel like Bellator skirts the the line too much between you know entertainment slash pro wrestling. Yeah, they invite is. this kind of criticism when when your main events are essentially you know sideshows. Then that's what you're going to get. Um, when when your main events are you know guys in their near 40s headlining against each other when you know a guy like Paul Daly um is on the card you're going to you're going to get these these kind of accusations it's just the way it is and it is not uh, this is not a new um no they have to seriously that. look at it i mean they have to ask themselves why this keeps coming up because it's not a good thing if if the viewers don't trust them if they don't have that credibility in their eyes, when people are kind of watching them with, you know, these doubts in the back of, of their mind, that, that is a big problem, especially in the fight game. You know what I mean? Yeah. If people feel like these fights are fixed, that's a massive, massive problem. I still don't like the accusations. I don't like the the um, insinuations. I mean, you have to have serious facts. I'm sorry. You know, that's just, you can't just come out and say that sort of thing. You and, really can't. And I just... I think people are looking for something to kind of hop on because there wasn't much to it. The fight wasn't very long. There wasn't, there wasn't, uh, you know, there, there's, there, there's not much of a storyline coming out of it beyond that. Um, it kind of even took away from Tito's uh, retirement a little bit. Well, there is a story um, in terms of, you know, Chael not looking great, Chael sticking around, Tito's leaving. Do you think Tito remains retired? Do you think that he can actually, you know, stop himself from coming back? Because that was too perfect, right? It's such a, like weighing in on MMA retirements is like, you know, roulette. You're just kind of throwing money at, at a random outcome because 
he could. I, I could see him. He has you know other businesses he's involved in and other things like that. But at the same time, MMA retirements don't last very long. The money's still good. Obviously, Tito could get paid a lot of money um, to still fight. So, sure, sure, he stays retired. Yeah, I would like I'm to see him stay retired. I really just it, it it doesn't mean anything. Retirements in MMA. Sure, I, I would like to see him remain retired. I would not be shocked if he comes back. I'll say this, you know. Tito's not a guy who's kind of been saying all along, I want to be retired. Um, and he's pretty firm on that stance now. Um, so I'm more inclined to believe him than somebody who's been retired and then kept coming in and out of retirement. Um, he's not he's not been the guy who's been throwing the I'm, I'm going to retire uh, thing out there and then come back um, multiple times. So I'm more inclined to believe him for sure. Um, I just think that, you know, MMA retirements in general mean nothing. So coming from him or anybody else, it doesn't it doesn't really stick for me. Yeah. Um, Scott Coker told uh, Josh Gross last week that they are talking to Ryan Bader. I hear that those talks are going well and don't be surprised if he goes to Bellator. Ryan yeah. Bader, Tito Ortiz rematch. That's a pretty interesting fight. That's a fight with a backstory. Can he can he turn that down? I'd like to see him retire. I mean, you can't go out on better terms with your son there and the, the gloves in the cage and beating that, Jalen. That's not it was enough so, for it. Uh, what, Bader? No, I think Bader I think Bader is enough to get him out of retirement. There, Even if you've had the perfect retirement, that's not enough. Yeah. I mean, forget MMA. Look at Michael Jordan. Yeah. The guy left, game-winning jumper, NBA Finals, um, and he got the itch. It's it's the competitive nature of the guys that are involved in these in these, in the highest level of sports. Um, I think Ryan Bader would be tempting, and if there was enough money thrown at him, I'm, I, I think you, you could talk him into it. Um, but there's a certain point where that will pass, so we'll see where it goes. Well, last question: Good night or bad night for Bellator? If they got the views that they needed, then probably good night. Yeah, we're about to find out in the next 24 hours or so. But from your perspective, I mean. The Paul Daly knockout definitely um, yeah, he knocked got people out, talking. Uh, Brennan Ward with a flying knee. That was, that was really the highlight of the night, in my opinion. I mean, For sure. Not, not, otherwise, a, a pretty lackluster show. Yeah, I, th- I thought that that was... The Halleck Gracie the, fight was just... The lone uh, shining example of, of top-level MMA. All right. Um, we'll talk to you in a bit. And I see a lot of people, you know, <laughs> tagging Dan Hardy in tweets. I'm not singling him out. He was probably at least from my vantage point, the most prominent and respected member of the MMA community to openly question this fight. It's because I have that much respect for him. It's because of what he's done that I was surprised to hear him go there. And I know, I know this is a UFC Bellator thing. You don't see a lot of Bellator fighters crying foul. It's all of the actual community members It's it's the UFC fighters that are doing this, and I and I don't think they realize how bad this makes the sport look. It doesn't matter where your allegiances lie. But that being said, thousands of fans have written about it, written to me, other you know MMA uh, community members, if you will, have questioned it. I, I mean, I've seen it from a bunch of people. I've seen it from even some uh, some media guys. Very serious stuff. Uh, for me, I'm going to focus on the fact, at least for now, unless I get other information. And if I do, holy smokes, that's a big deal. Like I said, I mean, you can go to jail. 
But for now, I will focus on the fact that Tito Ortiz got the perfect send-off. He gets the last laugh. And Chael Sonnen, where does he go from here? Of course, he's going to stick around. But, um, you know, is this kind of the beginning of the end for him? Can he rebound? Good night for Bellator. They got the buzz. They got the ticket sales. They got the media attention. They were all alone. They got the celebrities. We'll see if they get the ratings. Bad night because I think that the guy that they probably wanted to win did not win. The guy who's sticking around did not win. So we'll see. We'll talk more about Bellator 170 um, later on in the program. Uh, Of course, retirements and guys going out on their terms, very much a hot topic these days. BJ Penn, we don't know if it's his retirement fight, but certainly if that was his last fight, did not go out his way. Tito Ortiz goes out on his own terms. And we find out last Tuesday that Tim Kennedy is done with the sport, at least from an active competition standpoint. Wanted to talk to him about that and a whole lot more. He joins us now via the magic of Skype. There he is, Tim Kennedy. How are you? Ah, hello. I'm spectacular. It's good to talk to you. Congratulations on a great career. Congratulations on a wonderfully written letter. I mean, that was, wow, what a way to go out. Um, And so let's start here. How long did it take for you to write that letter? Uh, Man, we um, more or less constructed it while we we're sitting in uh the, the er in wow. canada wow you know like I, I understood what i wanted to say how i wanted to say it and then you know it was just putting uh pen to paper but more or less we knew we were going to be done after this fight and um and then when you're, you're sitting there wait waiting for five hours to get one stitch you're like, oh, all right, let's let's figure out how to put this together. Wow. Um, you had talked about retirement going into that fight. You talked about coming back for MSG and all that stuff. Did you know, like, you know, they announced Kelvin as the winner. You're in the cage right there. Did you know that that was it? Had you made up your mind already? I I, I knew before that. Okay. I actually knew when um, the Madison Square fight, Madison Square Garden fight didn't happen. Um, you know, when I lost Rashad, when. Um, I'm trying to get a, you know, a fight at light heavyweight, at middleweight, at welterweight. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the subsequent typical ass pain of the UFC where, you know, after the fight, okay, like, Hey, I need, I need a couple of months so I, my body and weight can recover. And they're like, no, we need you to fight at UFC 206 cause it's a really weak card. Um, you know, so all the ugly things about the sport I yet again get to experience, you know, already having been part of the sport for almost 20 years, uh, it's just really, really solidified that I was done. Do you regret coming back? Yeah. No. I mean, I don't, I don't regret anything. It it was a bummer. You know, like I didn't want to, I didn't want to end my career with EOL Romero, you know, what that was. That's not, that's not, you know, a, a career that's fought for the IFL, for Strike Force, for WC, you know, for ECC. You know, I, going back to the darkest ages ages of MMA, I've been there, um, and I didn't want to end on another ugly sour note. You know, this I got beat fair and square. You know, Kelvin Gesslum beat me up, and um, no, I wanted to. Of course, I wanted to Cinderella, Cinderella story of, you know, like a, a beautiful walkaway knockout. And yeah, okay, now I'm done. I leave the 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 gloves in the cage and I, you know, I smile as I leave, but that rarely happens. So this, this, this is how the story ends. Um, 
for me fighting in the octagon. Right. Um, and it's interesting that you paint that kind of picture because that's exactly how Tito went out on Saturday. Did you see that? It was beautiful. And, and did a part yeah. of you say like, damn, I wish I got that? No. Okay. No. You know, like, I think my, 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 my career has been storied with, with highs and lows, you know, with peaks and valleys, with, um, you know, I, I fought for the Strike Force title twice. I lost both times. Um, so like, I think it was almost ironic, if not serendipitous, that this, huh. this was the way that I go out, you know, kind of disappointingly. From, from my side of the fence, um, it's always a red flag when I hear a fighter talk about retirement because you think, okay, does he have a foot out the door? Is his head in the game? Is his heart into it? Did you feel that way leading up to this? I know it was quite the journey to even get to Toronto because of the, you know, the cancellations and all that. But did you feel when you compare it to other fights, like your heart, your mind just wasn't into it? No, no. My, my heart and mind were, were 100% into it. It was my body that uh, wasn't, that uh. couldn't. You know, the, the prolonged fight camp, um, the weight fluctuation from USC 205, having to make weight. You know, they said I had to make weight. So, you know, I essentially went from 220 to 185 to 220 to 185 all in the course of six or seven weeks. Uh. Um, that's not good, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, in addition to being you know, in a fight camp for almost four months. So as a 37 year old guy, I, you know, my mind thinks that I can do it. Uh, maybe I could have done that when I was 24, 25, 26 years old. I'll tell you a 37 year old can't do it. Right. Um, if you beat Kelvin Gaslam, you knock him out, you submit him. Great, great win. Do you think that you continue fighting? No. Okay. No, no, no. hundred percent done. I, at Madison square garden, I knew, the next fight, I was done. Okay. Um, of course, I, I want the 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 walkaway home run. You know, that's what I want. That's not what I got, but I knew I was done. Does it feel weird a week later, six days later after posting the letter, being a retired fighter? Like, do you feel different at all? Oh my god, I feel it's like uh, exhilarated. Really? Um, yeah. So so much. I just got done training. Um, you know, we get a horrible metabolic conditioning strength repair day. And, um, I see one guy that does a little bit more weight in the last round. So instead of, you know, being done, I'm like, ah, I'll just do more weight and an extra round. (laughs) You know, I'm looking forward to, I'm back in the gi heavy, you know, I'm I'm already like talking about the next grappling competition and, and who I'm going to submit in an embarrassing way. Um, and then the, the re-energized focus into all the things that I really, really believe and care about. You know, I've never, I, I swear, Ariel, like I haven't felt this good and excited wow. in five or six years. Was there a point where you were kind of sad? Like before you press send, you know, like did you get emotional about this at all? I mean, this was a big part of your life and I know you are a man of many different interests and, and, and occupations, but was there any part of you that felt sad about making this announcement? Yeah, man, I like, uh, my, my entire adult life, I've done two things, you know, I've, I've, um, been a soldier and I've been a fighter and I just lost one of those things. Yeah. Um, so no, 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 it's not like a, a part of me is missing, but there, there is this, this, there was this void, you know, like this, um, not an emptiness, but like, and for, thank God had I not, um, been so well positioned, if I didn't have so many companies, if I didn't have, um, 
all of these next things that I have to achieve, then I would be lost. You know, what, what really hit home is when I was sitting there in that hospital and, um, and I knew I was done, you know, Mick Palmashano, my, one of my best friends for 20 years, a, a fellow Ranger, you know, he's been with me at every single fight. If you watch for the fight for the troops, as soon as that left hook lands on Natal, the guy that is sitting there that loses his mind, that looks like he's a, he's an ape that just smoked a whole bunch of acid and then did a line of cocaine and jumps up and like freaks out. That's Nick. Um, you know, we're, we're sitting there and, you know, and I just look up and I'm man, I'm done. I know I'm done. And he's like, I know you're done. And, um, and then it was like this, this realization, this epiphany that if, if, it, if I wasn't Tim Kennedy, if I didn't own Range Ruff, if I didn't own Whoopies, if I didn't own like all these, all these things, if I wasn't, you know, now the president of the mixed martial arts athletes association, if I didn't have these fights, if I wasn't a soldier, um, what the hell would I do? Yeah. You know, like there's, there's nothing I'm you're sitting there in the, you're sitting there and the, you can't imagine what that's like. Yeah. And you really can't, unless you've sat on that hospital waiting for that, that nurse or that doctor to come in and tell you it's going to be another five hours. You know, there's nobody, nobody from the UFC that's in there with you. You know, it's you hopefully in a corner bleeding, swollen, you know, your hands hurt, your face hurts, your brain hurts. And, and then you, you don't know what's next. I can't imagine what that would be like. And, um, and it really clarified how much more work needs to be done in the sport. Mm. You know, it really hit home. It, it, it dropped an anchor into the ship that, you know, the ship has sailed, you know, the, the ship for believing and knowing that something has to change for, for athletes, but sitting there in the hotel, knowing that I was done fighting and then, you know, being being in a position like Jens Pulver or 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 Don, or Don Fry or um, Tim Sylvia or you know countless other champions, not not a regular fighter. These are champions that now have nothing, that nothing to show for their success, nothing to show for what they left on the octagon floor. Um, you know, the the brain damage, the orthopedic damage, like nothing. They're just sitting there knowing that they're done. Mm. Um, it's it was fucking frightening. Mm. Yeah, and it also explains why so many have a hard time saying goodbye or come back after saying goodbye because they have nothing else. Not as many are able to look ahead and plan for the future like you and and Brian Stan and some others have been able to do. And so that leads me to the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. You mentioned that you're the president. Is that news? Was that was that always the case, or is this a new thing? No, um, it's you know like the spokesperson. Um, so as an active board member, I am the one that is the recruiter. Um, I, all board members have equal decision. I'm just the one in the active role that is currently um, doing all those things. So no, nothing's changed. Okay. Um, now we're we're just in full execution mode. Okay. Because I'm not fighting. Right. I mean, you <laughs> um, came out like gangbusters, and it's been a little less. Um, there's been a little less noise now, and I'm so and so that has led to you know like Bjorn Rebney, hot topic doesn't talk as much. What's going on? Tell us what's going on about with Bjorn first. Is he still a part of this group? Okay. Um. So he's never been a part in the sense that he has any authority okay. or or ability to affect anything. The only people that can vote are board members, and the only people that can be board members are fighters. Okay. It's very very clear clearly laid out that way. So right now, 
the board members are the only ones that have any authority to do anything whatsoever. They're the only ones that can vote. They're the only ones that can affect change. Bjorn, um, it was a mistake during the announcement to um, have him be a public presence. Uh, you know, we obviously regretted that, but he will still be um, somebody that the board members are going to go to and ask, okay, well, as a promoter, how did you do this? Um, I wish I could ask Dana White those questions or, you know, like any of the other fellow um, promoters, but there's not very many of them. Sure, you know, sure, there's sure. like five guys. Yep, yep. So I need that information. Okay. And, um, and he's, he, he will be the guy that I'm going to ask those questions to. Um, but he has no authority and he has no position within the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association and he has no vote. Uh, is the board still those same five fighters or are there more fighters now yes. involved officially? Oh, there's a lot more fighters involved officially. Oh. Um, we, uh, but the board members are the same. Okay. Are there any other fighters that you could tell us who are involved? So I just got back from Jackson's. Um, yeah. Me and the Major League Baseball Players Union rep came with me. Wow. Um, Who's that? Yep. Uh, his name's JP. RNCBA, and right? He's a pitcher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Former Blue Jay just announced his retirement as well. Exactly. Yes. Um, he, he is a great friend of the Mixed Martial Arts Athletes Association. And when he was playing for the Blue Jays, um, he was the union rep for the team. Ah. So he has a lot of experience, um, uh, you know, uh, specifically about what we're trying to achieve within the association, like how it works. You know, so I can go in and I can say, hey, man, this is what we're doing. This is, um, this is why we're doing it. But then when, you know, like when, a fighter says, well, how does that go about happening? Um, he helps in the explanation of that okay. because he has experienced it firsthand. Yep. Uh, when somebody says, okay, well, when I file for this medical, what is that going to look like? Um, well, right now we're like, oh, well, good luck with that because nobody, we don't have medical. We just have to pay out of pocket. Sure. Um, so uh, he, before that, he was at AKA and then we're going to American Top Team after wow. that. So wow. this response has been overwhelmingly positive okay i'm not gonna it's gonna come from an official release from the athletes association about who oh. is uh, now part of it okay but um just know that both camps received us uh with open arms and if you know the fighters that are from there yeah uh understand that this you know, wow. you know two two of the five major fight camps we've already been to and and both of them are like, hell yeah, this is what's going to happen next. Wow, wow. That is interesting. That's quite the development. Now, you, so, so you concede the fact that if you could do this again, it would be you five fighters on that call and those pictures and Bjorn, Bjorn was, was too much of a distraction, right? He took too much away from yeah. the message. Yeah, you would do it again? Yeah. You would do it differently if you could do it again? Yeah. Okay. Um, I wouldn't change. So his role has not changed. Yes, I understand. You know? I understand. But I regret that his he was as you said a distraction there's no not a better word people were like oh my goodness why is he there yeah well he's he, he was the second most successful promoter in mma and um and now is not promoting so if this anybody's gonna be able to answer a question that i'm gonna ask about how something happens as a promoter i need that um i need that information and knowledge is power and, and i'm not gonna you know like in in with something as important as this, you have to know everything. As far as your career is concerned, any regrets? Yeah, I wish I was, you know, recognized as the best fighter in the world. You know, I wish yeah. I had the title. Um, man, there's there's like three things I, you know, you, 
you go back and um, not only like moments and fights where you're like, oh man, I, I had the submission, mm. but I gave it up because I wanted to secure a position and then ended up losing in the decision. You like those moments. Um, so there's moments like that that I just like kicked myself uh, that I didn't, I didn't just do it. I didn't, you know, go for it. Um, and then like one thing that kind of is going to nag me forever and I'm okay with it. Cause I know my integrity and my ethics and my morals and my values. I couldn't live with myself if I had done it differently, but I regret, um, not regret. I don't know what the word is. Okay. I question, yeah. um, looking at the success of Vitor Belfort, the titles that he went for looking at the, um, you know, the Brock Lesnar's like guys that yeah. obviously abused performance enhancing drugs. Um, when I bled and I worked, um, you know, I didn't have the, ta- the talent of, of, um, Anderson Silva or John Jones, even though both of them, I guess, kind of cheated. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to find an example of, sure. of somebody that really had the, the skill and the talent and didn't need to do the hard work. Um, I, I'm, I maybe question had maybe an easier route with titles been in the future. Had I done it differently? I'm happy with, with how it is now. You should be um, proud of that. I would argue that you should be very proud of that considering I am proud. I am proud of it. I am, but you know, the, you asked if there's like yeah. elements of regret, regret. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to say that there's not regret. There are questions, and some of the questions are: Man, had I just had I just gone for that submission, would I be world champion? Had I just cheated that one time, would I be world champion? Yeah. Um, I could say I never cheated. You know, I never. Uh, but instead, it's like a guy that was a perennial contender that was top ten for like ten years, but you know, never never reached the the pinnacle the 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 Everest of the sport. Nothing wrong with that. And if anyone writes your story, if they just focus on that, I mean, they're doing themselves a disservice because you are obviously a lot more just what you've done for this country uh, means more than any other title, in my opinion. Uh, Last thing, I will never forget being, you know, at at that event in November of 2013, you versus Sapo Natal in front of those troops. I mean, you came across as a megastar, the way they treated you, the finish. Again, you can't script a better moment than that. Is that your moment? Like when you think of your career, your happiest moment as a fighter, is that the one that comes to mind or something else? Um, I, there, there's, there's, there's a couple. Okay. Um, one, that fight, I think the not, so yeah, there's a lot of pressure. I had a torn, I had a torn, um, quad when I took that fight, I had my own struggles, but really the nod has to go to, um, Natal for taking that fight. Yep. Like who could have been more of an underdog yeah. <laughs> than to walk in to fight Tim Kennedy at a military base at a fight for the troops. Yeah. You know, so we have to look at Natal and be like, man, that guy's got balls. Yeah. 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 You know, um, that was unbelievable. That experience that night, that fight, you know, main event UFC fight for the troops at a military base with fellow special forces guys, First, you know, with a, with a major knockout performance of the night. Yeah, wow. Um, definitely up there. Uh, but then, you know, like, there's, there were little battles. Like, when I came back from Iraq, went straight to Ranger School, graduated from Ranger School, and then I fought six days later and, um, you know, TKO'd a guy in the IFL. Um, 
you know, nobody knew the backstory of like I came back from Iraq, went to Ranger School, Ranger School, six days later fighting in a professional mixed martial arts fight on Fox and get a knockout. Yeah. You know, like those are all kind of significant things in my mind. Well done, my man. Really, congratulations on an amazing career. Congratulations on doing it your way and also not taking any shortcuts. A lot of people will forever respect you for that and, of course, what you've done for this great country. And uh, keep us posted. I wanted to focus more on you, but do keep us posted on the association and the progress yeah. and, and, and what you're doing because, uh, as I've said several times since Toronto, I have a great feeling that your, your, your best impact on this sport, your true impact on the sport has yet to be felt. So keep it up, Tim. Congratulations again, and thank you for stopping by. Thanks, man. I, you're 100% agree. What I've done in the past 15 years is going to pale in comparison. It's not even going to be in existence because what I'm going to do in the next two. Awesome. I swear to God. All right. I swear to God. We'll talk to you soon. All right, God bless. Thank you. Yep. There he is, Bye. Tim Kennedy, newly retired. Uh, strong words right there, and uh, I believe him. And the fighters are lucky to have him. So we wish him the best, and we'll see how this proceeds. And interesting to hear him say that, uh, in hindsight, it was a mistake to have Bjorn so front and center. Um, takes, a, takes a big man to admit that. Okay, uh, let us move along. Now let's talk to Yair Rodriguez. He is eight days removed from a very dominant win over BJ Penn. But before I move along, let me quickly tell you about my good friends over at Blue Apron. These guys are phenomenal. If you haven't heard about them, in short, this is what they do. They make the best meals possible, but this is the catch. They don't actually make the meals. They just give you the best ingredients possible, and then you get to make the meals at home. They break it all down for you. It's super easy. No stress of, you know, oh, how much do I have to get of this, that? They break it all down really, really well, and they send you the best ingredients, and then you get to have fun making the meals yourself. Some other things about Blue Apron that you should know. Their beef is raised humanely. Chickens are free-range pork raised naturally. Their seafood, it's sourced under standards developed in the partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Blue Apron can also be delivered to 99% of the continental USA and 99.5% of food deserts. Because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they are reducing food waste. They give it to you down to the milligram. It's perfect. Also, cooking together, in case you didn't know, builds strong family bonds. Research has actually shown that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often. This is true. I've done it myself. It's a great thing. It's an actual activity to do with your family. Here are some of the meals available in January. Spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage fur cake. Pork chops and garlic piccata with scallion rice and spinach. And how about this one? Mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime sour cream. I am starving right now just reading about it. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash MMA hour. That's blueapron.com slash MMA hour. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. No more ordering out. No more takeout. Make great meals. That's blueapron.com slash MMA hour, blueapron.com slash MMA hour, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Now back to the show. Curious to hear his thoughts on the fight and where he goes from here. He joins us now via the phone. Yair, are you there? Yes, sir. How are you, man? I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you very much for joining us and congratulations on the victory. Um, l- let me start with this, Yair. When you were offered this fight, 
and you were preparing to fight BJ and you were dreaming about fighting him and beating him. Does what you're feeling now in the days after that fight, after that win, feel like how you thought it was going to feel or did it, did it feel in any way different? So at the beginning, it was a little hard because <clears throat> uh, whenever they told me, all right, you're going to fight B.A. Penn, uh, I started working, you know, on my wrestling defense and, well, I was training really hard. And then I got hurt at the beginning of my training camp. So I was basically doing nothing by bo- but boxing. And uh, it was a really tough uh, training camp for me. I almost uh, dropped the fight because um, I couldn't even walk. I, I was standing up on my bed in the morning, and I was falling because my knee was, like, really bad. And, um, you know, I talked to my to my coaches and stuff, and they say, all right, just wait. Just wait, like, a couple, a couple more days. Let's see how you need feeling. If not, we call the UFC, and we, we're going to have to, you know, throw the fight down. And, wow. Uh, I just keep on working, keep on working, keep on, you know, putting eyes, uh, going to physiotherapy every day. You know, I was doing as, as much as I could, you know, and um, I say, all right, I think I can do this, you know, and then I keep on working on my training conditioning. Just a uh, couple, like, just, I work on my jiu-jitsu, but just defense, you know. I wasn't attacking, I couldn't even close a triangle and um, or use my legs, you know, sit down and all that stuff. It, it was really, really painful. And of course, I couldn't. I couldn't even kick. So basically, all the training camp was just boxing. Until uh, you know, two weeks before the fight, I start. I start kicking a little. You know, working on my accuracy on my kicks, and getting getting that that, that kicking shape again. And it's how I did. You know. So at the beginning, I thought, all right, man, it's gonna be. If BJ is already tough, it's gonna be tougher because I'm hurt. So what, what you gonna do, man? You you need to do something else. You know, you need to you prove yourself, and you can do it. And I started changing my mindset. And then I didn't see the fight going, uh, the five rounds I said before, you know, I was ready to die or to win that night. Wow. Um, do you know officially what the injury is now? I saw LCL. It's a level two LCL uh, injury, but uh, it's healing. It's healing um, really fast right now that I'm taking, I, I'm taking care of it, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking my time to, to heal my, my injury, you know, and my ankle is, um, you know, swelling from the, for the fight of the left one. Um, but everything else is feeling is feeling great, you know. I, I already started, like, training again, my boxing, you know. I want to get um, stronger with my punches. I want to get more currency, and I want to get better in every sense of my fighting game. Do you, do you think that you'll need surgery? No, no. Okay. No, I don't think so. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So I won't do it. Okay, how how long can you like? How long do you have to be out for? Uh, until the UFC clear me, you know. I think I, I'm going in the, the next week or so uh, with a doctor. Okay, and um, he will decide what uh, what's going on with my knee. But I feel pretty good, you know. I'm running. I'm, I'm doing all this all all this stuff. You know, taking it easy, taking it easy. But I, I still working on it, you know. So I feel I feel I feel good. I think I think I can, you know. Soon. And and it's amazing knowing that how good you looked in the fight, how agile you looked. And I'm wondering, did you? Is it possible? Like, did you re-injure it? Did you make it worse by fighting, or is it still the same as it was going into the fight? No, it's actually it, it feels better right now, you oh. know, because so you yeah you back away, you have less fat in your body, and then you can get the hurt more, and your body start start feeling like you know more more pain. You take the pain is is harder on your body, you know. And uh, now that I that I'm you know recovering my weight and stuff, 
for my knees better, you know, that I have, you know, more strength and stuff. You know, I'm, I'm eating good. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm preparing my meals pretty good. I'm taking care of my knees. So now that I'm basically resting, I'm, I'm not training as crazy as I, I used to train in my training camp. I think the knee is, is just feeling better every time. So I'm just going with the doctor this week and uh, I think I'll be clear. Is that part of the reason why you were so emotional? Like right afterwards, it was clear that you were very emotional, almost crying. Yes. Is that is that yes. why? Cause were you were like, were you doubting yourself? <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, I I never doubted myself, but I was. Man, I, I I mean, I know I can do this. I know it's gonna be hard, but I know I can do this. So whenever I finish Japan, you know, it's a legend and stuff. But I, I didn't wanna I I didn't wanna look bad, you know, uh, sharing after my winning over him. It was just. Uh, emotional by my by myself because I know how tough this training camp was for me and my team knows you know everyone around me knows that it was pretty hard for me and I, I still went there and and did it you know so I just proved me once again that I can that I can do whatever I want in my life you know you, so you just have to keep pushing through it after the fight, I said on this show that it, it was hard to watch because BJ, in my opinion, looked old. He looked slow. It did not look like the BJ of old. And it was unfortunate because it, all the talk afterwards was about him and how he looked. And you weren't getting, I thought, the credit that you deserve for how good you looked, especially now knowing that you were injured. Did, did it feel like, I don't know if, I want, uh, if the right way to phrase it is like, did you feel bad for him? But was there any part of you when the dust sort of settled, adrenaline went down, where you're like... That's not that's not the BJ Penn who was a dual champion who you know beat some of the best fighters. Clearly, he's a different guy now, and this happens to all of us. So it, it was hard to I watch. What about fight, for you? I, I take this fight for me, bro. It was a losing losing fight. Uh-huh. You know, some people some people look at it like, oh, it's a winning winning for you. No, it's a losing losing. Why? Because people think BJ. People used to think or they used to say people is uh, uh, BJ is old. So if I kick BJ, BJ is playing ass. The people will say, "Oh, but he kick uh, all guy ass." Yeah. But if he, if I lose, people will say, "Oh, then Yair is no as we think he was," you know. So, what 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 can I do? Just go out there and fight and kick ass, you know. That's my that's my job, you know. That's how I shoot mouth. Do you think that in hindsight it was a mistake for the UFC to book BJ against you because of how much younger you are and obviously at this point better than him? I mean, I didn't know that I that I was about like you know to win the fight. And for me, it wasn't easy. I know it probably looks easy from outside, but for me, being in, inside there is you know, is hard. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know who you guys see it. You know, like uh, like I told you, I don't know if it was a mistake. You know, a fight is a fight. Sure. No matter what, a fight is a fight. You cannot take uh, the value of the fight just because something. You know. And for you, you know, the fight was quicker this time around against BJ than it was against Alex Caceres, your first UFC main event. Do you feel like you are a bigger star now after beating BJ than you were after your first main event back in August? I mean, I, I know that I'm going in the sport, you know, I, I, I mean, I know that I'm, that I'm almost there, you know, where I want to be. Uh, of course, every time that you fight, you grow, you know, more people start following you and, and all that stuff, you know, but it's part of the game. It's part of the game too, you know, you have to learn to live live with it you know and then um, I mean I, feel, I just feel amazing that's your question I feel I feel amazing I feel like more people know me now uh, and I think that that was pretty good for me was there anything in the fight that he did that surprised you that you weren't expecting when you were game planning for him no 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 okay um, I was expecting all that stuff you know I knew he was trying uh, to come after me in the first 
couple rounds the, the, until the third round, you know, until he gets tired because, um, you know, um, I know that I, that I, that I can fight hard pace all the five, five rounds. I don't care. I can't even fight 10 rounds and I, I won't get tired because I already know that few people or nobody in the UFC has the same cardio as me. You know, I can be throwing there all night kicks and punches and doing grapple and jiu-jitsu and I don't, I don't want to get tired. You know, it's just, just how I train. It's just how I fight. So I wasn't worried about my strategy. I was actually pretty, pretty prepared and focused, you know, on finishing this guy. And and what did you think of the stoppage? Did you think that it went a little longer than it should have? No, I don't think so. He was, uh, I saw him, you know, sometimes you can feel your opponent and say, right, this guy is done or not. You know, whenever I uh, I fight at, uh, against Andre Philly, I saw him down and I, I was like, all right, this guy is done. You know, I don't need to keep on punching him. Mm-hmm. But with BJ, he has more experience, you know, and uh, you, you never know. He has good submissions there too. So whenever I drop him, I saw him, he was like still moving, you know, so I used go, go hard on him. And I don't think the fight, they, they stopped the fight before they used, they supposed to, you know. I, I just think it was the correct stopping. Good job from part of the ref. Yeah, um, and, and so, okay, so I know you were asked this question after the fight, and, you know, I think you were very respectful, but I'll, I'll try a week later. If it was up to you, if you were a friend of his, a training partner, you know, do you think BJ Penn should keep fighting? Um, as a, as a friend, as a par- partner, you say? Yeah. Yeah. If you were that, I mean, you, you've seen him now, you've studied him, you've been in there with him, you know who he used to be. And now obviously how he, you know, how he fights. What do you think? I mean, it's just hard, bro. In my position to yeah. say it anyways. I mean, I respect him a lot. You know, he's a and stuff. I, I don't think nobody has to say whenever somebody else had to retire, you know, is is their life, is their... You know, whatever, whatever they want to do, I feel, I mean, he's strong, bro. Don't get me wrong, he's strong. Um, I have some, you know, some good punches on my head, too, until <laughs> um, this time, you know. He's still, he's still strong, you know, he's still there. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I, it's just the way that I feel about That's, him. So, so it, would it be fair to say that you actually disagree with people who say that he should retire, that he actually isn't, you know as old as, as maybe we think he is. He's still, he still can punch hard. He can still hurt an opponent. Maybe he should fight someone closer to his age, but you don't think that it's a foregone conclusion that this guy should stop fighting. Is that fair to say? No. Yes. I mean, I, I, I'm just saying that um, it's, it was his second, second time on 145 pounds. And I just think he, he needs to try uh, all the ways, you know? Yeah. Because, man, it's going to be hard. He's, he's big, bro. He's big. He's a big 145. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just think, you know, it's a little rough. He's the, the cutaway for him and stuff, you know. Uh, I just think he, he has to move 155 or something. Have you gone back home, back to Mexico since the fight? No, I come back right here to Chicago. I'm already training. You know, I'm pretty focused. I'm pretty motivated. Um, I'm going to keep on working, keep on getting, uh, getting better. And, uh, you know, I have, I have a big goal. And it's getting closer, so I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna fuck this up. <laughs> and I appreciate that. How far away do you think you are from, you know, like, like, what's the next step for you? And you're like, if you could draw it up, what makes the most sense? If you say you're not far away, what, what do you think as far as the next step is concerned? Well, I, I just think, uh, I don't know. Like people, uh, I've been reading comments and stuff. You know, and people, they, some people think that I'm ready for the title, sh- the title shot. Some people think that I need to fight against a. Top five guy, 
um, I don't know. I will take whatever, you know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not in a race, you know. I'm not in a race to get that title, you know. This is not a race. This is about a strategy. This is this is the the whole game, you know. So I'll, I'll keep on doing whatever the UFC told me to do. I'll I'll take any fight, whoever. I don't care. I'm. I mean, I'm here to fight the best guys in the world. So whoever they want to bring, I'll be ready for him. When you came into the UFC, it's been less than two years, a year and a half or so. Did you think that you would be this far along this quickly? That you'd be thinking, you know, title fights, contender fights, things like that? The title fight is always been in my mind, you know. So, but I know, I know you're far away. Once you, how do I, how do you think I'll look if I start fighting and fight? I have used one fighter. I start asking, asking for the title shot. Sure. That doesn't make any sense. I, I need to prove to the people and I need to prove the UFC that I'm ready for it, you know. So if they, if they think that I'm ready, all right, let's do it. If, if they don't think so, then, you know, give me a fight, another yeah. fight, and then after that, and it, whatever, you know, I'm just here for being the best. I don't care who I have to fight. And I, and I should be clear, it's been a little over two years. November 2014 was your UFC debut, UFC yes. 180. I was there. Um, and what a reception it was. Have you heard from a lot of, you know, Mexican-born fans? Do you think that they can go back to that same arena where Kane headlined against Verdum, Verdum against Mark Hunt, and you could be the headliner and sell it out? Do you feel like you're that big of a deal there now after what you've done in the last two years? I, th- I think so, man. I mean, I think people are following me a lot. I, I don't know if he was in Phoenix last time, but man, he no, was full, there. and he was full. Really? He was full, and he was full of my people, you know, full of my friends and, you know, fans from the United States, too. Um, I mean, I, I just feel that, uh, that I'm getting big in Mexico, you know, I feel that, uh, that I'm already there. I need, I know, I know that I, that I never gonna, I don't want to stop getting bigger, you know, but I think in Mexico, I'm already there. I think in Mexico, people... People love me, and I love people there. So why not, man? If the UFC wants to keep me a bigger band like that, I'll take it. Is it is your situation different than Kane's? Because you were actually born in Mexico, and he wasn't. Do, do the fans there connect more towards you? Like you're you're the first Mexican-born superstar. We've had guys like Kane, Tito Ortiz, with the background, but never anyone from Mexico, born in Mexico, Mexican-born and bred, do what he's doing, what you're doing in the UFC. Is there a difference in the way people view you as opposed to them, in your opinion? The connection. I mean, I will say this, but it's not it's not my opinion. It's people's opinion. Yeah, you know, yeah I of love course. Cain Velasquez, and uh, just to make this clear, Cain Velasquez, he feel, he feels more Mexican than uh, you know American. He feels he feel like you know, like one time we were in the children of fighter house, and we was grabbing the the flags, the Mexican flag, and he actually screamed at us and told us, hey, don't don't be playing with the with the flag, you know, be be respectful and stuff. He he's showing us and. Then you know he's very proud of where he's coming from too, you know. And uh, I mean, he he talked to us and he told us, "Hey, I, I don't I don't even used to speak English." But uh, the racism before, whenever he was in high school or whatever, the racism was you know uh, pretty pretty much of a big deal. So he started learning English. You know, he didn't want to be in that situation until he he started fighting and stuff. So. You know, he's what he told us. Um, I mean, I don't blame him because he, he's born here or he speaks English more than Spanish, you know. It's just, it's, life is different for everyone. Sure. And I just feel like I'm in a, I'm in a better position than him because I'm the first Mexican-born superstar 
that I know that I'm gonna be, that I'm gonna be the champion of the world. Wow. Um, and so, do you do you look at you know like the rankings and you see who's above you, Cub Swanson, Jeremy Stevens? Do you, do you look at any of these guys and say, okay, this one makes sense? Maybe Ricardo Lamas, which obviously he has that background as well. Do you, is there a perfect fight for you next? Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, uh, I ha- I have trained with Ricardo Lamas. I have trained with uh, uh, Swanson too. Uh-huh. You know, they're my friends. You know that I know them pretty well too. But um, I mean, I don't know what is coming next, bro. I don't know when I'm gonna fight next. I don't know what the UFC wants to bring. Uh, but I will ready for whatever. You know, I know it's tough competition, uh, in front of me. You know, I- I'm in the number eight right now, rank number eight. But I think I- it is my way to think. You know. I don't think the the ranking matters too much, you know. I mean, you uh, for me, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not a number, you know. I'm not a number. Mm. I gonna get, I gonna get there. I gonna be the champion. I don't, I don't wanna be a number. And I know that I'm not a number. What, when, like, do you wanna come back in the summertime? When, when do you think is good for you to come back? I just, I just wanna keep healing my body, you know, for probably for the next two weeks, and then after that, we'll, I will start, you know, training hard again. Probably one more week, I will start training hard again, and. Whenever, you know, whenever, I'll be ready, whenever, whenever they want to call me and tell me, hey, you want to fight? I'll, let's do it, you know. By the I'll way, ready. did BJ say anything to you after the fight? No. Um, whenever we were in the cage, whenever I go with him, I told him, hey, man, thank you so much for this fight. And, and you know, I really respect you and I really love you. You have no idea how much uh, I look up to you and I respect you. And he told me, hey, man. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful with you guys, but this is part of the game. Mm. Thank you so much. Respect, love, and that's it. You know, that's it. That, that's what we say to wow. each other. Amazing. Is it kind of surreal? Like that's BJ Penn saying this to you. Like you just beat BJ Penn. Is that sort of surreal for you? That like this is this is part of your dream, right? You you've dreamt of moments like this. Oh yeah, but uh, like like I was saying last time. I mean. He's BJ Penn, you know, he's a legend and wherever you want to, you want to say about him, yes, true. But he's still a human being, bro. Yeah. Everyone is just a human being, you know, we just have different capacities, you know, and I, I never want to look at somebody as a, as God, you know, everyone is my equal. I won't look uh, down to you. I won't look up to you. You know, you are a human being and you are a competitor as as me. You want the same as me, you know, and I respect you because of that, but, uh, at the, end, uh, at the end of the day, you know, this is just about, about friendship, you know, about competition. We don't have to be mad of each other, you know. Um, that doesn't work for me, you know. I'm, I'm a competitor. I'm a winner. You know, I've been in the sport for all my life. And uh, something that I, that I learned is then uh, it, it's just not about competition. It's about winning, you know. You have to win. Yeah. Losers say that, no, it doesn't matter to win. You know, it's about competition. Fuck that shit. No, man. You gotta win. <laughs> it's what it matters at the end of the day. People don't remember competitors. People remember winners. You know, people want to see winners. I'm a winner. I've been a winner all my life. I've been a champion all my life. But also, I know how to, I know how to learn from my lessons. Sometimes I lose, you know, and I never act crazy because of that. My parents teach me that, you know, you lose, you look up, you say, hey, man. Thank you. It was a, a really good lesson. I will learn from that. And then just keep on getting better. Keep on getting better. You know, that's the way that I think. Wow. What a great answer. Um, last last question for you, uh, Yair. Um, did you say, of course, a lot was made of the fact that, you know, you were fighting a Jackson guy. Greg and Wink were in his corner. Did you say anything to them or did they say anything to you after the fight? They, they don't even look at me, bro. I don't know what's huh. wrong. I mean, I, they don't even, I was up there by them. And they don't even look at me. 
I was like, all right, man, if you want to make this weird, let's make it, let's make it weird. I don't, don't want to fucking look at you either. Wow. You know, I don't have problems with nobody. I don't know. You know, uh, my coach told me, and they say, man, you have a champion right there. But that's it, you know. Uh, and I really appreciate that from them. But, you know, just, just tell me nothing changes, you know. Like, I don't know why people have to make it weird, you know. Yeah, I don't like drama in my life, you know. I just want to be a winner, I want to be a competitor, I just want to, you know, get there. And I don't like drama around this stuff, you know, if I can, uh, you know, fight without drama, it'll be amazing. Just let me alone, I just want to fight. <laughs> and so even afterwards, you guys didn't say anything to each other? No. Wow. No, we wow. don't talk. That's, that's surprising. Um, well, great stuff, Yair, really great stuff. Uh, we are seeing a star born in front of our eyes here. It's been a lot of fun watching you for the last two years in the UFC and I'm very curious to see, you know, next couple fights wh where you land, my man. You're doing amazing work. Congratulations on the win and uh, I hope you feel better and again, thank you for coming on the show. Great to have you on. Hey, man, whenever you want. I, I love to be with you guys and thank you so much. I hope to talk to you soon, man. Alright, there he is. Yair Rodriguez, now 10-1 uh, in the UFC. Uh, excuse me, 10-1 and one overall, of course. Uh, he is undefeated in the UFC. His lone loss back in 2012 outside of the promotion, coming off that win over BJ Penn, also wins over Alex Caceres, Andre Feely, Dan Hooker, Charles Rosa. It has been quite the run for him. It really has. And I'm curious to see where he goes next. Amazing to do that um, with an injured knee. Okay, uh, let's move along. Uh, very excited to talk to our next guest. Always a pleasure to have him on. Been wanting to have him on for around a month or so. We have not heard much from him since his fight against Mickey Gall. We're being joined now by the one and only Sage Northcutt. There he is, Sage. How are you? Hey, Mr. Helwani. I'm doing good. Uh, well, well, it's great to have you on. Where are you right now, Sage? So I'm actually at Mr. Woodley's gym. I'm oh. in St. Louis. Wow. You, you and Tyron are like the best of friends. I see you at events. You're doing interviews together. You're just traveling the world together. Yes, sir. We're having fun and I'm learning. He's actually right here right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he's on... <laughs> That's right. We'll talk to you soon, Tyron. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay. How did you link up with Tyron, by the way? I mean, I, you didn't have much of a history together in the past, right? Uh, no, sir. Actually, just through a friend of mine named Michael Chandler. Oh, that's right. Okay, so now do you live in Milwaukee? Uh, no, sir. I don't live there. I actually live in Houston, but I'll be driving up to Milwaukee today, actually, with Mr. Willie to train. Okay. Oh, yes, because you're in St. Louis right now. Yes, sir. In St. Louis. Okay, will you be staying with him until UFC 209? Yes, sir, I will. Wow. What's it like for you to go on like this media tour with him, but all the focus is on him and not you? I mean, you've been in the spotlight for the last year and a half or so. And so, so to be around but not have everyone bother you for interviews and things like that, have you enjoyed it? Oh, absolutely. Yes, sir. You know, it's super cool watching him too. So seeing how the champ interacts with everyone, uh, does the interviews, it's super fun. Great. Um, okay, so I want to talk to you about your last fight, of course. Um, looking, It's been a month or so since the fight happened against Mickey Gall. Looking back, what went wrong? Because early on, you were doing great, and then, of course, it ended in the second. But do you have an idea or two as to you know why you did not win that fight? Yes, sir, absolutely. So every time I've stepped foot in the octagon, I've, I've been very excited. It's not UFC jitters, like people say, but I'm so excited to be out there. I kind of get amped up, so... I'll hit people and I kind of rush in. I'm not taking my time. I'm not being calm. And I'm not really being myself out there like I know I can be. So in, in training, I'm totally different. I, I have certain tools I can use out there, and I just haven't applied them yet. So I'm training with the champ, Mr. Woodley, and I'm looking forward to applying those in the future. Huh? So, so would it be fair to say that we haven't seen the true you 
yet in the cage because of these reasons, because you're kind of rushing things a little too much? Absolutely. Yes, sir. So I, I have good wrestling. I have good jiu-jitsu. My stand-up's good, but it's just piecing it together. So I've had, I've had very little experience, I guess, piecing it together. And that's the thing. I, I learn by experience and I'll be learning. And I'm learning for the next month and a half that I'm training and uh, up here training with Mr. Woodley and I'm having fun doing it. How do you rectify that though? How do you get yourself to calm down and not move at such a quick speed? You know, I think you can move at a quick speed. It's just being calm. So I'm, okay. I'm still trying to figure that out. And for instance, Mr. Woodley, he's very calm and, yeah. and uh, he's a great person to learn it from. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, you obviously don't know this, uh, you know, while it's happening, but in the middle of the fight, there, there was a sequence where it looked like you were actually talking to Mickey Gall and the internet exploded. And they were like, wow, is this, you know, Anakin Skywalker turning into Darth Vader, so to speak. Um, what were you saying to Mickey Gall? <laughs> so, so when I hit him and I knocked him down, I was just telling him, I, was, I wasn't really talking trash. Uh, <laughs> I want to call it trash talking. Yeah. I was just talking to him. I was like, come on, get up, get up. I was telling him to get up because I wanted to fight standing up. And uh, another one was just like, I hit him. I know it hurt him. So I said, that hurt, didn't it? And I was just kind of talking to him. So like there was times when I did knock him down and I probably should have gotten on top of him. I have great jitsu from the top and I'm obviously working on my jitsu from the bottom. So I'm trying to work on that every single day that goes by. I'm always trying to improve that, but I could have changed a few things in the fight and, and it could have turned out differently. Is that out of character for you? I know it's not trash talk per se, but we've never really seen you converse with your opponent in a fight. Was that out of character for you? Have you ever done that before? You know, I haven't done that before in the UFC. I think it was just me having fun out there. Okay. And uh, enjoying it. So I was enjoying myself. And I was just telling him to get up. And like the referee stood him back up. And uh, I was just having fun. And so you don't regret it? No, sir. I wasn't trash talking. Um, I want to. I want to be out there. I would never be out there cussing at people or saying anything like that. So uh, it wasn't something to regret. Um, obviously, I regret my performance. Yeah. I could have the the two fights I did have lost in the UFC. I should have won those fights if if I would have been the sage that I know I can be. So I just need to work on that. Be calm out there. Don't get too excited and amped up to to rush in. And uh, I should be getting better. The first fight that you lost in the UFC was against Barbarina, and that was at 170. And afterwards, you went down to 155. I was surprised that you went back to 170. Do you regret that decision? You know, obviously, anytime you lose, you learn from it. So, yeah. not that you regret it, but you're, it's a learning experience. And I'll be back down at 155 now. Okay. And I'm naturally a 155er, so uh, that'll be a good weight class for me. So, you're done, you're done with 170 for now? For now, I'm at 155. In the future, obviously, I'm still growing. Yeah. Uh, who knows? It, it could be years in the future, but but I'm still putting on muscle, still getting taller and bigger, and uh, still growing. So I guess we'll see. But right now, 155. And what about Mickey Gall? Was he better than you thought? I mean, you have more experience than him. Was he better than you thought he was going to be? You know, if you watch the fight, you go back and look at it. Everything he did on the ground is just uh, the first round, I defended it. He mm. didn't really get any strikes off. Didn't even really hit me at all. Um, I reversed the position, got on top. I knocked him down a few times. I could have gone on top of him and showed my jiu-jitsu. The one time I did rush in in the second round, sure, he got to my back. That was great jiu-jitsu. He has good jiu-jitsu, obviously. And uh, he had a rear naked choke in. So you know that once the choke gets in, it's very hard to defend. And uh, anybody can say that. So I just need to work on my jiu-jitsu, keep improving that and making myself better and be calm. 
Um, he he said afterwards that like you know he wanted to talk to you in private about maybe the build up to the fight and things like that. Did you guys ever converse? Did you clear the air with him because he did say some things. He kind of attacked you um, as a person. Did did you guys have an opportunity to clear the air? No, sir. I never saw him again afterwards. Um, he he did say some some rude things and it was very disrespectful to me. And I'm not sure how other people saw it, but no, sir. I never got to see him again. Do you feel like he crossed the line with some of the things that he said? You know, some we're, we're in the sport of mixed martial arts. So some fighters talk trash, some don't. And uh, it's not going to hurt my feelings, obviously. I, I don't take it for granted. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not taking it as being, wow, that hurt me, that I really got underneath my skin, that messed with me. Really, I just I just don't even listen to it. I shake it off and it's, it's not important to me, but... But sure, it was disrespectful. Mm. Um, afterwards, also, speaking of the internet exploding, um, there was this picture that circulated of you talking to the Diaz brothers. What did you talk to them about? What did they say to you after the fight? Yes, sir. So really, they just introduced themselves. I got to say hi to them. They were super nice guys and uh, got to meet them and, and some friends of theirs. And uh, I, did, I did see a picture online, actually, after the fight. Uh, which was pretty funny. We were all making the same pose. <laughs> so me and both the Diaz's were making the exact same pose. And I was like, wow, that's too funny. What a coincidence. Yeah. So so did they give you any advice, any career advice? Did they talk to you about the fight? Because, you know, people were very curious as to what you guys would be would be talking about after this bout. You know, they kind of mentioned getting some training in in the future. Huh. So uh, we'll see in the future if that happens ever. And uh, they were just super nice guys. So it was cool to meet them. Is that something that you're interested in? I know you're with Tyron and you're very happy there, but would you consider going to Stockton to train with them? You know, that's very nice of them. So uh, I guess we'll see in the future what happens. Wow. That, that should be its own Fight Pass show. Sage goes to Stockton. <laughs> what a show that would be, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, okay, so um, also, I mean... Every time you fight, you're such a popular fighter and the ratings would suggest that. And, you know, this this fight didn't go your way. And then people start talking about your training, right? And they start talking about, oh, maybe he needs to leave the watchful eye of his father and things like that. Does that bother you when you hear that? Uh, no, I mean, it doesn't really bother me. Obviously, my dad does everything he can for me. So yeah. trying to get me the best training to do what he can. And if people saw it behind the scenes and saw what my dad does for me, um, it, they, they would think differently. So he's always trying to, to help me out if I'm getting the best training in this place, whatever it might be. So I'm up here training with the champ, Mr. Woodley, and uh, my dad's happy about that. So um, he's, a, he's a great guy and, and I'm having fun. And to be clear, your dad isn't your coach, right? I mean, he, your last few fights, he, and, and I could be wrong here, he didn't corner you, correct? Or did he? No, sir, he was in my corner. He was. And uh, he is my coach. So he's, been, he's been my stand-up coach since I was a little kid, so... He knows how I move, what I do. But obviously, as, as the future goes on, you're always improving everything. So um, he's, he's always known since I was a little kid that when it's time to be in the UFC and it's time to fight, that you will have to go different places and train because not one person knows everything, sure. obviously. So that's why there's different styles of martial arts. There's wrestling, there's jiu-jitsu, there's boxing, kickboxing, karate. So you're always there to learn. So do you think whenever you get your next fight that you will train with him, that he will be in your corner, or are you implying that you're going to evolve a little bit? Yes, sir. My dad's always there with me in my corner. Okay. Uh, good man. I also saw a photo of you, Tyron Woodley, and the great Freddie Roach from this past week. You trained at Wildcard. What was that like to, to train with Freddie Roach? Did you actually have time with him? Like, Did he actually teach you stuff? 
You know, I got to train with a, a boxing coach in there, but I did not get a chance to train with Mr. Roach. Okay. And he was very nice. I got to meet him and his brother, actually, and they were both super cool. So got to see the gym and obviously train with the champ. So yeah. the champ took me there. What was that like just being, I mean, Manny Pacquiao, so many great fighters have trained out of there. What was that like for you, young guy? Here you are at the wildcard gym. Oh, it was super cool. And, you know, I got to see the gym underneath. So it was pretty cool. He said, Mr. Roach told me that, as Pacquiao comes in and other fighters come in, the pros actually change out the canvas and change out the, the bag colors. And it might be lime green and black one day. And then the next week will be a different color. And wow. it's pretty cool. Um, so I know you're helping Tyron now, but do you have an idea in mind as to when you would like to come back? Yes, sir. Not, not exactly a set date, but maybe sometime in the next three months, four months. Okay. And uh, back, back at 155. So be learning the most I can until then and improving. Have they reached out to you yet about your plans? Like, have they floated any ideas your way? Uh, we're, I'm going to see what the UFC says and uh, we're going to figure it out. So I'm waiting to hear. Do, do you have, um, you know, do you have an ideal opponent? Have you thought about this yet? I, I don't have an opponent in mind. It's who the UFC gives me. Okay. But uh, definitely going to be at 155. Yeah. Five. By the way, when I first met you, we talked a little bit about your sister, and you hinted that she might make the move over to MMA, Pro MMA. Is she still considering that? Yes, sir. She is, actually, and she's going to have her first Pro MMA fight coming up. Uh, I'm not sure the exact date. I will find out because she just told me, actually. Okay. But I'm looking forward to watching her do that, and I know she's training hard. Wow. Do you know what weight class? Yes, sir. 135. Wow. So she's actually... She's, she's my height, if not a little bit taller, and uh, 135, so she's lean and mean and, wow. and a fighting machine. <laughs> and what about your younger brother, who I always see you with? Is, is he going to make the transition to MMA as well? Yes, sir. He will in the future. He's only 17 right now, so yeah. he is training. Uh, he's healing up from an injury he had, so uh, he's getting stronger every day. He's actually bigger and tall, taller than me now, and uh, he's getting huge, so... I don't even know what weight class he's going to fight in yet, but he's going to be a monster. Wow. Um, two other things. I saw that you were at the Bellator fight on, on Saturday, and there were so many legends there. Dan Henderson, Vanderlei Silva, Sakuraba, Rampage. Did you have a chance to meet any you know legend legendary figure of the sport? And if so, which one really got you excited? You know, I got to meet a few of them, actually, and they all got me excited. So I was there watching a, a friend of mine fight who's from Rufus Sport, so... That was really cool, and, and I was there supporting him with Mr. Woodley. Yeah. Uh, I got to meet a few cool guys. I got to meet Herschel Walker, too, which wow. is, he was super Yeah. Uh, he used to do, I, I believe it was like a 1,000 push-ups, 1,000 sit-ups every day. So it reminded me of, I guess, myself, but I didn't do that many every single day. I might do 500 one day or 750 another day, but I thought that was really cool. What's your uh, Mickey Rourke. Oh, Mickey Rourke. Wow. He was there. That was really cool. Uh, the guy from Iron Man, which is awesome. Wow. The actor. Yes, sir. Uh, what, what's your personal record for push-ups and sit-ups in a day? Oh, you know, I can't say because I know as a kid growing up, sometimes I would get down and I would do, I would do a thousand like at one period of time. I would do like a hundred push-ups and a hundred sit-ups back and forth, hit a thousand like right then and there. Wow. And it might take, it might take 20, 25 minutes. It depends. I, I'm not really quite sure how long it would take. It might be faster now, obviously, but uh I, I might do that at one period of time sitting and then do some later on that night. So I actually can't tell you the max I've done. Wow, that is impressive. I don't think I've done that many but, in my entire life. Go ahead, yes. 
But something that was really, really cool was I was at Mr. Willie's house actually last night. Okay. And his kids were there and we're talking about push-ups and sit-ups and his kids pop down and do 500 sit-ups right there and started doing like hundreds of push-ups. Wow. I was like, I was like, that's super cool. So. <laughs> oh, I got to get <laughs> that. was too shape. cool. That is amazing. Um, and by the way, uh, this moment just kind of came out of nowhere online. Uh, with you and the the model Chrissy Teigen, where you're squashing the apple, and then she's tweeting and all this stuff. How we need to get you two in the same room? I feel like this needs to happen. Is this is this in the works at all? You know, I haven't heard anything about it, but I would love that. So if you can set it up, that would be super cool with me. I, I will work on that for you, Sage. What what's the most impressive? You know, like, can you do that to a? I don't know. It, what's harder, a watermelon or an apple? Is it? Oh. I would think a watermelon okay. for sure. Can you do? I mean, I might have to like, I might have to punch through that watermelon because that'd be pretty serious. You can't, you can't squish <laughs> the watermelon. I have no idea. I've never tried it. Actually. Try it. I gotta try, try that. Try it. I did. I did rip a pineapple in half uh, just like two or three days ago. Wow. Is that your so, most impressive that, feat as far as fruit squashing fruit is concerned? You know, I, I, I would think so. So I was doing an interview and it was Fox Sports Live and they had a banana, an orange. A pear that was super hard and unripe, so that was super hard. And then they had a uh, big pineapple, and I was like, "Man, I have to rip this." <laughs> so then I ripped it in half, and it was Holy cool. Holy And did you do? Did, were you able to do all of them, even the pear? Yes, sir. Every single one. So what an inspiration! I got pretty. I got pretty pumped out. My forearms are getting pumped, and I was excited. <laughs> can you do the? Can you do the phone book as well? That's easy, right? Oh, I have no idea that that one looks really hard. You've never done the. I heard there's like I heard there's actually a trick for that, like how you get the air in the middle. So I don't even know if I can do that, but that looks extremely hard. Wow. All right. Well, maybe that's another thing to put on the bucket list. Um. All right. Well, always always great to catch up with you, Sage. I wish you the best. Keep uh keep doing what you're doing, and uh and, and good luck in your next fight. I'm sure we'll talk to you beforehand, but I appreciate you coming on and giving us an update on everything. Yes, sir. Absolutely. You bet. Uh, Thank uh, you very much for having me. As always, there he is, the one and only Super Sage Northcutt. Great stuff from him. Coming off that loss to Mickey Gall, but hey, if we can learn anything from Sage, it's uh, keep your chin up, remain positive, better times are coming, right? Like that song, Mama told me there'd be days like this. This guy doesn't even have days like that. I mean, it's just amazing. The silver lining that he has on life is just, uh, is actually inspiring. And a pineapple, are you kidding me? That is unbelievable. I have no doubt that Sage Northcutt has done more sit-ups and push-ups on, you know, a random day than I've done in my entire life. Like, if, he, if he's talking about, like, 500, something like that, he's, he's probably done more on that random Wednesday than I've done in my entire life. What a guy. And I do think that it is good that he is going back down to... I was surprised when... When Mickey Gall called him out, I was like, okay, this is a great fight, but he just fought at 170 against Barbarina. Didn't go his way. Didn't look great. This is not going to happen. And then he goes up to 170, and I'm not suggesting that that's the reason why he lost the fight. In fact, if you go back to the fight, he looked really good early on. But I do think going back down to 155 is... um, is better for him in his career. Okay, let's move along. You saw him. He made a brief cameo at the beginning of that Sage Northcutt interview, but now we are officially being joined by the UFC welterweight champion, Tyron Woodley. There he is. Tyron, how are you? 
I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing great. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We have a lot to talk about, but first let me ask you this. What is it like, truthfully? You spend so much time with Sage now and people are fascinated by him. What's it like? What's it like just hanging out one-on-one with him? Man, you know, you don't believe it until you're around him. You know, someone can eat that clean, someone can train that way, and, you know, everything he does is purely systematic. You know, he's a great kid, and some people think it's fluff and he's just doing it for the cameras, man. He's like that every day, all day. He calls me Mr. Woodley. And, um, you know, part of me want to be like, man, don't call me Mr. Woodley anymore. But, you know, I think our sport has lost the respect. He's lost the honor. And um, I don't want to take that away from him. So if you want to um, carry on with some of the traditional respect that the martial art brings, uh, I'm not going to be the person to tell him not to. You know, he had my sons in the living room doing hundreds of push-ups and hundreds of sit-ups and burpees and 300-second planks. And now they're all like, hey, you know, I want to eat a metabolic meal for breakfast. And, wow. you know, we need to do workouts as a family. So, I mean, he, he might have got adopted his big brother today. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, look, in this day and age, we can use good role models. And there's nothing bad you can yeah. say about the kid. So, um, let him keep doing his you thing. You know, he's been a good role. Like, surprise, I, mean, I don't think he realized. But um, there's a lot of ways about myself that, you know, I feel like I need to get back in alignment. You know, I feel like... You know, just being in the game, being around so much stuff and, um, you know, having to go through so much. I feel like some of my ways I've kind of been um, kind of slipped in, you know, and he gives you that, especially spiritually. You know, I feel like I've kind of slipped spiritually in certain areas of my life and just being around him and you feel bad swearing. You feel bad, you know, um, doing things you shouldn't do. So he's almost been. Uh, a bit of a role model to me to get myself back on track. Wow, that is great to hear. Um, okay, let's talk about you. Uh, no secret, it has been an interesting you know, few days for you um, ever since that no. media tour started with the ESPN interview and then a few others afterwards. Let's start with this. Do you regret anything that you've said over the past few days? You know, it's funny. And, and before we even start, because I know we're going to get into this, I want to just make sure everybody know that one, Wonder Boy has never said anything or done anything racist towards me. I do not think Wonder Boy is racist himself. And also make sure you check us out, Fight March 4th, yes. um, 2017, to the UFC 209. We'll be getting down in um, Las Vegas, uh, buy it on pay-per-view. So I want to make that clear. And I, I looked at the video before you called me because I wanted to make sure. This is a sensitive subject. A lot of people aren't going to like it. I can explain, so I'm blue in the face. Some people still would never agree with me. They would still think that, you know, I'm playing a victim. But I had to watch, and just a facial expression that Wonder Boy was having when we were doing the interview, he was looking a bit puzzled. He was looking like, I don't know where he get, he's getting that from. So I'm not saying that he, he won't understand it. He won't get it because it's not him. Yeah, I'm not saying it is him. And and a part of the problem is um, individuals. You know, Sage is a perfect example as well. You know, we picked Sage up from the airport on Martin Luther King Day. We went down Skid Row and we we looked at you know just you know how blessed we are and, and that man everything is not that bad. You know, we we think things are so bad for us and I'm like this is bad, man. And we really was counting our blessings and you know we went to watch. Birth of a nation together. I know it sounds crazy, but he walked out of there mad because he didn't realize those things happened. Mm. He was like, why did they do that? I'm mad. So I feel like Wonder Boy is in that same category. He himself, his family, and probably the people he surrounds himself has probably never participated in racism, never treated someone differently because of their, their gender, their race, or, or their background. But that does not mean it does not exist. Mm. And I think what we have is we have individuals who have not participated and individuals who have not done it themselves. So since they have not, 
they feel like it's not happening. Oh my God, race slavery was so long ago. Oh, it's 2017. We have a black president. Racism doesn't exist. How can it exist in this state? Oh, look at all this money that these athletes are making. So I watched it clearly, man. I wanted to. I wanted to find something that was wrong. I wanted to find something that you know I fabricated. I threw up. But I honestly, man, I stand by my words. Okay. I, I don't feel like anything was wrong. Anything was incorrect. Okay. So when you say that you feel like if the complexion of your skin was was different, that the fans would treat you differently. You know, that that is a very eye-opening statement. I mean, you have to pay attention to that. It would be ignorant not to. And I said on my show on, on Thursday, the MMA Beat, that it would probably help you if you cited some examples, not only with this statement, but also when you say that you're the worst treated champion in UFC history. And I want to put that one aside. I want to get to that in a second because they're not maybe necessarily the same. Maybe they are. But are you able to give us examples as to some of the things that have happened to you, you believe negatively because of the color of your skin? You know, um, I have to think about this and I'm going to be honest with you, Area. This is the first time I've ever did an interview and I took down some notes because... I want to speak from the heart. I want to be real with you guys. But there are certain things that it does not make sense for me to bring up. Okay. There are things that have been obstacles in my life, but I've overcome those obstacles. And me bringing those things up will make it seem as if I'm complaining. Okay. And everybody's waiting on me to be the race baiting or the race car player at a play. But if you look at the history of our sport, and it's not even our sport, the history of the American culture. Mm. Certain things are subliminally braces that people don't understand that are racist. When you say to me, Tyron, you are well-spoken, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm well-spoken comparable to all the mixed martial artists, the 500 UFC fighters on the roster? Or does that mean as a black male in America, you're pretty well-spoken comparable to other African-Americans? What does that really mean? People say that don't even understand what it means. When you say that I'm a freak athlete, does that mean that I don't work hard, that I'm I'm going to fade in the later rounds, that I don't have great cardio, that I don't have a great skill set? It, it comes off to me as that, man, you're a strong person. It's almost, uh, it's almost sound barbaric like that, hey, you know, you're strong, you can knock people out, but if it gets to the later rounds, you might get tired, you might fade, and all those mus muscles come with, you know, uh, come at a cost. So I think that the mindset of the American public we subliminally are insensitive that these things take place. We're insensitive to the fact that some people are discriminated on. And not black and white. You know what I mean? Uh, a buddy of mine just left, a, um, just left here a second ago. We were talking about this. Uh, a, a big sponsor and a big you know, supporter of me. He said, in my restaurant. You come into my restaurant and people come in with their pants hanging down. And they come in, I want to use the bathroom. This is America. I can use your bathroom. He said, you know, calm down. And they immediately say, well, I'll kick your Chinese butt. And he's not even Chinese. He's Vietnamese. But he mm. said, I have to endure that. And guess what? I do it with a smile on my face. This is what I love. I'm living the American dream. You know what I mean? This is, I didn't speak English. I was made fun of. I was picked on. I had to learn Taekwondo to learn how to fight. But now I'm living the American dream. Does he come up every single day and talk about the things that he went through in high school and people making fun of him, picking on him? No. He talks about his relationship now. His, his peers now. So it's not that it's in MMA fans. It's the American public. Mm. And those American public just so happen to want to take, um, pay attention to the most 
fastest growing, most important sport in America right now, which is mixed martial arts. So those fans have came out and brought those same ideology into our sport. They look at African-American athlete, and not only just that, not only just the fans, the judges. You might have a judge that can be looking at me and waiting on me to fatigue, waiting on me to tire. I've listened to you know people broadcast my fights, and I completely steamrolled Carlos Conner in the first round. And the broadcaster says, let's watch the technique of Carlos Condit and the cardio of Tyron Woodley. Why would you paint that picture when I completely dominated this individual around? Why not watch the butt whooping that he just laid on my man and see if he can do it again for the second and third round? So the perception is there. And I think it's indirect most times, but sometimes it's blatant. So a lot of the fans have said to me, well, okay, Tyron is saying this, fine, but what about Anderson Silva? What about John Jones? What about Rampage Jackson? There have been black stars in MMA. Why is he different? What is your response to that? Well, it's, not, it's, it's not that I'm different. It's the fact that I'm speaking. Hmm. I was bold enough to speak on it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm not going to say names, but if I can share with you guys my direct message, if I can show you the calls that I've gotten and the, the text message I got from some of those champions we're even talking about, mm. and also Caucasian Americans and Indian Americans, all these individuals say, Tyron, it's a bold thing you're doing, but I support it. You're right, man. I have experiences, and I'm glad you said that, man, because I've been going through this for a long time, and, you know, it's just a tough spot, you know, and, and I can't really say anything. Think about the, the athlete, not even only African-Americans, just the athlete in general. When you when you when you go out on something so boldly, when you already know some people are gonna oh you're playing the victim mindset, you're doing this, they're immediately gonna jump to that boat. So when you do that, they're scared that hey maybe if I take a loss, I'm gonna be out of this company. Maybe I won't get the sponsorship. Maybe I won't get the opportunity. So therefore, they're fearful for saying it. And I I can be honest, I was one of those individuals in 2016. But when Muhammad Ali died, and I started thinking about what he did, it was never convenient. It was never comfortable. It was never the right time. Same thing with any other freedom fighter, Martin Luther King. And I'm not comparing myself because I know some people are going to take this left field. I'm not comparing myself to the great Muhammad Ali or Martin Luther King. What I'm telling you is that at that time, they did not know they were going to be Martin Luther King Mm. and Muhammad Ali. They did not know they were going to be figures that did so much outside of their field to impact change. They did it because it was right. So I'm bringing, bringing, you know, the lights of some situations that have happened to me that have happened to some of my peers that exist in the sport, not only in a sport, but sports in general, that we need, at least need to bring out on the table. As uncomfortable as it is, we need to discuss it and we need to talk about it. Is this something that has been bothering you for a long time, but now that you're the champion, now that you're getting more interviews, now that you're on a big stage, you feel like, okay, this is the opportunity. As uncomfortable as it may be, I need to, I would be doing a disservice to myself, to my family if I don't talk about it. Because, you know, when you were in Strike Force, it wasn't like this. You weren't being asked to speak so many times. You weren't doing interviews on ESPN, but you also weren't bringing up this stuff. Has it changed over time, or is it only now that you have these platforms that you want to educate people about what you're going through and what maybe some other fighters are going through as well? It's not only about the um, platform. It's the fact that I have three young boys, mm. and you know I have people that are looking up to me, people that are, that are mentored by me that will come after me. And though I didn't bring those things up in Strike Force, and granted. During that time in Strike Force, I was a rising star. I was an up and coming challenger. I really didn't. I, I had the opposite treatment. You know, what I mean, I was I was being catapulted to you know fighting for fighting for a title. So you know, I I wasn't really um, receiving that type of treatment um, when I was fighting with Scott Coker and those guys. I, I didn't I didn't really feel that you know I wasn't even playing field. But 
when I was in, in college, just because I don't bring it up, everybody assumes someone someone said on the internet, oh, what are you complaining about? You got this cushy job behind a desk and you the world champion and you probably get paid well and this but you don't understand what it's what it's took for me to get here. You don't understand what I had to endure to get here. You don't understand all the things that have been thrown at me, many of which I can't even share, mm. that I've had to I've had to address, I've had to endure. Because I don't talk about it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Because I overcame it doesn't mean that it wasn't an obstacle or problem. And what I worry is that what if the person that comes after me? I got three kids. A lottery says one of my boys might end up doing professional martial arts. Do I do my sons an injustice by not stepping up and speaking out on things that I feel are incorrect and unjust in this world and this sport? And I don't use that platform. What is our platform for? Yeah. Is it for me to make all this money and, you know, show bold and talk about how great I am? Or is it to speak to a large group of people all at once, knowing that everybody won't receive it, but the fact that some will, some people might be at home, they might be suffering through the same thing in a different work field. And if they can listen to it and they can say, man, you know what? I'm not the only one that's going through a situation like this. I can push through it. I can endure and I can make it through this. Then it's worth me doing it. It's worth me risking, you know, maybe missing out on something that, that could have happened had I not came out and, and spoke on it. I, I know even for myself firsthand, people have um, written to me saying, thank you for talking about this stuff. I am a black man living in America and I 100% understand where Tyrant's coming from. I've been through the same things that Tyrant is alluding to. So I can't imagine what some of the message you messages you are receiving sound like, read like. Let me ask you this. The fact that you've been talking about it on platforms like ESPN um, and other places as well, has it gotten worse? Because you know, people get uncomfortable with this idea of racism and, and, and talking about racism and then they, 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 they say crazy things. Or do you feel like it's getting better? Do you feel like you are getting letters of encouragement, people writing to you and letting you know that, okay, yes, I, I, I have people who are supporting me. What has it been like over the last few days? Uh, it's, it's, it's been a mixed bag, to okay. be honest. Um, but the people that support me and know me, if those people will come to me and say, Tyron, you're tripping. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. My... my my, my father-in-law called me yesterday, Okay. and he told me, he said, Tyron, they persecuted Jesus. Nobody liked him. It didn't, it didn't take him off his goal. Nobody liked Barack Obama. It didn't take him off his vision, his goal. They may not like you. Who gives a F? Focus on the task at hand. You got a kid that's talented and skilled enough to take your belt from you. He wants to take your opportunities from you and your family. And if you let the social media and you let these topics and discussion distract you and take your mind off the task, he's going to take your belt. Mm. And it got real to me because at the end of the day, I really only have this platform because I'm champion. Mm. If I was a number one contender, if I was something different, I would not have the ability to go out and speak so boldly because I'm in a position right now where I'm the champion of the world. I'm the best welterweight on the planet Earth in the best division in the UFC or any other organization, and I can speak boldly because I'm in that position. Mm. If I was in Warner Boys' position, it might not be as received. You know what I mean? So I agree that some people won't like it, but the people that I found, and, and it's been really alarming, the fighters. You know, some of the fighters, you're a professional fighter yourself, and we wonder why... We have two separate unions trying to develop. You wonder why mm. we don't have the unity amongst fighters as is. But we're supposed to unify together, hold hands, and kumbaya. That's supposed to happen now? 
if I, I, I message those guys, some, some guys I wouldn't even give their name credit to, but I messaged them. I said, if you had a problem with me and what I said, you can direct message me and say, hey, man, as a, as a former athlete or as a current athlete in this roster, I have an issue with what you're saying, man. I really don't think it's race. I really don't think it's favoritism. I really don't think it's um, politics. You know, can you explain this to me? Now, I don't deserve, I mean, I don't have to explain to anybody. Sure. But at that point, they would have earned my respect and they would have gotten a few experiences that I've had that made me come to that, you know, that, 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 um, that stance. But when you go out blamely and you do that, that literally, um, that literally basically just makes me come out of a bag because now that's the exact purpose. When you say, Hey, Tyra, oh, I knew you and Kyle, you was a freakish athlete. No, I wasn't a damn freakish athlete. I was a hard worker. Mm. I was dedicated. I had a strong skill set. I had a strong will. I had a strong mindset. And I wouldn't take no for an answer. That's why I was a great athlete. Not because I had this extra calf muscle and I was extra strong because I was African-American. That's a slap in my face. You know what I mean? I have an issue with that when people say, oh, watch Tyra in the later rounds. I'm, I'm partly glad that the fight went to a draw. I'm glad we went to five rounds. I'm glad I did knock him out immediately because everyone would have said after that that Tyron Woodley probably would have faded in the later rounds. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting a mixed review, but I'm getting a lot of support. And I, I agree with you. Maybe I did need to come out today and, and speak on some of the particulars that happened so people don't think that I'm just, oh, you know, I'm race baiting and um, using a race car. And what is what, what does it mean to use a race car? Area when you think about the race car, what does that mean to you? Or race baiting? I mean, some people feel like when you talk about these things, you're trying to play on emotions. I'm not one to. I've never used that phrase uh, to describe someone in sports or in the public eye. But you play on these emotions. You play on these hot topics to uh, elicit a response out of the audience. So it could be you know a white man talking about certain things about other races. It could be a black man talking about certain things that he's gone through to to just kind of get people riled up inside because this is a topic that makes people very emotional. That's, that's at least how I think of it. Okay. So, so race baiting could be perceived as something that you're purposely doing to try to rile people up and use a race to do so. And maybe a disingenuous way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In a disingenuous way. And the second thing could be the race car could be you utilizing your race as an excuse on why you weren't a lot of certain opportunities and you were not successful. You didn't make it because someone basically held you down, right? Yep, yep. So those are two separate things, yep. but they kind of go hand in hand. So if I'm the champion of the world, how would me speaking on race be the race car? I've overcome those obstacles. Uh. I have made it to this point. Mm. I am the champion of the world. So me playing a race car would be silly. And I feel like I do enough things in my life, being a stunt guy, an actor, a, a, a analyst on Fox, you know, um, a father, a husband, a gym owner, an entrepreneur, uh, someone that gives back to the community, that mentors, trains kids. I have enough to get the conversation going that I don't need to use race to bait in more attention. You know what I mean? I, I know how to keep myself in the conversations. It's not, it's not, it's not rocket science. I, I, it's not on accident. I know how to keep myself in the mix. I don't need race to do that. So when I hear those statements, that's how it feels to me. And it really feels like that person that says that, Immediately, it comes off as insensitive. Mm. Either they're, mm -hmm. you know, like I was saying with Sage and uh, Wonder Boy, they may have never experienced it. They may have never saw it in their life. Because you've never seen it. It's like me saying, hey, I've never went to war. I've never been a, a vet. 
But when if I see someone, you know, walking up and down Los Angeles streets chanting his uh, army chant, I'm not going to be like, oh, man, the war was so long ago. He should have just went to the VA and got help. I don't understand what he went through. Mm. So, therefore, I can't make a stance on what he's going through currently. You know what I mean? Or how to, you know, get him out of that situation. So. And at the end of the day, you probably just want people to listen to you and have an open mind and heart. And if you're saying it, I hope that they are coming away with this, believing that you are speaking the truth and not being disingenuous. Let me ask you this. You also said that you feel like you're the worst treated champion in UFC history. Do you also think that that is because the color of your skin or for other reasons? You know, I'm going to give, I'm gonna give an example real quickly. Okay. And then it'll kind of put it into play. Okay. I had a photographer that was shooting me, um, <clears throat> shooting me for a fight. And he came to me as a friend and said, Tyron, you know, I think you need to ease up a little bit, brother. You know, you kind of you kind of going a little hard in the paint. Maybe you should back up a little bit on some of the statements. And maybe if you were a little bit softer, you would get more endorsements. You would get more exposure, and it can use you more for this. You don't want to have this stance because if you do, then you're gonna put a flag on yourself. Mm. And I said, you know what I said to him? I said, you know, um, I said, okay, I, I'll take that into consideration. Okay, I just left it there. In my mind, I knew that. He only knew probably one twentieth of what I actually went through. I don't speak about it sure. because I don't allow it to stop me. Uh-huh. He came back to me after my fight in New York City, UFC 205, and he said, with tears in his eyes, he said, I apologize to you. He said, I apologize to you and all my years of covering this sport. I've never seen a champion treated this way. Huh. I've never seen a champion been placed in a position like this. I've never seen his opponent or his adversary as a contender advertised so greatly, and you almost seemed as, as you as a challenger. He said, I apologize to you, and now I understand. He said, more importantly, I don't even understand how you've been able to operate this long under these conditions. Wow. You know, so, so me coming out and me speaking about, you know, my treatment. Now, granted, they called me on the right day, the, the the reporter, um, Carrie Champion had some she has a way of getting getting me, um, you know, to say what I what I said. I might have woke up on the wrong side of bed, but either way it go, I don't take it back. It got this discussion out. And the UFC is contacting me. Oh. The PR people have contacted me. Okay. And they wanna say, Hey, we hear we hear that um we hear that you're having this we hear that you're having this um situation and we wanna understand why. We understand how do you feel like that? We want to understand how we can do better. What do you think that we could do that we haven't been doing? What makes you think you're um, the worst treated champion in the sport? What opportunities do you feel like should have been allotted to you um, as a champion that you were not given? How can we move forward? Maybe you can give us your list of things that you have going on, your events and all these different things, and maybe we can get behind it. So the step has already been taken mm. to fix the problem. That was the reason why I'm speaking out, not to race bait, not to get people to argue. But if it wasn't a problem and it wasn't a current situation that exists in a sport, why would my promoter be contacting me on how to solve the problem? Now, hats off to them because they didn't have to do that. They could have said, OK, well, you thought you thought you was the worst treated champion. Then, boom, we finna really make it bad for you. But they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So hats off to them because now we're taking steps to make sure I don't feel like that and make sure no other fighter ever on the roster feels that way. So are you confident that things will change now? Do you think that you speaking up about it on the biggest of platforms will lead to change and 
come March 4th, you know, the buildup, the fight week, there were things that clearly bothered you about the way it was positioned between you and Wonderboy. Do you think things will change now? Are you confident that you'll see that? I mean, the, the biggest, the, everybody's, everybody's waving me down and signaling me, making sure I'm saying I'm crazy. Um, I, I think the biggest thing I can do is go out there and make a bold statement. Okay. Um, we all know that if I'm not the champion, um, let me lose this fight. Everybody's like, oh, see, that's what you get, race bait that, oh. The, the race card didn't help you win that fight. Like, if I lose this fight, everybody is going to basically move on. I'm going to be pressed down to the bottom of the topic of discussion. The best thing I can do to, to empower anybody and to inspire anybody, to in spite of go out there and dominantly take out my opponent, walk away as if I expected to win, don't overly celebrate, don't overly bring up nonsense, but go out there and just show them what I'm all about and show them how I get down. That's the best thing I can do. And so, okay, so now here we are, what are we, uh, a month and a half away. Do you feel, based on the conversations that you may have had publicly or or privately, I should say, with the UFC, do you feel like they are hoping that you lose so they don't have to deal with this anymore? Do you feel like the world is against you? Do you feel like the promotion is against you? No, I don't think that the promotion is against me, you know, and I would hate if they ever just wanted somebody to lose. They're they're in the business of matching up and compelling matchups and fights. Yeah. They shouldn't be in the, um, in, a, in the business of picking who's going to win them. So, no, I don't feel that. Okay. You know, but at the end of the day, I do think that it was important for me to explain. Now, granted, I get, didn't get into the specifics and details and, and exact, he did this to me, and on this fight, this happened, and I didn't get an extra corner pass for this, and then my locker room was like that. I'm not getting into all that. That's petty, and um, it's, it's not going to change anything. The thing is that everyone needs to know that this was not – a cry for attention. Mm. I, mean, I do enough things in my life that I'm gonna get attention anyway. This was a legitimate, from my personal experiences, things that have happened that people that are involved know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. That from this day forward, we're gonna get those things changed. And I've done, like, Eric, you know, I, I, I take my own propaganda in my own hand. I do my own champ life. I do my own champ camp series. I, you know, I do my own podcast. Mm. I go out and make my own opportunities. But if, if the person that's promoting me, sorry if I froze it, if the person that's promoting me, if all these networks are talking about picking up my Champ Camp series and my Champ Life series and major companies want to endorse it and get behind it and they see value and they see episodes after episodes and seasons that we can do this for myself and maybe even other athletes, I'm going to need for my promoter to not be the last one to take notice. Mm. If it was somebody else like the Mac Life, that thing immediately jumped fire. And it's the same stuff every episode. Flashy cars, money, talking crap, got this, got that. That's all it is. It ain't he. I ain't seeing him in a boys and girls club. I'm not seeing him giving back to the community and shelters. I'm not seeing him impact. I'm not seeing him network with other other people. This one has substance that can go far. And I brought those things up among several other issues and blatant facts and statistics. And at the end of the conversation, they were like, "He's right. Hmm. He's right." And that was the end of the conversation. So um, if, if, if it goes the way that I plan and, um, you know, we, we really make these changes, then it'd be great. If not, you know, I, I don't expect anything from anybody. It's my career. I'm going to do what I need to do for my career. And I've always done that. And I'm going to continue to do that. So so I said on Thursday, I said at the top of, of, the, of this uh, show and interview that maybe examples would help people understand where you're coming from. But I, I, I take that back now. I think what people wanted to hear and want to hear is if you're being honest with them. If you truly feel this way, yeah. or 
I, I mean, if they don't feel this now, then I don't know. You know, there's nothing more that you can say. I mean, you could see it in your face. And I'm not going to change their opinion. I'm not going to change their thought. You know, we were free. Um, everybody got the um, the right to express how they feel. Yeah. I mean, and it's someone out there right now. I don't know how the heck they did it, but it has my same Twitter handle. So if you guys are getting some crazy yes. stuff from this person, it has my same Twitter handle, same um, um, avatar picture, same background picture. Um, they do say in a, uh, in a in a bio that it's a parody or whatever. But who looks at the bio? Someone's out there and, they, and they're making it even worse. Yeah. So people have that freedom to express what they want to express. Well, people need to look for that blue check. That blue check right there next to your yeah. name will tell you if it's verified or not. Um, do you feel Do you feel like you got everything out? Do you feel like you you you? I'm look, I'm looking. I'm looking at my uh, notes. It's funny you say that. I'm looking at my notes to make sure I didn't leave nothing. I know I talked a little too much. No, no. Um, but you know, one one of, one of my friends, a kid, a guy named Quita, one that came in from the restaurant, and um, he said his wife, his wife just came from the Million Woman War, okay. Million Woman March. Yep. Um, basically, I realized that it's not about black and white, man. It's about pointing out things that are not right, things that are unjust, things that are not equal. Um, nobody should be treated any type of way, you know, because of their color, their race, you know, their gender, um, their social economic status. Nobody should be shooting. We are human. At the end of the day, I don't walk around thinking that I'm some big deal because I'm the world champion. Society chose that athletes, athletes in our sport were put on a certain pedestal. I didn't put myself there. I don't think my job is any more important than a lawyer, a doctor, a firefighter, a police officer, a school teacher. I think we all have gifts from God. I think we all or put on this earth to do some good. But at the end of the day, society chooses, you know, who they want to make a celebrity. Mm. You know, that's not my choice. Mm. I'm in this sport. I feel like I'm the chosen one because all the stuff I've been through in my life, that's where my nickname comes from. Mm. I feel like God low-key chose me for this, for all the adversity that I had to come through. I had to excessively work for everything I had. And I always feel like I had to work harder than, than the people that were on the other side. I feel like, you know, I've had to you know, push through. I've had to endure. You know, I've had to wait a lot of times and watch my peers be successful and wait for my chance. You know what I mean? And and all of that, I never gave up. I mean, you watched this in Strike Force. I could have crawled under the rock after Nate Marker knocked my head off. You know what I mean? But I came back strong. Every time I got knocked down, I came back stronger. So I think it's something to be said about that. You know, and, and he sat here and he was talking about their experience at the uh, Million Woman March. And he said, my wife asked me, if you froze time right now and everybody had a chance to reset, right, and come back as somebody different, would you come back as an African-American? If you had a chance to stop right now, freeze, and come back to Earth, would you, come, would you personally choose to come back as an African-American right now? Oh, me? You're asking me? You know what I mean? If I had... No, no, I'm not asking okay, you directly, yeah, but I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if, I had, if, I, if I had 20 people in a sure, room, sure, sure, how sure. many people would say, I choose to come back as an African-American? I hear you. I hear you. You know, no better you know, time. No, better, that's a strong statement. Right, right. Uh, absolutely, no better time than now to talk about this stuff. And I know that people like to use sports and as an escape valve, and they kind of feel uncomfortable and maybe upset. Oh, don't bring these real life issues into our sports. But guess what? Sports involve real people with real lives, with real issues. And uh, and and like I said, I give you a lot of credit for. It, it takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of guts to talk about this stuff because, you know, in this day and age, people are very accessible to you and they could say a lot of things, hurtful things. And um, I commend you for, for going out and, and telling us about what you've experienced and, and speaking from the 
heart. So good on you, Tyron Woodley. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you clearing the air. I appreciate you talking about this stuff. And uh, and I hope that you are not deterred by a few messages here or there. I hope that you continue being real and telling us how you really feel. I think a lot of people respect that from you. All right, make sure you guys, UFC 209, March 4th, buy the pay-per-view. I will go out there and put a whooping on my man, Wonderboy, and we will make this statement even stronger. All right. All the best to you, Tyron. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. There he is, Tyron Woodley, the reigning defending UFC welterweight champion. Uh, Like I said, I I know how people feel when real life blends into sports. I know how it can be, um, but you got to give the guy a lot of credit for speaking from the heart and and not being afraid of backlash or Twitter messages, hateful messages. Um, It's important to talk about these things in particular because only he knows what he's been through. Only he knows how he truly feels. And uh, if there's one thing you could say about the man, at least in my opinion, how I perceive him is that he is very honest, very real, high moral, um, you know, uh, high moral uh, values, ethics, standing, good father, husband, all these things and more. So when someone like that is is talking, uh, you got to listen. You have to listen. Even if we haven't been through it ourselves, it's, it's, it's important to listen. All right. Uh, let, us, let us move along now. Um, since UFC 207, uh, there is one man in particular that many of you have asked, the majority of you, I should say, have asked to be on this show. An overwhelming amount of messages on Twitter, on Facebook, via email, all wanting to hear from the longtime voice of the UFC. 20 years he worked for the UFC, called the biggest fights, the biggest moments. He was there cage side for all of them. The soundtrack of the UFC. We're talking about Mike Goldberg, who was announced shortly before UFC 207 would be parting ways with the company. You've asked for him. We finally got him. Here he is. Joined now on the phone by the one and only Mike Goldberg. Mike, are you there? I am here, my friend. What's going on, bud? It is uh, a pleasure to have you on. Uh, we've been trying hard to talk to you and certainly respect your uh, your space and position to take some time, but I hope you know how many people have been wanting to hear from you, concerned for you, upset about you leaving the UFC. It has been amazing to watch. And so let me ask you this. Let's start with this, Mike. How has the last three plus weeks been like for you to see this outpouring, this overwhelming amount of support in your favor, the positive messages? What's that like for you? I I don't even know if I can put it into words because all I wanted to do during my career, and I said this on my Twitter, was to entertain the fan, to bring energy and enthusiasm to every single show and to represent the fighters. I didn't think for one minute that I would get this kind of love and support from all over the world. I I knew people enjoyed Joe and I on the UFC. I knew people always said, Ariel, that it's different when it's not Goldie and Rogan. But I never really knew until now how much they truly appreciated the job in which I had done for two decades and the outpour of love and support has been overwhelming. It has been the most humbling experience of my life. And it makes me know deep in my heart that regardless of anything else that I did it right. And I will continue to do it right wherever that next place might be. But it's all about the viewers. And that's really what it is all about. Of course, we have bosses. We know that. Of course, somebody signs our check. Somebody hires us and fires us. 
but it's about the audience. It's about the viewers. And I would have never guessed that I would get this much love from around the world that I would be trending. I don't even know what trending is. <laughs> and I was trending for on UFC 207 fight night. Um, thank you to every single person who has been so kind in the last month or so. It has been unbelievably rewarding for me. Yeah, very cool to see. I mean, I was getting as many questions about you and, you know, the story surrounding you leaving the UFC as I was about Ronda Rousey. I kid you not. It was amazing. People truly feel a connection to the broadcasters. And in this case, you and Joe, because you have been there for so long and they feel like they know you. They have this connection with you. They sit down and, and listen to you speak and tell them about the sport for seven hours almost weekly. And so let's 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 go back to pre-207. When did you find out, Mike, that come 2017 that you would no longer be calling UFC fights? Right around December 1st, I got the news that my contract would not be renewed. And so, you know, I was given about a month's notice and I had a couple of shows left. I had Uriah Faber's last show, which was awesome. I had the trip to Toronto and then of course UFC 207 was my last show. So right around December 1st is when I got the news. Were you completely blindsided by this or did you have a feeling that they wouldn't re-up your contract? How did you receive the news? Um, it, was, it was a shock. Okay. It was a shock. I, I was speechless. Um, I didn't know what type of emotion to have because I was just in a state of shock and disbelief. You know, people love that warm, fuzzy blanket. And that's what you were describing a second ago, Ariel. And Joe and I have been that warm, fuzzy blanket for a long time when it came to the UFC. Everybody gets new blankets and they get new furniture. But at the end of the day, when you cuddle up on a Sunday and you watch football, that blanket on the corner that's got holes in it and it's kind of smelly, but, but that's your blanket. That's the one you utilize. Everybody has a favorite in their hometown. For me, being from Cincinnati, it's Marty Brenneman. It's this one belongs to the Reds. And, and we don't like change. We, we want that warm, fuzzy blanket with the holes because that's our favorite one. The slippers with the holes, the pajamas. We don't like change in our culture, especially when it comes to announce teams. And Joe and I have been so blessed and fortunate to be, and I love the description soundtrack, so blessed and fortunate to be the soundtrack of the UFC for so long, Ariel. That it really was. I was in shock and disbelief for that reason, because Joe and I have been blessed to be so much a part of the culture for the last two decades. And so you said, okay, you find out December 1st, you still have Sacramento and you still have 207 left to call. What was that like for you? You know, no, and, and come Sacramento, we don't even know. It comes out a couple of days before 207. Was it tough to focus? Was it tough to prepare? Knowing that this amazing run is going to end and very few people even know about it, internally, what, you, what were you dealing with? You know, characters revealed in times of adversity, and that's what drove me. And the, the most important thing to me as a professional was to continue to do the best I could do on every single broadcast, to, to not alter my studies in any way possible to not alter the timeline of my voiceovers and when they were due in production, to not change anything, you know, to, to not have any on air effect, to go out as a professional, to have the best show possible 
in Sacramento, in Toronto, and at UFC 207. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, Joe and I had a lot of fun at UFC 207. We had a lot of laughs, and, you know, we made the comment afterwards, and, and Joe said that, that was one of our best shows ever. And you're talking about two guys who've done 200-plus UFCs together. And it just reminded me of the chemistry that we're so blessed to have. And it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in a lot of cases. It was just chemistry that was there. It was never forced. We didn't have to build it. We didn't go to a little school and and work on things and, and have lunches and dinners and go to chemistry 101 class. We just always had it. So for me, it was going out as a professional. It was continuing to do what my job is to entertain the fans and to represent the fighters and to have great shows. And not only to show my character to the UFC fans, but also to show my character to many people around the world and potentially, you know, to my next employer, because as I said, character is certainly revealed during times like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you given a reason as to why, they weren't going to have you in 2017 and beyond. No, not at all. Wow, not at all. You didn't. You, you didn't. You didn't want to ask. You did like just the fact that they said, you know, we're going to part ways. That's all. You know, I mean, here's here's the real situation, and I'm no different than the guy in merchandise or the 15 vice presidents who got let go, or the entire team in Canada that was shut down. I'm not the only guy who was let go by the new ownership. I mean, well over a hundred people, Ariel, and and good friends of both yours and mine. Mm -hmm. I'm the one being talked about because I had the high profile job, but I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, weep because, you know, new ownership came in and I was one of the guys who got cut. I was one of a lot of people and a lot of good people. Um, from the Zufa era that got cut. And so I felt for my coworkers, for my friends, as much as I felt for myself. And I, I watched everything around me, you know, be shattered. It's like, it, it's like, it took 15 years to build this wonderful family. And it felt like it was taking 15 minutes to destroy it. And it just it was a really tough time. And it may still be tough. There may be more to come you know, throughout the UFC family. Ownership changes, it, this is not uncommon with an ownership change in, in anything. It might be corporate, just corporate America. It might be on Wall Street. In this instance, it's a sports property. So I looked at it from that regard. And also, I mean, let's be realistic. You know, what I do is very subjective. You know, going back to your first question, Ariel, I, I, it's about the fans. But it's ketchup and mustard. You know, I, I could ask 100 people about Bob Costas. 50 people could say he's the greatest ever. 50 people could say he's the worst of all time. 50 aren't right. 50 aren't wrong. It's just ketchup and mustard. Some people like ketchup. Some people like mustard. So what reason were they going to give me? And would that make me feel any better or any worse? No, not at all. So, you know, honestly, I just felt respect for the other members of the family that also were released and I'm no better than any of those guys. And so, you know, it it is what it is. Extremely disappointing. Don't get me wrong, but mostly disappointing because our family 
is really been torn. And, and that's what I'll miss the most. Do you feel like this is a WME IMG decision? In other words, if Lorenzo, Frank were still around owning the company, that this wouldn't have happened? Yes, I do. Okay. I think if uh, Frank and Lorenzo, if this was still Zufa, yeah. um, yes, I don't believe we would be having this conversation. And of course, the one mainstay from that era is Dana White. What, if anything, did he say to you upon, you know, you finding out about this news, 207, Sacramento? Did you have it? I mean, you've been with him for two decades. There's that famous yeah. story about WWE coming uh, and offering you a deal and you went back and I thought you showed a lot of loyalty, probably could have, you know, gotten a lot more money with WWE. What, if anything, was said between you two when this was, uh, when this was made official? No conversations, uh, no contact. Um, nothing really, nothing, um, which was, you know, surprising, disappointing, certainly, uh, but nothing was said and, uh, you know, I'm going to live with that. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, what matters to me is my family, is my children. Uh, but no, to answer your question directly, there was no conversation, uh, nothing at all. Wow. Wow. Uh, that is surprising to me, just given your position in the company for two decades. Are you surprised by that? Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. How do you, how do you answer that really? Right. You know, okay. what's, what's more important to me is my character. You know, I, I'm just going to stay strong, Ariel, and I'm just going to I'm going to think about myself and the professional that I am and, and my character and you know, I don't think there's any way to answer that without it, it, it being somewhat controversial or, or, or somewhat angry. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'll leave that one alone. Okay. Um, but, but certainly I will tell you this, that I'm a team guy and I love the UFC brand and I represented it in the way that I was asked to um, for two decades. And of course, you know, about 15 years with Zufa. So yeah, when you carry the flag the way you're asked to, yeah, it was uh, it was somewhat of a bummer, <laughs> to say the least. Right. Um, a lot of the fans were disappointed that there was no tribute, that there was no mention on the 207 broadcast that this was your last show. Do you feel the same way? Would you have liked a chance to say something? Would you have liked some kind of tribute? I, I know it's a weird thing to say, like, oh, I want them to pay tribute to me, but maybe an opportunity <laughs> to say goodbye. Um, I know you kind of, you, you, if people knew the backstory, maybe they could understand when you were signing off, but if you didn't know the backstory, there's no way you could understand. You were talking about some of your friends in the truck who I know you're very close with. Sure. Would you have liked an opportunity to say something? Was that ever on the table? You know, at the time... Yes, I, I think that would have been pretty cool. Shots of me with the late Jeff Blatnick and, you know, young Goldie back in, you know, 1997 or, you know, watching Bellator the other night and watching Tito walk in reminded me of his walk-in right after 9-11 in Vegas, one of the greatest walk-ins in mixed martial arts history. Yeah, at the time I thought it would be pretty cool have a chance to thank my partner on the air, uh, one of my best friends, uh, a guy who I worked with for, like I said, over 200 shows. But now that I've stepped back, Ariel, I'm kind of glad they didn't because what what turned out to be the tribute was everything that we've talked about, everything that I've read and has been posted all over the world for the past month. And you want to talk about a tribute. 
That's the most powerful tribute that I could ever ask for. And, and a lot of that came because there wasn't a quote unquote on air tribute. So yeah, maybe at the time I was a bit disappointed, surprised that nothing was officially done. But when I step back and look at it, you know, from the big picture point of view, man, the tribute that I'm getting from around the world, from the fans and not just the fans, from the fans, from fighters, from members of the media, like yourself, is awesome. You know, there's been so many, I wish I could thank every single one, you know, one by one by one. But I'll tell you this, Rumble is one of my favorite people in the world. And I was talking to him in Toronto because of course it was supposed to be Rumble in DC. And I got a text from Anthony Rumble Johnson about two or three days after, you know, the whole announcement in my last show. And basically said, he said, I've been trying to track down your number for a couple of days. I hope it's okay that I'm texting you. You've always treated me with so much class and, and you've always been such a good person. I just wanted to let you know that I thank you for everything. And he went on to just, you know, make my heart feel so warm. But it was just, it, it was, this is this mean dude who's as ferocious as anybody saying, I hope it's okay that I text you. That right there. Anthony Rumble Johnson's text, that's a tribute. And he was one of many, but Rumble hunting down my number, Ariel, yeah. for 48 hours to make sure he texts the guy who's always been good to him. That is always, that's always recognized that this man is a beast in the octagon, but he is a heck of a human being outside of it. And I've always been a Rumble fan because of the man he is outside of the octagon. And so it's, it's cases like that that have made me smile over the last few weeks and really will make me smile whenever I think about my UFC run and all the great fighters that I was able to interact with and all the great fights I was able to call. So I recall going back to my hotel room following UFC 207 and uh, there's all kinds of hysteria over Ronda and Cody Garbrandt. And <laughs> one of the, the tweets that's showing up throughout my timeline is from your son, Cole. And then there's another one from your daughter. And then there's another one from your ex-wife. And they're expressing publicly their disappointment in how this whole thing was handled. And, you know, you not getting a chance to say goodbye and, you know, just, just talking about their father. And I know from sometimes we're on the same flight and you're always talking about your son and his hockey team. And you're always talking about your daughter. And I mean, I've seen them at events. I've seen your ex-wife at events. And, and I, I was like, wow, I can't imagine having teenage kids and then going online afterwards and seeing them go to bat for me and speak about me like this. And uh, obviously they can't do much as far as changing things, but just to see them talk about their dad. What was it like when you went online, when you saw that, that your kids were actually, you know, tagging the UFC and UFC executives backing up their old man. What was that like? What do they say when, you know, we come into this earth, leave a legacy, plain and simple, right? Leave a legacy. My son, 16 years old, 16 years old. He's a young man. There's no question about it. And he's sitting there at the house, probably at my ex-wife's house watching the show. I'm sure my ex-wife was in tears. Uh, Kim was with me for a lot of years. She traveled pretty much around the world with me. She was part of the family. She was a big part of the family. Uh, my daughter, Kiera, an actress in New York City. But for Cole to do that, to, to take the initiative, to, to stand up for his father, and he, he's a kid 
who's watched his father during the times of prep, during the times of pre-production. He has seen all the hard work that goes into this glamorous job in which I have, which is a pretty cool job in which I have. That was tribute enough for the rest of my life because that's really what it's all about. It's about Sierra and it's about Cole. And Cole was absolutely 100% right in what, he tre- in what he tweeted. Absolutely 100% right. But what warmed my heart was that he took the initiative to do so. And my daughter is a very intelligent young lady as well. And she did the same thing. And I, w- I was on the air, Ariel. I didn't sit there and say, hey, Cole, text something or tweet something or go on Facebook. They did it on their own. They understood the big picture. They're my children. They're my legacy. What matters more than that? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Wow. Well, what was that like when you, when you left the arena on December 30th and now, you know, your UFC run is over two decades. I mean, this is a massive part of your life, traveled the world. What did you do? How did you, you know, how did you take it all in once you said goodbye finally and put down the headset? I, I'd heard from some people, you and Joe were kind of talking for a little bit. I didn't see this, but some people were saying you guys were kind of sitting cage side. How did you decompress in the minutes and hours afterwards? You know, we, uh, we all sat there, the building was cleared, and we actually all got in the octagon and did pictures. Oh, wow. Joe and I had a couple of big hugs. There were tears. There was uh, confusion, disbelief, for sure. Frosty, our longtime audio guy, uh, it was his last show. It was crew Mark Delagradi's last show. Wow. Um, again, going back to the family, Ariel, and he was emotional. And, you know being with my stage manager, Niner, Craig Conley, for all those years, we did pictures. We have done pictures in the octagon in, you know, about 100 years, but we did that night, and then we all went back to the dressing room, and Bruce Connell, our longtime producer, and Anthony Giordano, we all just sat there for about an hour, and we just shook our heads, like, how, how is this happening? How is this ending? Like, you know, back to the shock and disbelief. But we cherished that time together, And, you know, like you said, there were hugs, there were tears, but, you know, there's one thing for sure, and there's one thing that will never be taken away, and that's our friendship, and that's the great run and the memories that we've had together. And, you know, then my fiance Fernanda, and I actually went to get a bite to eat with uh, my good friend John Orlando and his father, Tony Orlando, who is a big fan and uh, you know, not three times, Candida, you know, tie a yellow ribbon. And it was interesting. Uncle Tony, as I call him, when I walked up, big Greek, you know, Uncle Tony's unbelievable. And he, and he grabs me and he grabs my face and he goes, Michael, listen to me. You are an unbelievable talent. And the world knows that. This is going to be good for you. Don't you be sad at all. Because your next opportunity is going to be the best opportunity of your life. And I'm sitting there and Uncle Tony won't, like Ariel, he won't let me, like, <laughs> he's got my cheeks. Like, I can't break eye contact. It's, it's against the law right now. And it was just so warming. And, and to have a guy like that, and I've become part of that family over the last couple of years, 
Tony Orlando, like Tony Orlando, like telling me all is going to be well and, and recognizing that I do have a special gift, much like Tyron Woodley was just talking about. I, you know, I do have a special gift, and that did come from upstairs, and I'm not done using it. It, it was really cool. So we hung out with, you know, Tony and his wife and John and his sister, and we just chilled, and it was a very chill night, hung out with some of the crew, and uh, headed back later. But it, it was kind of cool because Uncle Tony definitely wanted to make sure that, uh, that my spirits were in the right place and that I was more excited about the next opportunity than upset and depressed about what was coming to an end. And then, you know, the next UFC event after 207 is Phoenix. And that's your hometown. <laughs> that's where you live. And I, my favorite all-time fighter, my best bud, DJ. The prodigy. And I saw a photo of you two together, so you got a <laughs> chance to meet up with him, and it's all well and good. And, you know, this was an FS1 show, so it's not, you know, it was it was um, John Anik and Daniel Cormier. You typically have done the pay-per-views and the Fox shows, so... It, you know, it, it, the big change hadn't yeah, quite happened. Wouldn't have been my show. exactly. That's what I, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But yeah. middle of the show, and I don't have, uh, you know, great great vision. Middle of the show, I start to get a flood of tweets saying Mike Goldberg <laughs> is in the crowd. Mike Goldberg is like amongst the people doing the you know the Hawaiian hang loose sign, whatever it is. That's Mike Goldberg. <laughs> like, there's no mistaking that that was you. Um, what is the story there? Because for me, maybe you're a bigger man. Like that happens and 20 years and you don't get much of a reason or a goodbye. I don't know if I want to be there two weeks later. You know, maybe there's some hard feelings. Maybe you need a break. Maybe you need some time off and you're sitting there. How did that happen? How did you end up on camera? It's a crazy story. <laughs> it really is a crazy story. And, and it's funny you say that because my father said to me, he said, I wouldn't have been able to do it. He said, I wouldn't have been able to do it. BJ Penn is one of my, my best friends. BJ Penn is one of my favorite people in the world. And I went that night for BJ Penn. I also went to that fight that night in my hometown to say thank you. Because going back to what you had asked about 207, everything was, was very laser focused on the direct people that were with me and, and back in the dressing room. I didn't get to say thank you to, you know, the Reed Harris's and, and the Joe Williams and Mike, the photographer and, you know, and, and everybody else in the truck. And, and I, cause I didn't see them because at 207 I worked and then I finished. So I went to UFC 207 with my friend, Master McGowan, and we, I was in a suite. You mean, so you we mean went Phoenix? The concourse. You, you mean yeah, Phoenix? In Phoenix. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. In Phoenix. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. In Phoenix, we went around the concourse and fans were great. Um, I was thanking them. They were thanking me. We did it again during the main card. And, you know, we're, we're walking around and I said, I'm going to go down and try to find a seat. I just want to get a little closer to watch BJ. So I just went, this is, this is random. First of all, I'm in a suite uh, with my buddy. And Master McGowan was funny. He said, Ariel, he goes, I never thought there would come a day when I'm helping you get a seat get a ticket to UFC. So my master, who's a huge Conor McGregor guy, because Ivor Scott, he said, I'm helping you get a seat to a UFC. Huh. But I'm in a suite. I'm not in the stands at all. I decided to get closer for the BJ fight, and Lozon, of course, was the co-main. Yeah. Random row. I go down. I see empty seats. I sit down. <laughs> These dudes 
in front. I go, anybody sitting here? They're like, no, no, no. Oh, my God. Where are you going? Where are you going? Random seat. Could have been one in 18,000. <laughs> I see the camera come up. And the lights are on. I know it's one of our live cameras. It's one of the, you know, steady cams where they come around and get crowd shots. So I see the light up. I do the shaka. This is what I'm thinking, Ariel. Okay, they spotted me in the, in the crowd. And the truck is saying hello. They're in commercial break. Because they're certainly not putting me on TV. That, of course, they're not putting me on TV. They're in commercial break. So I'm like, what's up? Because I think I'm saying hi to... You know, my buddy, the, you know, Anthony Giordano and yeah. Jack and everybody in the truck. And then I'm just saying hi, right? Well, much like your phone and your Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. And I'm like, what the? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so imagine the production truck now. So, <laughs> rolls on. They go, take three or whatever to that crowd shot. And out pops Goldie. Hey! <laughs> just think about it for a second it's insane one of eighteen thousand feet one of how many crowd shots <laughs> take camera take seven take any camera other than that right and it was just meant to be i mean it was unbelievable the chances of that happening it wasn't even my ticket i wasn't even supposed to be in the stands i was that dude you know getting past the usher grabbing an empty seat to get closer to the action. And then, you know, the fans were great. First off, you know, what a great guy. He's there with the fans, which I was because I am a fan and I am going to support the prodigy, my buddy, BJ Penn. Second, why isn't he on the floor? Third, <laughs> I hope he didn't have to pay for the ticket. And it just got better and better. Um, and it, it was just awesome. It was just awesome. I just, uh, I just shook my head and I just, I should have right after that, I should have gone and played the lottery. I really should have put some numbers down because I was on a roll right then. I really was on a roll. I, I know it's not the spoken word, but in a way that was your chance to sort of say goodbye with, with, you know, a hand gesture or so, or so to the people on a UFC broadcast. So yeah, that, that is an amazing turn of events. And, uh, it, it was cool to see it, you know, just see that smile. It was, it was, it was amazing. Um, do you think it's going to be hard to watch fights or is it ingrained in you? Will you not be able to, you know, to be a fan? Well, you know, MMA has been my life for the past two decades. And there's a lot of fighters that I'm friends with, that I'm fans of, and that I enjoy watching. And so, first off, no, it, it won't be difficult. It won't be difficult. I might, you know, keep the sound low. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, you know, first off, I'm very good friends with John Anik. I respect the heck out of him. He's a wonderful human being. So, and, you know, there's, there's no, like, there's no hard feelings. There's, there's no, oh, that, that. I'm just, I'm a fan, you know, and, and that's the beauty of it is Joe and I are fans. So, no, I'm going to watch the fights that I'm interested in. Um, MMA is part of my life. I'll probably continue to be in MMA. I sure would like to be. So watching, you know, a certain UFC, it's not going to be like, I'm never watching, you know, a UFC again. Now I might like make the neighbor pay for the pay-per-view, you know, and sneak over to his house. You know, I might do that once or twice, um, and let them pay for the pay-per-view. Um, I mean, I'll, you know, bring some beer or something, I guess, but uh -huh. no, I'm kidding. 
Or maybe I'm not kidding. <laughs> but no, I mean, okay. yeah, it's it, 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 <laughs> actually kind of funny. You know, you know, maybe I will make my neighbors for once. <laughs> you know, it, you know, you go back and when <laughs> when Kim and I were first going our own ways, you know, she used to still like order the pay-per-views and I would kind of laugh like because we weren't officially divorced yet. So I was like working the pay-per-view and kind of paying for the pay-per-view on the same night. So, you know, this time at least I'll pay for, they'll pay for the pay-per-view, but not work it. No, I mean, I, I'm not that guy. And you know me well enough, Ariel. I'm not that guy. I'm going to watch the fights I want to watch. Um, and they're not just going to be UFC fights. I watched Tito and Chael. Of course I did. Mm-hmm. You know what was cool about that? Is they had a graphic of notable wins before the fight began. Yeah. And I'm looking at Tito's graphic of notable wins, and I'm going, call that, call that, call that, huh. call that, call that, call that, call that. Wow. It was pretty cool. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And you know what I liked at the end, too? Because every time Tito would fight with this people's champion thing, I'm like, no, he's not. He's like, the Huntington Beach bad boy. At the very end, the, the ring announcer said, you know, the former Huntington Beach bad boy. And I loved it because he's the Huntington Beach bad boy. Yes. So, of course, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch fights. I'm going to watch one championship. I'm going to watch Bellator and I'm going to watch the ultimate fighting championship. Um, okay. So, people want to know what is next. Are you going to be showing up on our TV screens, you know, in the next few weeks? Do you have anything? Are you taking some time off? What can you tell us about what's next for you? Well, I'm the kind of person who doesn't sit still for more than 30 to 40 seconds. So, you know, the minute that I got the news, you know, I'm already thinking about, you know, what's next? What's the next adventure? What's the next journey? And, you know, where, where am I going to go next? What am I going to do next? Is it going to be an MMA? Is it going to be a return to hockey? Is it, going to be in Vegas, you know, as the announcer for the new hockey team. Can oh, wow. I get on with an existing team? You know, what's next? And there's some great opportunities out there, and I've had some great conversations. And you know, the thing that I'm most excited about is to continue to do what I love, and that's to entertain, to be enthusiastic, to be energetic, and to be with people that some I've worked with before, some will be a new journey. The best part of my time with the UFC was not Madison Square Garden, was not UFC 200. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Those were magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. And when Michael Bisping defended his belt at home, that was sick. I mean, that was awesome. But you know what was better? The first time we went to England and when we went to Abu Dhabi, And the first time I went to Sweden and Belfast in the first time we went to Dublin and the first time we went to Atlantic city in the Trump Plaza. And the last time we went to big St. Louis, Mississippi, thank goodness. And the last time we went to, Oh man, what were some other places, which I'm glad we didn't go anymore. There were a lot of other ones. (laughs) Um, You know, but my point is, is that, The coolest part about my time with the UFC was when the journey was really a journey. When we were were catching fire, when when we were really starting to get some momentum and we were making 
all these major jumps and changes and first show ever in Las Vegas. Like I've told this story before, Ariel, when we first had dinner with Frank and Lorenzo and Dana, when they had bought the company, you know, they spoke and were at this Italian restaurant in Vegas and it's like, any questions? And, and I'll always remember it. I, I asked Lorenzo because I wasn't a Vegas guy. And so he landed, you see all the billboards and all that. And I asked Lorenzo Fertitta, would the UFC ever be on a billboard in Vegas? That was it. That was my expectation. That was my highest hope. And he said, yes, yes, it will. And I, we were on a few billboards <laughs> and, and still we're on a few billboards. But, but that was the best. Skydome, 55,000 people. Those are the shows that really, when I look back, now that I'm able to look back, those were the ones that were the coolest because the first is always going to be the first. And there were a lot of firsts during my run from 1997 to UFC 207 and 2016. And who knows, maybe in some of these other places, some of these other stops, I'll be able to catch that journey on the upswing and experience some of those, you know, some of those moments that I just described to you on my UFC run, some of those moments on another run with somebody down the road, because those were very, very special times. So fair to say right now, you're, you're not able to tell us what exactly is next. That would be correct. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and you're, you're still open to remaining in the sport in some capacity. Um, as I I know, I mean, you, you mentioned the Las Vegas thing, the hockey thing. Wow. What a perfect connection that is. Um, you know, you've called so many great sporting events in Vegas and, and with your background in hockey, your love for hockey, your passion. I remember one time I was working for Fox sports, um, and I was doing, I don't know, some report backstage and I just, and it really had no reason to be in there, but I subtly mentioned the Columbus Blue Jackets only for you. And I knew that you would pick up on it and you picked up on it right away just because I knew you would appreciate a hockey reference in the middle of an MMA broadcast. So that's a phenomenal idea. Um, but but all to say, you are interested, if the deal is right, if the opportunity is right, in still remaining in MMA possibly, correct? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. Um, by the way, for sure. just out of curiosity, did you ever, did you hear from Lorenzo or Frank Fertitta? You know, I, I did send a thank you Lorenzo's way, but it was previous to, you know, my last show at UFC 207. Okay. And I know he got the message because I made sure with his office, um, you know, one of the most rewarding things for me and you're going back to Cole now is Lorenzo sponsored my son's hockey team. Wow. Um, it was four or five straight years and it was a generous sponsorship. And forget about everything else. When he did that year after year for our hockey team, that was something you do within a family. And I'll never forget that because to me, that always meant more to me than the professional part. Of course, I respect Frank and Lorenzo Pertita. Like I respect none other. There's people I respect as much, but man, I respect the heck out of them, especially Lorenzo because I dealt with them for so long and, and I dealt with him in the good and the bad and the indifferent. And I have so much respect for Lorenzo Fertitta and the way he treats people. And certainly I have so, so much gratitude for what he has provided for me and my family. But, but the sponsorship of the hockey team, that was just always different for me. And I felt like he was saying, Goldie, of course I will. You're part of the family. 
And so, yeah, that, that was very special when Lorenzo did that year after year. And we have UFC patches on our jerseys. Wow. And I always say it makes our kids think they're a little tougher. <laughs> I don't know if it does for real, but it makes them feel a little tougher when they get on the ice. Phenomenal stuff, Mike, really. Um, you know, I, I heard uh, a segment on a radio show in Phoenix, I believe it was, and the name and station, the name of the show and the station are escaping me, and, and correct me if you recall them, someone talking about you and paying tribute to you and, and mentioning that he wanted to interview you about your departure and that you told him that you were going to talk to us first and come on this show first. And that meant the world to me. So I can't thank you enough. And it was just amazing to see how many people were excited that they were going to finally hear from you. And even now the messages while you're speaking of, of people supporting you. So uh, I think you should be very proud and, and happy of the legacy and the impact that you've had, uh, not only on the sport, but the fans as well. You, 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 know, you were the soundtrack to the UFC for 20 years and no one could take that away from you. So kudos to you. And please do keep us posted on your next step. I have a feeling given how passionate and loyal these fans are, they are going to follow you even if it's outside MMA. Well, they've been very kind and, you know, they've been, they've been very kind and, you know, I'm enjoying some of the tweets as, you know, the last few weeks have gone on. You know, as my buddy Greece, I, I did a segment on his weekly show, Cage Side Seat, MMA, it's, it's here in Phoenix. And I like what he said, and I sent it to you. We can share that with everybody, Ariel, that, you know, it, it was funny the way he said, he said, I talked to Goldie, everything that we talked about is off the record. He said, when he talks, He's going to talk to Ariel Hawani. I don't like that because I'm competitive, but I respect it. Ariel's his guy. He was there before I started this. It was cool what he did. And I know that it meant a lot to you. At the end of the day, it's about people. Um, It's about relationships. It's about a legacy. Like I said, when I was sick and there were rumors going all over the world, there was one man who wanted to get the story right who wanted to talk to my doctors, who wanted to know the truth, and who also challenged me with some tough questions when we did an interview. And that was you. And I'll never forget that. I will never, ever forget that. You waited until it was time. When I was sick, when I missed the show, when I missed the second fight with Kanan Jr., and I know my doctors got with you directly, Ariel Hawani, you're great at your job, but you're also loyal. And you also have a ton of character, brother. That's why I'm here with you first. And that will never change. My respect for you will never change. And that's because not only did you do the interview, but you took the time to step back and try to find out the truth. When a lot of the world a few years back was more happy to go with the rumors and throw me under the bus without any validity to any of the rumors, not Ariel Hawani. Ariel Hawani wanted to know the truth. And I respect you for that. I love you for that forever. And I thank you for the opportunity to do the interview today. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that very much. Uh, sorry, sorry it went down this way, but we'll be hearing from you soon. And, and please do keep us posted on what's next. I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks, my brother. All right, we'll talk to you soon. There he is, Mike Goldberg. Great stuff from him. So happy that he did come on and that we were able to hear from him and hear his side of the story and very curious to see where he lands. I'm sure we will be finding out soon. Okay, uh, let's move along. Uh, A bit of a late edition, and I'm so happy that we were able to get this done because uh, if you joined us at the top of the show, I was talking about the Chael Sonnen and Tito Ortiz fight, and I was talking about the... uh, 
the theories as to whether or not it was fixed, it was fake, it was scripted. And I did mention several times Dan Hardy. Now, I know a lot of you tweeted Dan Hardy, and I appreciate that very much. And I hope you told him as well that I said I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. And that's why his comments grabbed me and why I focus so much on them because of who I think he is as a martial artist and his background. But that being said, I do think it's important to talk and I do think it's important to hear someone's point of view. So I wanted to have him on the program now, as I said, a late edition to speak about this very subject. So here he is, Dan Hardy on the phone. Dan, are you there? I'm, I'm here. Are you good? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for joining us again. Um, okay, so this is a fascinating topic, Dan. I don't know if you heard the top of the show, but that's in a nutshell what I said. But I did say this also, Dan. I did say this. I said that I thought that it's it's a very serious accusation. If someone fixes a fight, if someone is caught scripting something, you know, a combat sports match, you could go to jail. It's happened before. Not only are you no longer able to promote you'll go to jail. It is an offense. It's a crime. And I said that unless I have facts, information, conversations, I I don't feel comfortable going there. And I do think it's somewhat reckless to go there. And the tweet that got my attention was, the Bellator 170 main event was more choreographed than a Britney Spears music video. Shame, really. It might have been a fun fight. That's what you said. And what I said on the show, I just, I just want to put all the cards out. To be fair to you, I said on the show, it's not like you said it looked choreographed. You said it was choreographed, that it was a fact this was choreographed. That's a very serious thing to say about a fight, is it not? Uh, yeah, I suppose it is. I suppose it is. I mean, you, you've got to understand I was being factuous at the time. It was a, it was a, a rather flippant comment, but watching the whole build-up, and, and I'll give you exactly my perspective from, from an analyst's point of view. Please. I saw, I saw Chel Sonnen tell this, this, this awesome story about how much it meant for him to beat Tito, you know, and the whole, the whole family thing came up, and, you know, it was a, you know, the, on, on your podcast last week, I listened to it, it was a real impassioned speech about how important it was. But at the same time, he also spoke about, you know, how training camps get more difficult, and, you know, is he too old? That's the question. The, the great quote that he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher it. It was something to do with, you may not be done with the sport, but the, the sport may be done with you. Mm-hmm. Great quote. Mm-hmm. So all of that going into the fight, I was expecting him to show up and just to show grit and determination and heart and give it everything he's got. And Tito came out looking in great shape. And I, I was expecting him to give it his best because Tito looked like he'd come for a fight. No doubt about it. Now, when I first watched it the first time around, I didn't see the controversy of the, the little tap. I don't know what that was. And I'm not suggesting that Tito had anything to do with this. Tito looked like he was celebrating like he just <laughs> won his UFC belt again. So I think Tito was, was all in. My question is whether Chael Sonnen went into that fight with with the intention of giving it everything he got because that was that was the story that he sold everybody and that was what i was so disappointed with now w- when he got in there and and i mean he gave a, a, a very very basic single leg takedown which even me with awful takedown offense could have stopped and i know tito's the bigger man but chel's been watching him for his whole career they've been he'd been planning on fighting tito for his whole career so surely he would have prepped for that second of all i mean just the progression that he, that he allowed Tito to get to, to mount, and then the lack of defense of the arm. And it, I mean, there was no hand fighting at all. And then the finish of the, of the choke was like, it wasn't even a face bar. It wasn't around his neck. It, it, you know, if, if you put your own head in that same position when you watch the fight, 
you can see that there's a there's a space. It's on the on the right side of your face, between your right side of your face and your right shoulder. And anybody that has been in that in that situation and has felt that position knows that it's uncomfortable. Yes, but it's not a choke and it's not a tapping position. And to have arms spare and to not be doing anything with them, just just shows it. Well, it, it shows me one or two things. It shows me that either showed up to, to the fight without the intention of actually giving any effort or that we've seen a guy that's been competing throughout his whole career on performance enhancing drugs and this is the first time we're seeing him without so not only has he not got the artificial testosterone but his body's now not producing the, uh, the, the natural testosterone as much so his motivation's bottomed out and he just he got in there and realised that he no, no longer wants it and, and that they're the two conclusions that I come to, and I don't know which one's more disappointing because I was really excited to see him have a few more fights. I mean, you know, there's talk about Vanderlei Silva out there and stuff, but if that's the version that we're going to see, I'm just not interested. I'd rather see Tito come back and have some more fights because he looked like he was in better shape and up for the fight. I'm so happy that we're able to talk about this because, of course, you could say a whole lot more in a conversation than in a tweet, 140 characters. But being as well-spoken as you are, can I retort with this? Given that response, should you have probably tweeted, looks like Chael, doesn't look like himself, three years out of the game, off testosterone, off steroids, looks like Chael may have thrown the fight, had no interest in winning the fight, wasn't himself, was a shell of his former self, as opposed to the word choreographed, which then makes it seem like Tito and Chael are in on it, and who knows who else. There's a big difference between what you said and that tweet. Is that not fair? Oh, yeah, you're very right. And, and the first time I watched it, that was the first thing I saw, and I was so disappointed, and I was making a flipping comment, yeah. And, and may, maybe it was a little reckless in the position that I'm in, but I mean that's that's the whole point in Twitter is that you kind of throw random comments out there and <laughs> and start a conversation, and that's exactly what this has done. Now, having watched it and gone over it and been thinking about it since it happened, I've, I've deconstructed it and taken it apart, and I have a very different perspective of it now. And it, and it's it's nothing to do with Bellator or Tito. It's just Chael just showed up without any effort in him. And I've just, I'd never seen that before and I never expected it. And I was so disappointed, you know? I mean, to, to quote Nick Diaz, he sold his wolf tickets. I mean, like, we were all convinced that this was going to be a great fight. I mean, all the talk, he's such a good politician and this is why I like Jay. I mean, I find him a fascinating character. You know, as a case study for a psychologist, it would be fascinating. I would read that book. But the, the art of, of politics is what he brings to mixed martial arts. And he's, he's able to sell people a story that is believable, but not necessarily true. And, and I'm, I'm, when I first watched it and I saw his performance, my, it was a flippant comment, but I was disappointed because I bought into it. That's the truth. That's, oh, uh, I bought into it. I, I, I expected more of him. I thought he was going to show up like he wanted to fight and he should look like, like an old man. You know? I mean, my perspective, when, when Bellator brought him in, was that he wasn't necessarily there as a star athlete because he's 40 sure. and you know, I mean, and he's only just passing drug tests. I mean, he was making jokes about this on your podcast last week. Yep. So people say that I'm reckless for, for making a tweet like that. I think it's reckless. The main event of a Bellator fighter uh, for, for the main event of a Bellator fight to have one half of the main event joking about this being the first time he's passed a drug test. That's unnecessarily flippant in my opinion. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, you know, th- th- there's a point where, where, you know, the lines are becoming blurred between pro wrestling because of this politics um, um, vibe that he, that he brings to the sport, you know? Like, it's just, like, are you going to show up and fight? Because you sound like you're going to. You talk the talk. But then he just, you know, he just rolls up and rolls over and, and, and chokes to a, to a half-squeezed face bar, you know? I mean, I, I want to cry for him. You still there? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, so I heard a click, so I didn't know if you if you um, if we lost you. So is is it fair to ask you this and to have you clarify this as much as possible? Because again, you know, I have the utmost respect for you and 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 what you've done in this sport and what you continue to do. Is it fair to say that you don't believe Bellator fixed this fight? That Tito was in on it? You feel like Chael's performance? And maybe it's like those those Us Weekly magazines. I don't know if you know them when they say stars. They're just like us fighters. They're just like fans. You can be emotional. You can tweet something while it's happening. But is it fair? Going back to what I was talking about, because I was only talking about your sort of, I guess, for lack of a better word, accusation that this was a fixed fight that can lead to you know prison time. Is it fair to say that you don't believe that Bellator Tito were in on this? That this was maybe your disappointment in Chael coming through? No, no. You know, another thing. I, I, no, I don't think so. I don't think Bellator had any, anything in on this, and I don't. I don't. I'm not necessarily saying the fight was 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 any, contrived in any way. I mean, I, I'm just. That was my first reaction when I saw it because I okay. couldn't think of any other way that Chael would have rolled over like that. And 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 then given my perspective of of the fact that Bellator brought him in basically as a mouthpiece to draw in an audience. But I, don't, I just never got the impression that they were, they were expecting him to do anything athletically. I mean, he's 40 years old and he's, he's, he's been retired for a time. So I just, from my perspective, it just seemed like he was there to kind of give Tito this big boost. You know what I mean? And it just looked like he, he didn't want to fight. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying that Bellator were in on it and I'm not saying that Tito was in on it. And to be honest, what I'm seeing now, after, after watching it a few more times, probably 20 or 40 times, <laughs> Tito kept that, that squeeze on a bit too long, and this was discussed um, at the press conference. Now, I know if I was in that situation, and this is the same if, if somebody taps to strike, and the, the only time you will have to drag me off for an, an opponent is if they are conscious and tapping to strike, because I think it's despicable. Find a way out of it, or... I don't know. Just don't tap to strikes. It's, it's just, you just, I just, unless you're actually physically injured, don't tap to strikes. And in a situation like that, where you've got a half finished submission and you're squeezing and the guy's tapping, if I was Tito, I would be annoyed at Chael because he sold Tito this story that he was going to show up and give him a good fight. And Tito showed up ready. He looked like he was in as good shape as he did when he, when he, when he was fighting in, in the UFC in his prime, if not better. I thought he looked leaner. I thought he looked quicker. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it, so I, I think I think there was a, an element of disappointment for Tito there that he was giving up so quickly because he squeezed that that on a bit a bit tighter when he was tapping. I'd have probably done the same thing if if I knew the guy was tapping and he wasn't really hurt. So few people know exactly what goes on in there. Have felt it. Have been there. You are obviously one of them. Can I ask you this? I haven't been in a professional fight, so I don't know truly what that feels like with the world watching, with the cameras, with the lights. But I did see the fight, and I will admit my first thought wasn't that it was fixed. I was like, ah, Chell just didn't look like himself. I mean, he looked obviously a little bit out of shape. He was rusty three years, etc. This was a big deal for Tito, wanted to go out on top. When, when, when I've seen, and I know you have as well, rear naked chokes that aren't quite sunken in, you know, arm under the chin, 
applied perfectly, but sometimes weird things happen, guys tap, maybe they're rocked from a previous puncher, they're injured, and, or maybe it's just the pressure on the jaw. And I looked at Chael's face after going back and, and rewatching, and it seemed like it was turning purple. He was out of breath. Now, I don't know if that's him holding his breath, who knows, but it, it definitely looked like his face was changing colors. Is it is it possible that that was just maybe kind of like a, a I don't know, a, a, a neck crank, if you will, sort of a hybrid of a rear naked choke neck crank. And, you know, he's just kind of out of shape, not as good as he once was, not on the juice or whatever. And he just tapped out of, you know, lack of cardio. Is it is it crazy that he tapped to that? I mean, can you not see at all any sort of scenario where that would affect him, hurt him, leading to the tap? I guess it's not crazy, no. I guess it's not. You know, when I see a guy, it was it Cub Swanson that tapped in a rear naked choke when his jaw broke. I think it was Cub Swanson, right? If I'm remembering right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My memory's not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, when I see something like that, so, you know, from a guy that's giving everything he's got to a guy that's in a main event that looks like he's having his head squeezed, like, yeah, I mean, his head went purple. But if I grab my index finger and squeeze it with my other hand, the top of my finger is going to go purple. You know what I mean? It just looked like Tito was squeezing his head. It, you know what I mean? It, mm. it looked like one of the old Dan Seven... Dan Seven rear naked choke finishes, but not under the neck. And there was a point, in fact, if you go back just before he, um, just before um, he tapped, there was actually a point where he moved himself into the choke a bit further and then turned his chin away. It was almost like he was he was like trying to find a way out. I, it, 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 it's all speculation. It is what it is. But I, I tell you, I tell you what. One thing I do know: when you've had some experience of, of being in there and, and of feeling a fight. Whether you're involved in the fight or not, or this is at least for me anyway, I watch a fight and I can feel what's going on in those fighters' minds. I know what they're feeling. I know what their emotions are. And I know where their head's at. I can look a fighter in the eye and I can tell you when he's given up. And I can tell you when he's fired up and when he's ready to go. And in Chael Sonnen's eyes, from the start of that fight to the finish, he just wasn't there. Mm. He just didn't want it. I maintain, though, that that's different than choreographed or fixed, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ariel, if it'll make you happy, I'll delete the tweet. No, no. It's in, <laughs> no, no, it's in but tweet. look. You know, what, what, to follow up, a sure. tweet that I, I sent out a little, a little while after was that I understood Meryl Streep's comment about the acting being really poor. You know what I mean? Again, <laughs> sure. being flippant, you know what I mean? But it's, it, it seems apt because that seemed more like a performance than a fight from Chell to me, you know, which yeah. goes into the whole pro wrestling you know, being a, being a, a mouthpiece, a politician, and playing the game, you know? I hope it's... And then, and then, when, and, and then the other thing is, well, when, yeah. when you look at the purses that come out, and I see you got paid 50 Gs. That's not true, it, by it, the way. All kinds of that's alarm not, bells. That, 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 that's not true, by the way. Don't believe that. Don't believe that. So, 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 so what was his purse then? Did he get paid? Because there was no pay-per-view. It was free on, on He got TV, paid right? way more than that. Way more than that. You know how this game goes. For some reason, they don't like to make these purses public, but I can assure you he got paid well. Well, He's not coming back to fighting for 50 Gs, less than his UFC <laughs> contract, right? I mean, you know that. But okay, so then... Well, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, but, but then, you know, but then that, that, that tells me, when I, when I see that as, as 50 Gs is announced first, then I think, well... He seems more more invested in Bellator then. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's where his his investment is. Maybe it's not. Maybe he's not in it for the financial gain of being a fighter. Maybe he's in there to help grow Bellator, and that's where his that's where his purse lies. I mean, I thought he was going to become a frontman for Bellator, to be honest, because he's the perfect kind of person to sure, do it. Sure, sure. You know, so that that was when I saw him involved. That was my instinct. I thought, oh, you know, Chell's going to become the new frontman, and and you know, he, he's got the mouth. He, he does the talk very well. 
You know, it's, it, it, he's a great promoter. He would make a fantastic fight promoter. Yeah. He convinced me that he was going to show up and fight, and he didn't. You know, and I'm pretty good at spotting these people. <laughs> and 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 maybe that will happen. And, uh, and you know, he's he's certainly he's done it for his own little promotion. I hope you believe, though, Dan, that the reason I was sort of zeroing in on your tweet is because I have so much respect for you because I feel like someone in your position with your background and your current job as UFC analyst I mean these are things in this day and age like there I feel like there has to be some sort of accountability to an accusation like that so I'm happy that we were able to talk about it and and sort of get your true feelings on it because I I feel like that's a very serious thing and and it puts a black cloud over the sport if people are accusing promoters of fixing fights. Now, do you believe, Dan, as someone who understands the showmanship part of the game, do you believe that given their presentation, like I also said at the top of the show, that they need to start taking a serious look as to why this keeps coming up. People accuse the Kimbo Can, uh, Ken Shamrock fight of being fixed, Kimbo, Dada, etc. And, and why is this happening? Do you feel like Bellator skirts the issue too much between like pro wrestling and showmanship at the ramp and the videos and all that stuff and the real actual sport and that will lead then to accusations like that is this a problem in your opinion with bellator i, I, don't, I don't know to be honest i mean it's, it's not something i've ever really paid a great attention to i mean there was always talk of, of fights in pride yeah. being you know yeah. Yeah. being choreographed and on all that kind of stuff and i i, I don't know i mean I saw pride for what it is, and, and like I said, I can tell a real fight. I can see when two guys are in there to give it their all. And even even when you know, even when a guy's in there and, and he and he doesn't want to fight, but he but he knows it's for real, I can tell that as well. You know, so I, I can watch a performance. I never really got into pro wrestling. I did when I was a kid, but you know, it, it, but I, I I left it with the Legion of Doom and the Bushwhackers. So <laughs> I've never I never really got into that kind of stuff. And and I just. When I when I tune in to watch a fight, I just want to see I want to see guys give it everything. That I mean, as far as Kimbo goes, I I used to love watching his fights. He was he was a hell of a fighter, and I did a couple of signings with him for Tap Out, and I I loved the guy. I can't imagine him ever doing anything that was that was false. Okay. Uh, but I, I can't speak for anybody else. Okay. But you know, if this question if these questions keep coming up, then you know maybe it's something that needs to be tackled. I, I, I have to. Be, I have to be honest. When I watched the fight, the first thing I thought was, oh, "Hang on a minute, this is this most weird. This is dodgy." And 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 yeah, I, I, I casually put a tweet out, and I probably shouldn't have done. And this is a, this is a good opportunity to to explain my case and to learn from it in the future. And I will I will withhold a little bit next time, or perhaps perhaps get out of bed and have a cup of tea before I tweet. <laughs> it is, it is <laughs> early you, in the morning. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. If this question keeps coming up, then it needs to be asked. I, I like questioning everything, and I think I think we're you know it, it's healthy to question these things. So, yeah, for sure. I and mean, there was all kinds of videos that came up, and, and loads of people pointing things out about that fight. So it wasn't just it wasn't just me that thought it. There was a lot of people. I'll tell you what wasn't uh, fake or or scripted. That flying knee from your boy uh, Paul Daly. Holy wow, smokes! Right, amazing stuff. You know, Paul's always been such a talent. I've, I've, we used to train together. A lot of people don't know how close Paul and I were. I mean, we used to spar. I mean, I'm not, I'm not joking. Like 50 rounds, we would spar, and because we were both, we both had such good control, we never hurt each other. But every time he connected with his left hand, it was ridiculous. It just feels like it feels like being hit with a kettlebell. <laughs> it's like someone smacking you around the side of the head with a, with a bowling ball. There's just a weird kind of weight in it. The kind of weight that I see when John Lineker plants his feet and throws. You know what I mean? And I've been in, I've been in Paul's corner a few times when he's he's been on the brink. He's been pushing it, like when he fought Xavier Fupa Pockham in London mm. uh, at, at Cage Age. 
And I, I tell you what, he, he was. We were up all night. We were up all night. I, I won't explain what we were doing, but it was a bit of a wild night, and he should have been getting some sleep, and he and he didn't. And he was fighting a very dangerous fighter. And and the start of the fight was going terribly. He was getting kneed. He was getting pushed around. Out of nowhere, just this big left hook came out and laid Professor X out cold. And it's just it's such a strange, weird supernatural power. He's able to connect with it without even having his feet planted very well. And and he's able to transfer it as well, obviously, as you can see into knees. I'd love to see him back in the UFC in the, in the mix at the top. I really would. It's, it was disappointing what happened against Koscheck. Yep. Yep, it really was. Um, hey, last thing before we go, and this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on on very short notice. Um, a few weeks back, you were on the show, told us about your doctor's appointment in January. We're inching closer to February. So do you have an update on your health situation? Uh, I, I've done the testing. I'm waiting on results. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, funnily enough, I did the test today and I was, uh, I was getting tweets coming into my phone as I was driving back. So I was, I was wondering what was going on. Um, but yeah, I, I did the test there. I feel great. You know, I'm, I'm in good shape. I'm, I, I did the stress test. No worries. And we'll just, we'll just see what the results say. I'm, I'm not sure what they're going to say. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do with, with, with the, the, the knowledge either way, Okay. You know, whatever comes back. Um, but, uh, it's, it's going to be an exciting couple of years. I've just I've just agreed uh, another three years with the UFC, so you'll be hearing my voice again. And uh, I'm looking forward to what that's going to what that's going to do because we've got loads of good things planned. Uh, by the way, when you tweeted um, that you were going to come on, some fans thought that you were going to announce that you were going to be fighting in London. They are searching for a main event. Let's just say you get good news this week. Is that even possible, or is that too short of a time frame? No, no, I, I need to do it. I need to do at least half a training camp just to see where my weight falls. Um, right. I, I've been training consistently, but nothing like I would if I was in training camp. And uh, I, I just, I'd like to kind of get my body moving again, start doing two a days again, and, and just see where my weight falls and, uh, and make a decision then. Okay. Um, I, I, I will definitely be at UFC London. I'm hoping to be on the mic. I'm not sure exactly uh, what role I'll be playing, but I'm hoping to be commentating, obviously. Um, and I'm hoping to get a great main event announced soon. We've got some good fights on the card already, so yes, it could see uh, Jimmy Manoa back. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, are, are you happy? Or do you feel like because I saw you, I saw you tweeted, Dan. You said you didn't think that I would call you. Here I am calling you. So I proved you wrong, right? You thought I was going to keep yeah. this going. And I hope you know, once again, maybe I should have. It's hard to get everyone on the show that you're kind of talking about, but I hope you know that it was with the utmost respect that I zeroed in on your tweet because of how I feel about you and your background. So please, I, I, I just want to say that again. Of course, of course. You, you, you know you know me, Ariel. We, we've, we've, we've been chatting for a long time now. We can poke fun at each other. It's all fun. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for the insight. Great to hear from an actual professional fighter on this particular issue. Uh, great stuff, and, and do keep us posted on those, uh, those results. I know a lot of fans are wishing you the best. I will be, mate. Good talking to you. All right, there he is, the outlaw, Dan Hardy. How fun was that? Getting to clear the air and once again proving that uh, maybe not everything can be said in a matter of 140 characters. And uh, sometimes if it's in the middle of the night or early morning, then maybe sometimes things shouldn't be tweeted. Uh, I did, by the way, uh, want to actually find out from a commissioner, from someone who is involved in these sort of things, what could happen if a fight is found to be fixed. And this is from, uh, this is from Andy Foster of the California State Athletic Commission. He said, we would launch an investigation and if confirmed, 
Certainly, maximum administrative penalties would be recommended to the commission, and they may also recommend and request criminal prosecution to the local district attorney. And then he said, let me know if you want the associated code sections in the law. So like I said, very serious. Um, it's, it's, I mean, as far as fighting is concerned, promoting fights are concerned, doesn't get more serious than that. If you just Google, uh, I think it's combat sports, fixing fights, tons of articles will come up. And even recently, there was a promoter out of Vegas, I think, that was uh, sentenced to 37 months in prison for fixing fights. So this is a serious thing, no doubt about it. And then then when you have actual fighters, analysts saying it, then it's a serious thing. But again, I maintain, I don't think that was the case. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the real answer is, it seems like Chael Sonnen was, you know, rusty, out of shape, probably not best suited to fight at 205. And then you couple all those things, everything that he's been through in his life over the past couple of years, personally and professionally, and then you couple that with this being Tito Ortiz's Super Bowl. Tito Ortiz was attacking this fight like he was fighting for the UFC belt again. This fight meant the world to Tito Ortiz. He wanted to go out on top. His kids were there. His 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 uh, girlfriend was there. His family was there. So this meant the world to him. This was his last chance at greatness. And then for Chael, it's him getting his feet wet again. Those two things are, are going to collide. And clearly, you know, Tito came with his A game and, and Chael didn't. I really think that's it. Nothing more to it. Um, okay, we'll talk a little more about Bellator when we wrap up the show, but for now, let's go to our last guest of the day. Very excited to talk to our old friend, Chris Weidman. It was announced on Thursday that he'll be fighting Gegard Mousasi April 8th in Buffalo, New York, home of your bills, UFC 210. He joins us on the phone right now. Chris, how are you? I'm good. What's up, buddy? How are we doing? I'm doing okay. Thank you. It's been a fun show and uh, always good to end with someone like you. Um, okay, let's start with the yeah. fight. When this was announced, a lot of people said... <laughs> Wow, great fight, but we thought Chris would sort of ease back into things after the two straight losses, after the knockout to Yo Romero. Do you see where they're coming from? Was that ever a consideration for you? Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, uh, I want to get I want to get that belt back, and uh, fighting the toughest guys in the division is the is the way to do that. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't take that law, that last loss and and think you know I I need to beat some guys who aren't on my level up. Um, to get my confidence back, you know, I felt like I, I know exactly what I did wrong in that last fight, and uh, what I have to do differently. Um, so I don't need to fight any guys to get my confidence level up. Uh, I'm just as confident, confident as I was. Um, I feel like Musashi is a great fight for me to to uh, get back on a, on the on my winning ways and get closer to fighting for the title again. So, given the options available to you, was this the best one in your opinion? Well, I think this was kind of the only real option. I mean, at first, first mentioned Whitaker, um, and then uh, which we were cool with, and then they said Musashi, um, which we were cool with, um, and it just it was a matter of when when we were going to do it. It was a it was a date issue. Um, I had some things I was still healing up, and I just didn't want to jump the gun and and uh, sign up for a fight that I wasn't going to be. Uh, prepared for you know where, where i was going to be dealing with uh issues so uh, april 8th is perfect i think musashi is a perfect opponent uh he's obviously been calling me out so it's even more a little bit more motivating to go out there and uh and put a beating on him so 
I feel like I'm in a good spot. So there's calling you out and there's sort of implying that you were ducking him, that you were refusing to fight him, things like that. He kind of went on this media tour last week talking about all this stuff. Did you see any of that? And if so, like what, what were you thinking? No, knowing what you know about the, the timeline and the negotiations, you know, the talk, the offers and things like that. When you're reading this stuff, what are you thinking? Well, I didn't. I, I didn't see any of his interviews. I didn't listen to him or, or I don't think I. Might, I don't even know if I read an article about anything he said. I did see like things on Twitter though, so I have an idea of what he was saying, and I know he implied to me on Twitter as if I'm like turning down a fight with him, uh, and which was one of those things like, um, I've never turned down a fight in my life. So right away, you know, my ego starts going in. Like this guy wants me. To, he wants me to like start, you know, cursing him out and and going nuts and telling everybody the truth. And I was, I just was like, you know, whatever, let me just, let me just uh, set this date and, and get this and get this fight signed. And uh, I knew, I knew once he started calling me out on my, in my head, I'm, I'm thinking, all right, this is the guy I want to fight. Now I want to make this guy pay, but I didn't feel like going on a whole Twitter rant about it. (laughs) Um, So I just made sure that uh, this fight was the one that was going to happen. But but at that point, like Monday, the fight gets made on Thursday. Like, do you think his talk led to the fight being booked, or was it already in the process of getting booked for Buffalo? No, it was. I, I didn't know when it was actually. I don't know what date it was going to be, but I, our fight was going to happen. I think. Uh, I don't think there was any. I don't think there was like uh, another fight that I was going to be taking. Um, had no, I don't know if it really had anything to do with the trash talk. It was just. Uh, I think we were two guys the top of the division and uh, who want to fight for the belt. So I think it just made sense. When you were on the show um, a month or so ago, you said that you were hoping to fight in Brooklyn. Obviously, you're not fighting mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. What happened? Uh, well, I had uh, I really did want to fight in Brooklyn. And what the uh, when I got kneed, I got kneed in the, on the side of my head. And uh, it just took a little longer than I thought to heal. You know, you just think like a cut is a cut, you know, I don't know, you can get stitches, 10 days later you take it out, and you're usually pretty good, you know, after that you just got to be careful with it, but because it was a pretty bad cut and it was on the side of my head, I don't know, it took a little longer uh, to heal up, and it, it kept, like, I was training and it kept, like, kind of reopening, uh, not to the point where it's, like, completely open, but it was just you know, kind of, like, oozing and tender and all that crap, um, and I think it's because they, when they stitched it, they did the stitches, I feel like, so far apart from each other because it was in the head, and I guess they didn't care cosmetically what it looked like so they kind of like just stitched together with all these stitches so far apart so i feel like it took a while for it to come together and uh so yeah by the time i wanted to fight in in that barclays card by the time i realized it's eight weeks out and i want to be in full training camp it still wasn't healed and i'm like yeah i just you know i just lost i don't want to run right into another camp and take a fight uh just because it's in new york you know there's going to be a lot of fights in new york and i just fought on one so I just kind of chilled out with that. Okay. Um, and so, I, I mean, Buffalo, not bad. I mean, it's not New York City. It's not close to Long Island, but still a pretty good, you know, a, a, a pretty good fallback plan. Um, and now yep. here, here you are, by the time this fight happens, it's going to be 23 months since your last win. For someone who started his career, you know, on that great run undefeated, what is the confidence level like I know you said that you know you you don't want to ease back into it and stuff, but I mean, do you dream about that feeling again? It, it was so commonplace for you, and now it's been almost two years since you felt it, and I could imagine that's like a drug. How how do you how do you cope with that? Not having that feeling now for two years. 
Um, well, you're the first one to, to bring it to my attention that it's been almost going to be two years. You never April, thought of this? April. No, I don't have time to think about these type of things. I got three kids and I sure. train a lot. Sure, <laughs> that's fair. It's hard for me to come like Google and figure out the dates and all that stuff. I'm bad with dates to begin with, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm very motivated, man. I really feel better than ever right now. Uh, I haven't shown it in my last two fights, so, uh, it's hard to sit here and talk, talk to talk, but. Um, my last fight, you know, I felt I was doing all right. I felt like I was winning the fight in, up until the knee and uh, made a mistake, and he capitalized. Uh, I still don't feel like I fought the way I fight. I don't feel like I fought the way um, I like to fight. Um, so this next fight is um, a lot of mistakes I've made in the last two fights. So this next fight is going to be a lot, a lot different. You know, it's going to be just kind of going back to the old me, ah. being the crap out of people. Have you watched it a lot? The, the last fight? Yeah. I watched it. No, I actually have I watched, I mean, I've seen the highlight of it uh, more than enough. But I've seen, uh, I watched the, the full fight, the, the night of the fight. Um, that night I watched it. Uh, and then I watched maybe like once or twice after that, and that's it. Okay. Um, I know people thought I looked good. I mean, it depends what you're looking at. I I didn't, even the rounds I won, I thought I won the round, round one, and I thought uh, he won round two, um, but I felt like everything, momentum was going in my favor with him getting tired going to the third. I got him to use the wrestling, which is what I, what I wanted. I wanted him to use, use up as much energy as possible and going to the third. I felt real confident. But, uh, you know, uh, it's still, even though, even though there were some good things in there, I still, I still just weren't, I wasn't happy with my performance even up to the knee. Uh, Musasi has enjoyed this renaissance as of late. He's won four in a row in, in, in 2016, um, undefeated, had a phenomenal year, four four wins, uh, especially when you consider what happened previously to that winning streak. I mean, the, the knockout against um, Uriah Hall. Have you been impressed by him? Who did he fight again? He named those four guys. He's yeah. on a four-fight winning streak. Talos Latis, Tiago Santos, Vitor Belfort, and Uriah Hall again. Okay. Sounds like you're um, not impressed. Yeah, well, I mean, no, I just had you. I just wanted you to say them. Okay. No, there's some good. There's definitely some good guys. Um, we could go over and look at my record. This guy was saying I was scared of him. I mean, yeah. go look at my record. Look at the guys I've fought. Um, and so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's an. I think he, what he brings to the table is an experienced guy. He fights like he's experienced. You know, he's very he stays calm in all situations. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make him panic. Uh, when he fights me, um, I, I really feel like it's a great fight. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I got I, I give him respect. I think he's a tough guy, um, and I, I'm expecting I expect a tough fight. But I just I think it's a great fight for me. It's funny to hear you say Gayard panic because he's so uh, calm, cool, and cl- like it almost looks like he's bored when he's fighting. You know what I mean? So you think you're going to bring that out? He's not him? bored. He's he's not bored anymore. <laughs> I woke up. He woke, he woke up. He's, he's, he woke up he, with some bedhead. Now he's all. Now all of a sudden he's just talker. He's on Twitter and just trying to rip apart the whole division. I don't know what. I really don't know what he's doing. But uh, I'm glad. I'm glad he's talking. In the past, the knock on him has been his wrestling. I mean, uh, I think King Mo exposed that. Although he was good off his back in that particular fight and did damage him a lot. Is that something that you're going to look to capitalize on, or do you think that he's gone better overall? Yeah, I think uh, all aspects. You know, I think um, I'm sure he got better with his wrestling. I'm sure he got better with the jujitsu and striking since that fight. But um, 
yeah, I'm going to try to capitalize everywhere. I think <clears throat> my wrestling is definitely better than him, and I think my jiu-jitsu is better than his. So once we hit the floor, I don't think he's ever gone against a guy like me. Um, I'm going to be throwing the submissions, and, uh, and I'm going to be pushing the pace, and obviously the ground the pound. Uh, so, and then on the on the feet, I'm really excited to to uh, put him in his place on his feet as well because he feels like he's really good there, and uh, I'm excited about that. What about Buffalo? Are you going there? Are you doing any promotional stuff there? I don't know. We just decided to fight. I mean, we just got this fight signed, so okay. Uh, I haven't talked to any, anybody about going down there and doing PR or anything yet. I have no idea I what do. the schedule is going to be. I'm sure. I'm sure we are going to be doing something. Um, but I'm excited to be back, man. I'm excited to go out there and, and uh, give my fans a win after two years. This is crazy. Yeah. So yeah, it should be fun. I, I do see you hobnobbing with like fashion types, Ralph Lauren things. What's going on over here? Are you going Hollywood on us? I, I saw you were a, a, for a week in Hollywood not that long ago. What's happening? <laughs> Um, you gotta stop stalking me, man. <laughs> I like to know yeah, what my, I'm, my guys uh, are doing. I'm, I'm training, and when there's opportunities that come, I, I take them. And uh, but my main focus is always is, is always training. I really, I'm, I'm in love with this game right now. I'm loving it. Uh, there was a there was a time period where uh, sparring sparring wasn't as fun for me. I was just like, uh, you kind of going through the motions right now. I can't wait for sparring. I got sparring tonight. Wow. Um, I just can't, I can't wait to, to train these days. I just, I got a whole nother motivation behind me. So, um, you avoided yeah, the question though. Like the Hollywood stuff, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, that's something that I'm gradually getting into and, uh, it's fun. It's a lot of fun, but there's no question that my number one priority is, is, is fighting. I don't get that mixed up. What were you doing in LA for so long? LA, I was there for like a day. So oh. you got, you're messed up with your stalking there. If, but <laughs> it felt like an I eternity. Went, we did a thing for Ubisoft. Ubisoft, I don't know how to pronounce it, but a video game company. So oh. did a couple of things. So that had nothing to do with the movies. Um, but there is some stuff coming up, some movie what? stuff. Whoa, what can you tell us about? Well, I can tell you, I'm going to be on Kevin James' show again. That's, again? Uh, my, uh, my, my character's coming back. Due to popular demand? So, yeah, man. They, I guess the people love me. The people have spoken. Wow. So yeah, I'm going back on the on Kevin's show, which is which was an amazing experience to be on that show with Adam Sandler and Kevin James. Oh yeah. Um, it was so much fun, and um, I, I was kind of like always like acting might be a way to make money after I'm done fighting, but I wasn't ever like really into it. It was just like maybe you know with the connections I have, I obviously have a step up than these normal you know people just going through acting acting school trying to become an actor, you know, I have a lot more connections. So I'm blessed with the opportunity to jump in right, right into these TV shows and movies. But after I did Kevin's show, I, I like, I literally, it was, I, I fell in love with it. It was so much fun. Um, and, uh, we got, there's another movie that I possibly am going to be doing oh. coming up here as well. So there's some, there's some things moving, you know? Wow. That's exciting. Um, I have to, publish- but more importantly, yes. I got a puppy coming on Wednesday. A puppy. That's I got a puppy. I'm going to my, my first dog. Can't, can't wait. What kind? It's called the Golden Doodle. The Golden Retriever and a Poodle. Oh, I know. Though. Is it white usually? Um, I'm getting like a reddish one. Oh. They're usually, kinda, they're usually like the color of like a Golden Retriever or a little darker. But um, smaller. You can also get them in black. You, you can get them in white. You can get them in a bunch of different colors. You got three kids and they're now you're all, adding a dog to the mix? A puppy? God bless you know what, you. man? I travel a lot. I want a dog. I wanted a really tough. I wanted like a pit bull or a Rottweiler or like a Mastiff, something like that. That's what I wanted. But my wife, 
she first of all she's a little scared of big dogs, and then secondly she's she needs like a hypoallergenic dog. She's got, I, she says she's allergic to dogs. I don't believe it, but she wouldn't let me get a dog unless it was hypoallergenic. So I had to go poodle, uh, a poodle mix was pretty much my options, and I wanted a big dog. So uh, and she refused. She hated the the look of a standard poodle. So. I went with the golden doodle. She likes those. So, and they're pretty big. They could get to like 60, 70 pounds. So I just want it more for like protection of the house when I'm not around, make her feel more comfortable. And then also, I just, you know, who doesn't want a dog? I'm excited about this. I got to publicly thank you because um, for the last week or so, I mean, we love, I, I love being a dad and I'll, I'll spend every minute with them. But we, I will admit as parents, my wife and I have put our kids to bed a little quicker than normal last week because we've fallen in love with this TV show, This Is Us. And the reason why I even gave it a chance was because of you. You told me about it. I haven't watched a TV series in years. Maybe the last one was like Friday Night Lights, which is ironic that New York Rick is wearing the shirt today. Um, and I can't get, I averaged maybe five cries an episode while watching this show. I am in love with it. And horrible news is that I caught up. I watched all 11 or 12 episodes last night. We're done. So now I have nothing else to watch. I have to actually watch them with everyone else. But I have to thank you because this show has, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's fun to watch with your spouse, but I can't stop crying. But it's a good cry. It's like a, a thankful cry. It's just, it's just, yeah. it's all coming out. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, I've, I've been wondering why your anime news has sucked the last couple of weeks. <laughs> this is why. You've been focused on This Is Us. I love that show. But it is an amazing show. I love it. Um, <laughs> I'm actually one episode behind right now, so I gotta, I gotta watch that. But what a, what a great show. I agree. And yes, I cry too, so don't feel bad. You cry. <laughs> you average multiple cries an episode? Man. Yeah, in a good way. It's like, it's really, really good. God. I, what if if anyone has not seen that show? If you're a parent or not, I feel like parents are a little more connected to it, maybe um, because a lot of it has to do with bringing up kids and all that. But holy smokes, I'm I'm happy you. T- I don't even remember why you told me about that show or when you told me about it. But I said to myself, Chris Weidman, my wife recommended it. I said, Chris Weidman told me about this show. That's that's the highest compliment possible. I must watch it. And so I thank you. That's right. I, and, and I and I'm actually on the same level. I don't I don't really watch TV too much or, or TV shows. So it was time. Um, yeah, I, I mean I watched break I watched do Breaking Bad. I watched most of Sons of Anarchy. Uh, but other than that, I mean, when you're friends with a guy like Belante, John Belante, I mean this guy watches every single TV show known to man and women. It's insane. <laughs> um, and I just I can't keep up. I, I'm just I just give up. You know, it's even a miss when you're in a house full of kids. Like you, get, you just get more tired at night. Like yeah. I can't stay up at night and like do these type of things. Just watch TV shows because the house is so quiet. You have to be, you can't be, you know, making loud noise. The TV has to be a little lower. Everything's different when you got kids in the house. So I feel like at night, I, I mean, I'm passing out early because just the house just has that vibe. It has like a go to sleep vibe. Yep, I couldn't agree more. But it's a good feeling. I like it. I love it. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. A quick thing before I let you go. Are you going to Brazil to corner him or will you not because it's a month before your oh, fight? Bringing up a sore subject, man. Oh, no. He asked you and you said no? Uh, well, we're in, we're in negotiations right now. It's like the art of the deal going on. Wow. He, he was like, he asked me to come out for 10 days. Whoa. And this is after announced the fight. I'm like, man, I can't come out for 10 days. I was like, I don't think I could come out. And he started like crying about it. He's like, you freaking kidding me. And I'm like, man, it's a month before my fight. I don't think I really could go out. He's like, all right, all right maybe like seven days then. So we're going back and forth. And, I'm, and I still haven't left zero. I'm like, I don't think I should be going there. And my main thing is like, I don't mind going to Brazil, um, you know, for a couple of days and training out there. 
but I'm going to, it's the travel. I mean, like it's basically like two days I'm going to be ruined from traveling and then another two days on the way back. So it's like four days, basically a week out of like messed up training. So that's my problem with it. And uh, I tried to explain that to him, but he's right now we're, we're still negotiating. We're still, wow. have you, you've not cornered him for a UFC fight, right? I, I have, I not ever, like, yeah. have I missed one of his fights yeah. before? Yeah. Yes, I have. Okay. So that's not so bad. When he fought, when he fought in Australia, I didn't obviously I didn't go to that one. And he won. No, he lost. And he won. So that's what I'm saying. Oh, he won. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. That's a good negotiation uh, point. I'm going to bring up. Actually, I think he lost that hey, one. And you win. You win. I'm not there. I think he won no, in he New won. Zealand. He yeah, he beat the who's the kid who takes the pictures at the weigh-ins again. He's a nice kid. Takes the pictures picture, like the selfies at the weigh-ins in Australia. Huh? He Who's beat the kid every two, the two hundred five pounder, the kid he fought in Australia. He takes the pictures of himself. With, uh, See, oh, he no. takes the pictures of himself. You mean? Are you talking about Sean O'Connell? Um, Sean O'Connell? Yeah. When did he? No, fight? He fought that was him New in, Zealand, like Australia or something. That was New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. But, but he did win in Australia. You're right, Anthony Perosh. He knocked him out. Yeah. So actually, I've been to two fights that he's won. I haven't been. I've been I mean, yeah. I, both those fights I weren't at, and he won. So Perosh and, and O'Connell. One could argue that it's probably in his best interest to not have you there. Maybe as a distraction or whatever. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. I think he wanted me just to stare down Shogun. He thought I'd be like really intimidate Shogun. Sure, sure. I'm very, because I'm pretty intimidating. And uh, so he might lose out on that. I don't know if I could get that to him. We'll see. What What about um, Wonder Boy? That's the, we're in negotiations as well. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> We have we haven't gotten into as uh, deep uh, conversation about it yet, but I, I know he wants me to corner him. Um, Vegas. The problem is this: Vegas is way easier to get to. I mean, it's like five hours away. Sure. Uh, but what I what the problem the problem that I give myself is if I do do Wonder Boys fight, I go there and I corner him, and everything goes good. Uh, a week later is Volante's fight. Now Volante's gonna be like, bro. You went to Wonder Boys fight. You didn't go oh, to my yeah. fight. I'm gonna have to deal with that crap. It's like freaking girly drama over here. Wow. So. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I, I mean, I'd love to do both of them. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right. Um, I, I also don't, I'm not good at planning and committing to things, so I'm going to really stress them out. They're not going to know <laughs> that they have a cornerman until like the day before the fight. But is Wonderboy coming to New York to train with you for this fight? Um, that's another thing that's up in there. What is going know. on? He's either, he's, uh, I don't know. We can't make a decision or anything. Oh, I know his mom called up uh, my wife and they wanted, uh, I think I was going to go down there for a little bit. Okay. And then possibly him come out here. This was, this they called up. I mean, they wanted me to come out there before I even had my fight set up. So now that I have my fight set up, it might change things a little bit because I got to worry about myself at the same time now. So we'll see. Okay. All right. Fair enough. You got a but lot. Good questions, man. You really, uh, you're bringing up all the things I don't want to talk about. Okay. Anything else you don't want to talk about that I should ask you about? Uh, uh, <laughs> I know you got some things in your head right now that you just, you're just dying to, you're salivating with, what? but uh, no, nothing. Come on. You can't, you can't say that and then not, uh, Thank you, I'm tickling you over there. Who's tickling you? Uh, oh gosh. It's like, this is like a personal conversation, but, uh, other people. All right. Well, I guess then we'll leave it at that. I mean, do you have anything you want to ask me? No. <laughs> I mean, what no. the hell was that? <laughs> you freaking squeaking over there?
<laughs> Wheeling. Well, uh, I, that's I, it. You had no more questions. You had no more questions for me. After my, at the end of my interview, sometimes I like to ask, "Did I miss anything? Is there anything else that I should ask?" So that was an opportunity. If there was anything else for you to to talk about something, oh, if you wanted to. But I'm saying you have you're you're fully clear of everything that was on you your sh- mind. I usually I usually I bring that up when I'm kind of done. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just asking you a straight. So yes, you are done asking me questions. You have yeah. nothing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was on your mind. Right. Time. Right. Okay. All right. No, uh, let me think. Uh, what's going on in my life? Uh, nothing really. That's it. I'm getting a puppy Wednesday. <laughs> I'm pick, picking the puppy up from the airport, which is kind of scary. And uh, man, there's, it's hard to find red golden doodles. And these, I've been like researching like crazy. I even put it up on uh, my social media on Facebook to find like a red golden doodle puppy. And it's been really hard. And I found a lady. I thought she was perfect. I talked to her on the phone. And then I started, I found her name. Her, like her name, I guess she had like different names or her company was a different name. And by the time she sent me an email and I had the other name, I Googled it. There's some bad reviews on her. Oh. So now I'm like, damn. I think I'm still going through with it. I'm still going through with it, but uh, I'm a little nervous. Wow. Well, good luck to you. You're, you're a better man than me. Uh, my wife wants a dog, but uh, no thank you. You're terrible, man. Give your kids a future. Your kids are going to be better people if they have a dog in their lives. Enjoy picking up that poop at uh, 6 a.m. on a frigid Long Island morning. Don't make you tougher. I'm not scared of tougher. That's true. You're I'm not, you're I'm not afraid though. of struggle. You, why yes. do you always have to walk around and have things like done so easily for you? Stop trying to make life so convenient. Why don't you throw some curveballs in there for yourself and make yourself <laughs> a little tougher? That's true. You know what? That's what I do. <laughs> don't be afraid of this type of stuff, man. Seriously, welcome it. It's, it uncomfortability only grooms... Wow. Only grooms greatness. Wow. So come on. You know what? Make yourself uncomfortable. You'll grow. With that in mind, I'm going to take a bath tonight. I always resist baths, but I'm going to make myself uncomfortable and take a bath. See? There you go. I'm going to say it's probably going to be a good thing for you. Yeah. Your wife might be nice to see you. Kids might look at you. You're going to be good. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, I'm looking forward to it. I've never been to Buffalo before. Now I have a reason to go. I'm a huge Bills fan uh, for many years, two decades, and uh, unfortunately they won't be playing because it's April. Yeah, they do suck. Um, no, by the way, I'm saying that sucks that you're a fan. Oh, yeah, that, well, the, the, because they suck. But by the way, are you now... We got some serious loyal fans, though. I, I remember you going from, like, the Broncos to the Steelers. Are, so are you now a Falcons fan? What is it? You are something else, man. You are something else. It's true, no? You're really trying to call me out on everything <laughs> yet. No, first of all, no. Broncos, yes. Steelers, never. Uh, um, Giants, Jets, uh, I see Jets, you at the uh, Mets. Jets and Giants, I've, I, I have swung back and forth between the Giants and Jets. When the Mets uh, are in the playoffs, uh, you're at the Mets game. When the Islanders are at the playoffs, you're at the Islanders game. Knicks, I don't see you at. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but yep. I didn't, it's not like I was at the Yankees game or at the, Rangers, or at the Rangers game. Fair. Islanders and Mets, I stay strong. I'm staying strong with now. All right. It took me a while to, to decide between the Mets and the Yankees, I'll admit. But I stick, I, I'm with the Mets, and then as far as hockey, Islanders a thousand percent. Never will go be a Rangers fan. I hate Rangers fans. I hate Rangers. Hate them all. Okay. Even the owners of the Rangers, they were trying to get me to come to a Rangers game. They wanted to put me in the suite. I said, nope, I don't like you. Wow. <laughs> wow. Take that, James Dolan. I like it. You're right. That's right. He was. He didn't know what, what to make of it. Wow. Okay. That's why I respect you. Um, mm-hmm. Chris, a pleasure as always. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for doing the interview, and we'll talk to you soon. And good luck preparing for Buffalo. UFC 210, April 8th. Chris Weidman versus Gegard Mousasi. Wow. A marquee fight at 185. Thank you, Chris. 
All right. Thank you, buddy. Take okay. Care. Take care. Uh, there he is, Chris Weidman. Great stuff. Um, okay. Let's go back to New York Rick. We have a lot to talk about before we say goodbye. New York Rick, there. Are you? <laughs> are you all right? That was my uh, that was my Yoda. I have to tell you, are you a big uh, Star Wars guy? Not big, but you know, I'm I'm relatively versed in it. Have you seen Star Wars? The original, like A how, New Hope. The I don't know how many there have been. What, like seven, eight, nine? I've seen them all. You've seen them all. So that that makes it easier. Yes, I've seen them all. I have not seen one. My son, though, my middle son is obsessed with Star Wars. He's not seen it either. Wait, he is obsessed with Darth obsessed Vader with it without seeing it. I don't know. Is there something about Darth Vader that he's obsessed with? All his toys are Darth Vader. He wants a Darth Vader. He wants Darth Vader, not Skywalker. I showed him a clip on YouTube of when Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. When he, he have you seen this? Like when he gets burnt. Yes. And he's not only is he fascinated by it, he finds it hilarious. Like he's cracking up openly. And the interesting thing is, the older son is scared, like hugging me, and is petrified. Listen the middle son, me. the younger one, loves it. Thinks Listen it's comedy. Chris Weidman is right. Get your kid a dog immediately. <laughs> I don't, why did I talk to you about Star Wars? Why I have no idea why you opened with Star Wars. Oh, because you were speaking like Yoda. But also, I think yeah, you were so just we like talk about. Melting I down. just got him a Yoda toy uh, on Saturday, and he loves the Yoda toy, and he's got Skywalk. He's got all these people that I don't know what they've done. He's got eight um, lightsabers. I mean, it's amazing. For a kid who's never actually seen the film, um, he's a huge fan. How about showing him the film? I don't know if that's three-year-old appropriate maybe it is fine star wars is wholesome okay have you seen this is us no i don't watch much tv you got to see it it's on netflix or um yeah apple tv the thing about shows is i don't like to commit to them because then i have to see them all the way through the oh stop it there's only 11 episodes so yeah now there's only 11 episodes but soon there's going to be 45 and then that's just too much well then it becomes once a week for 40 minutes no, nah, trust me. Do it. You liked Friday Night Lights clearly. You liked the book, not the mo- the show. Yeah, this was this is book. You liked book, movie, show. or show? Never watched the show. Never watched the show. No. Oh my god, that's on. I know it was everybody's favorite. I never watched it. Unbelievable. I don't watch TV. Wow. I knew you were a hipster, but I didn't know the like Friday Night Lights book, movie, TV show. You're rocking the book. That's how it goes. Jeez. All right. Um, <laughs> this is us. Highest, highest grades possible. For me, at least. Um, do you care to see Chael Sonnen fight again? If it's Vanderlei, you can you, convince me. So this performance didn't curb your interest in, in watching him fight, period. Right opponent, you're still into it. This performance, was, I mean, a guy who's known to be submitted went in against an opponent and got submitted. Um, I don't feel like I learned anything that would push me in one way or the other from this performance. Well, didn't get. I mean, it wasn't like he got submitted by Damian Maya, and I and I know Chael's, excuse me, Tito's ground game underrated. Yeah, I know Tito's about the triangle choke, the 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 Ryan Bader guillotine, all that stuff. But um, I mean, it, 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 he was rusty, and he was rusty. But he's the guy who's been susceptible for this for his entire career. So I'm not really, um, I'm not really hurting too bad. Okay, let me ask you about this. Chael, okay, so Tito, Chael did, said all that stuff going into the, the yeah. press conference, right? Um, <laughs> you know, you were trying to find Chris Weidman earlier, so I texted him, are you ready? This is at like four. Mm-hmm. He just replied yes after the interview. He might have, <laughs> ju- so after he hung up, maybe his internet connected on his maybe. phone and his, dead, his data and then sent it. Come on, man. Okay, fuck. Um, 
so Chael talks about Jenna. Yeah, he's yeah. making all these comments. Tito afterwards admits that he held on to the choke too long. Yes. Did you have a problem with that? Of course I had a problem with that. Um, Should he be fine? I mean, if we're going to, listen, if we're going to go on witch hunts about, uh, now, let me let me make this perfectly clear. Okay. Paul Harris holds on to uh, things that can do structural damage to somebody's limbs. But if we're going to get into these histrionics and everybody's going to get all up in arms about a guy holding on to submissions longer um, when it's one guy and then not for the other, I would question what that reason is that the one guy gets uh, this treatment. If you're holding on to a submission longer than necessary and admitting it, it's a problem for me. Um, do I think it was the most you know, uh, dangerous and egregious thing ever done? No. But do I think that if we're going to hold people to um, a certain standard that this situation be, should be included no matter what Chael Sonnen said to him before the fight? The answer is yes. And I think that there should be an appropriate punishment levied. I don't know what that is. Yeah. But yes. That's if, a problem. If you hold on to the choke, that's a problem. John McCarthy had to take him by his neck. Yeah, you had to pull him off. You got to be fine for that. I mean, and then you're going to come out and say, yeah, I did it because of the comments. Admitting it was made it much worse to me Um, because you could. What he should have said was, oh, in the past, there have been instances where Chael's like, oh, I didn't tap this and that. So I wanted to make. No, he's like, he insulted my family. So I held on longer. That's a problem. That's a problem for me. You can't do that. As well. Imagine if it's an ankle. That's well. Well, that's well, that's what I'm saying. Right. Every time Paul Harris holds on for half a millisecond. Now, again, I'm granting that this is something that can do structural damage to somebody's knee. In the case of Paul Harris, in these leg lock, in these leg locks, it's much more dangerous. Um, but this was a significant amount of time. He had to be pried off. He had to be pulled off. Chael. Um, So I, I had a problem with it. Favorite Tito Ortiz moment. I'm putting you on the spot Ooh. here. Anything? Yeah, that mind? is putting me on the spot. Yeah. Um, Favorite Tito Ortiz moment. I mean, there's plenty that were not what I would call highlights. Favorable? Um, Yeah, favorable. Um, Isn't it amazing that he, of all people, got the last laugh? You know what I mean? No, because I think... Because he's been the butt of so many jokes. Yes, but I think he was always going to because he was always so confident in himself. Um, And even though he was the butt of the jokes, let's, let's call it like it is. Tito was never the best trash talker um, back in the day, he was. No, he wasn't. He really wasn't. He was pretty um, good. Go it, back and look at that best damn sports show clip. Yeah, it's a bit. It's it's a big fish in a small pond. He was never that good um, at talking trash. Um, this is he was always history. no disagree. Okay. He was always a good fighter. Um, still, I still can. I still think and and you know certainly he's he's uh, declined as somebody his age would. But I definitely think he's still a serviceable fighter. He's going out. You know, you know, he's retiring. Um, not having taken the damage that a lot of other fighters have that were kind of pushing out the door. Um, I think Tito is actually still serviceable as, as an athlete, as, as a mixed martial arts competitor. Um, but um, trash talk was never his forte. So um, I just think that, uh, I just think that, he, you know, he was outmatched against a guy whose forte in this specific realm uh, in, in Chael Sun, and um, this was his area of expertise, whereas Tito's, um, and, it, and it showed in the cage. Chael was all talk, and Tito took him out um, with, with a superior performance. Um, favorite Tito Ortiz moment? <laughs> um, 
Man, it's there. I I feel like all of them are not related to stuff inside the cage. Is that wrong? Well, the Bader win was pretty amazing at UFC 132. But it's um, not even like the fifteenth thing that I think of. I know, I know, but that says that says it all, right? Yeah. But remember that Bader win? I mean, he had lost like what was it, like four or five in a row, and everyone's counting him out. And this was clearly positioned as you know Bader getting the big win over the the legend and then he subs him early and then he does that whole thing where you know i love you then he freaked out on me backstage it was interesting he was like cool with me going into the fight this is classic tito when times are are not so good he was willing to talk to me when he was trying to get a deal with strike force when he was trying to get a, a big contract when he was kind of you know post ufc managing fighters coaching them then he gets the bell tour and things are he beats slamenko and things like that and then he and then all of a sudden he hates me i mean just Look, the guy is, is you know, he's a little controversial to speak to what you were saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of the sport and have been watching it for 15 or so years, you couldn't help but smile that he got that send off. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and I have to imagine there are a lot of fans roughly my age that Tito Ortiz was one of the first fighters that they kind of recognized and, and you know, carried through um until now uh, you know there, there's probably a whole plethora of fans that that started with tito ortiz um that are that are in similar you know age and and uh you know um a similar peer group to, to myself so um he definitely you know colored a lot of my you know mma experience um throughout the year so i think it's 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 impossible to separate tito ortiz from the, the early days of the UFC, I feel like I'm not going to re- really look back and remember him as a Bellator fighter or remember much no, of no, what no. kind of happened here. Um, but I will remember it, and it goes back to what I was saying before, that he kind of did it his own way and, and went out without you know being the guy who was like, oh, you know, I don't really want to see Tito fight anymore. He's had a rough go. I'd, I'd like to see him kind of go away. He was never that guy. He's, he never you know got to that point, um, and I think there's something to be said for that. Like a Uriah Faber. Faber's not the guy where it's like, oh, he's he's had a rough go. I really want to see him just go away. Um, I'll do credit to them and their longevity. Um, Tito's definitely in that class. Also, one of the first guys to understand the art of promotion. Sure. The hair, the flames, the hat, the t-shirts, the, the celebration, right? With the, the digging. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that stuff was invaluable to the UFC as they were trying to gain traction and become... A hell of a lot more popular. Um, let me quickly ask you about this. I said after the Paul Daly flying knee, first worth mentioning, spinning back elbow is what led to the flying knee, and that yeah. was phenomenal in its own right. I said I'd love to see him fight MVP later on this year. They're going back to London, although I don't think that's been announced, but I've been told they're going back to London. I feel like that's an amazing fight. Step up for MVP that we've been asking for. He called out Rory. What interests you more, MVP Paul Daly or hypothetically Paul Daly, Rory McDonald. Paul Daly, Rory McDonald, from the standpoint of I'm more interested in seeing where Paul Daly goes than seeing where MVP goes, to be honest. What? MVP versus Paul Daly is a, is a fight for MVP to either arrive or show that he's not ready for this yet. It doesn't do anything for Paul Daly. It's just him putting his name on the line against a, a younger up-and-coming guy. I'm much more interested in seeing Paul Daly uh, reach the upper echelon of Bellator and potentially compete for the title. Then I am wow. seeing, but we've seen the Paul Daly story. I mean, I think what he's, does that mean? We've seen the Paul. Daly he's story. enjoying a great resurgence, but we've seen him in the big fights. We've seen him tested against the very best. I, I, I haven't think seen Rory MVP versus, tested versus Paul Daly would be a fun fight. Look, it's a win-win, right? I mean, I think we wouldn't be upset about either fight, and 
I love when people, I love when Paul Daly wins. Even Dan Hardy said it, and I understand where he's coming from, but I love when Paul Daly wins. They're like, oh, UFC should sign him. Like, Scott Coker is just going to give him up. Like, oh, great flying knee KO here. Here's a, a, a hall pass to go back to the UFC. Like, he's one of their most important assets, in my opinion, yeah. because he always delivers. And he's a great crap talker. And, you know, he's popular overseas. I mean, he's a very important part of what Scott Coker is doing. And he's legit, and people respect all, him. All and- the Strike Force and Bellator knockouts uh, remember uh, that we remember, Paul Daly's in, like, the top 10 of, of all of them. He's, uh, he's, the per- he's the perfect Scott Coker fighter. Yeah, um, he's not just going anywhere. But wow, I mean, the turf war, the civil war that is MVP versus Paul Daly. I, I could get up for it. Oh, but, get uh, up for it! Doesn't it. do that much for me. G- give give Rory. They need to think long and hard about how they book Rory because I think Rory, uh, on paper, has had a better career than say Douglas Lima, the champion. But I hope they've learned by how they book these new guys coming in. Benson, you know the Chael situation. You need your your. You know, your blue chip uh, free agent signings, if you will. You need them to look good in their debut. You only have one chance to make a first impression. So what you're saying is Paul Daly's a layup for Rory McDonald or no? Well, no, what I was saying was if they're leaning towards Rory McDonald fighting for the belt, five round fight against an active champion, it might not be the smartest thing right off the bat after the long layoff. He comes back in the summertime. It will have been a year since he last fought. I don't mind. Rory McDonald debuting for Bellator is a story and an event in its own right. I don't mind him fighting Mr. X. I don't mind him fighting, you know, a no-namer. I really don't. I really think that that's important to get him started on the right foot. He's an inc- he's arguably their biggest free agent signing ever. And that's why I think you have to give him at least somebody with a name. I, I feel a little icky about him coming in there and just wipe, wiping out somebody. Mm. I don't know. If don't... he was worth the money, if he was the guy and has the name and the value that you brought him in for... I can understand not putting him to, into a championship fighter right, right away, but you cannot give him tomato can. I don't mean tomato can necessarily, but I don't know if he should be fighting. Or I, all I'm saying is, Chael losing is somewhat of a blow. And yeah. by the time Vanderlei and him fight, if they do fight, and let's not forget we've had many promises of them fighting and it hasn't uh-huh. come to fruition. But if they do fight, I think people will be excited because of the grudge match. But if he loses that fight, then what are you left with? You the, know, like they invest a lot in these guys. The thing about Chael though... Unlike some of the others, and this is also true of Conor McGregor, but Chael before him, knows how to lose. Sure, 100%. Knows how to lose, and that will continue to keep him viable. I agree. Um, I so agree. taking a loss for Chael Sonnen is not like others taking a loss. Ben, I, feel, I truly believe that Benson Henderson's stock has been hurt um, since entering Bellator. Um, you don't think he lost well? It's not that he hasn't lost well. He didn't, he didn't have the same... He doesn't have the same bounce-back ability that a guy like Chael Sonnen has. He's made a career of doing this. Um, Benson got into incredibly tough, not a gimme on his on his entire UFC career or his Bellator career, um, and continues to kind of be that guy, the BJ Penn-esque, um, I'll be your Huckleberry kind of guy, just always up for the toughest fight. Um, Chael Sonnen can go in there, get blown out by John Jones, and turn it right around and make you think that he's a contender right away. Can go in there, Tito Ortiz beats him, I guarantee there will be people believing that he can make a run uh, in, by his next fight. There, the, the way he's able to handle a loss and then promote himself off it um, is is yeah. unparalleled, except by one man, and that man's Conor McGregor. And it's no mistake, it's no coincidence that these two are, are at the top of the sport. Dominic Cruz, too. 
So maybe, but not in the same. Well, I know that was kind of a one-time thing for him. Yeah, it's it's a little bit different, but also because he hasn't lost. I'm with that much. you, yeah, Dominic. Yeah, that's also <laughs> true. Um, so Dominic could be in that conversation, but um, these two ha- have done it right. Any interest after Saturday of seeing Halle Gracie fight again? Sure. I mean, you're just going on about like how you know. Um, Rory needs to have some kind of layup when he comes back. He needs to have something to get his feet under him. Halleck's been out for how long? Oh, like six years. Six, yeah. seven years. Fair. Um, Fair. This was his first, first fight back. It was the third fight down on, on the main card um, against a guy who is a dangerous opponent. Um, I, it didn't show in the fight because, you know, it ended up not being a great matchup. But Hasaki Kato is not some, you know, pushover. So... Um, yeah, I, I definitely want to see Halleck get his feet under him and, and keep fighting if that's what he wants to do. I, I don't think we can read too much into that after seven years off. Okay, let's play a little game called buy or sell. Yeah. Are you buying or selling Rampage versus King Mo 2 in what could be Rampage Jackson's final Bellator fight? You like this? March Bu- 31st. Buying, buying, buying. You course. love it? Yeah. Why? I feel like unlike with... Uh, Rampage and Rashad, which had not so much of a, a payoff. I feel like the first um, Rampage and, and Mo fight was um, good, close, controversial. I'd, I would have wanted to see that again even without it. But I think that, you know, there, there's an undeniable animosity between uh, King Mo and, and Rampage, and they both know how to sell a fight. I'm, I'm in. I'm I, all in on that. I actually think it makes a ton of sense for both of them at this stage of their careers. For sure. um, they haven't announced the location, and it's taking place at heavyweight. I also like that because, <laughs> to be honest, who knows what kind of shape Rampage is going to roll in there in. Um, By the way, do you want to see Bellator adopt the five-round main event regardless of title fight? Yeah, I kind of, you know what, I've been, the, I've been not a, a very vocal uh, proponent, but I do believe that big fights should be five rounds, no matter where it falls on the card. And now what qualifies as a big fight is kind of up to the promotion and up to, you know, whoever makes that decision to decide. Um, but I believe that the fight, the fights that we want to see as five rounds should be five rounds, whether that's co-main, whether that's main. Um, so Bellator starting with five rounds in the main event, that could be, you know, one start to it. But I even believe like, you know, sometimes when we get a co-main event fight in a UFC fight that is headline worthy, but it's not headlining the card. I want two more rounds. Okay, I want to see that. No, no, no. These, these shows are long enough as it is. No, no. Um, okay, now you're talking crazy. Uh, Weidman Musasi, buying or selling? Do you like the booking for Weidman in particular? He's another guy. He's never had a. He's never had an easy one. So um, I think I don't think there's any alternative. I don't think Weidman would have taken any other type of fight. Um, but Musasi is on a on a tremendous streak right now. Um, looks as good as he's ever looked in his entire career, which has been a very good one. Um, I think it will be a tough matchup for Weidman. Um, but if Weidman can return to the form that we know he, we've seen from him when he was in a championship you know, level, um, I don't see any reason why he can't win it. So I'm, I'm buying that fight. I love that fight. Matt Mitrione says win bonuses are quote-unquote ignorant, buying or selling. Ignorant? Um, maybe not that phrasing. Yeah, that was But I get, the, I get the implication. And um, sure. This, we've talked about this. I forget what the context was, why it came up. Yeah. Um, but we've talked about this in the past. I think that f- they have to be either outlawed universally or that's just the nature of the game. 
So until that day comes, they're just an evil that that has to be dealt with. But I think that fighters should be negotiating for a set fee, regardless of whether they win or lose. Yes, um, yes, they are professionals. But but that's not the economy that we're dealing with right now. They don't have that option. Um, so or some guys do, some girls do. Um, yes, and it's becoming more of a thing. Someone said to me on Twitter, yeah. um, they need an incentive. Well, what are you talking about? An incentive? They're not no, puppies. No, you know that, what I mean. That, that those days are done. Come on. Um, it's crazy but that that has become a now, thing. You know, the, if the conversation continues to come up about uh, fixing fights, quote unquote, and all yeah. that type of stuff, it doesn't help the cause. It definitely doesn't help the cause. Okay, another one. Yeah. How about can we talk about oh. UFC Halifax? Wait, wait, one second. Um, we can talk about it, although I don't have much good to say. Buying or selling national anthems before main events or on MMA broadcasts at all. I mean, don't, don't care. Doesn't bother me to have it. Doesn't. Uh, Should it be at the beginning of the show, like like you know, Halle Gracie and um, Hasaki Kato? Do they not deserve a national anthem? Why is it just for the main event guys? I mean, that's not my gripe with it. Like, I I couldn't care less. <laughs> did it seem honest. weird at the top of the ramp as opposed that to? Did in the seem mo- a little weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's like, don't we do, we do that for big boxing shows right before the yeah, main but event. in the ring, they in come the ring. In the ring. Yeah, it feels a little. Do the undercard guys not deserve it? Enough. Is that your beef with it? I don't care. Fair enough. Um, buying or selling the idea that the fall of the Black Zillions is a sign of things to come in MMA. The team concept is going to go away mm. and it's going to be more of, you know, this guy putting these guys around him, these coaches, etc. <sighs> I'm not buying that because I don't think it's financially viable for everybody yet. I think that's a that's a situation of circumstance. The guys who can afford to kind of bounce around to different camps and bring in the coaches that they want will continue to do so. Um, but I just don't think that's viable for everybody from top to bottom. So there will continue to be camps. Hmm. Um, I think I, I think so also because there's so many coaches involved and different you know, elements of martial arts if, that we have to bring together. If you're fortunate and you yeah. can bounce around and you can bring in those coaches that you want and you can piecemeal it, um, that is great. And that will probably be the most effective way to do it. Um, but if you can't, the easiest thing to do is go to one gym and get good coaching there. Okay. So here's some good news for Halifax, some bad news for Brooklyn. I don't know if you were alluding to this when you brought it up, but uh, according to Kevin Ioli, some breaking news just a minute ago, were you alluding to this? I was not. Crazy. Um, But people were asking about Halifax. The new main event for UFC in Halifax, this is on February 19th, a Sunday night card after the Daytona 500 is Travis Brown versus Derek Lewis. So Halifax's gain is Brooklyn's loss, which is an unfortunate thing for the Brooklyn crowd because I kind of feel like um that shows i mean i know they ended anderson and brunson but that was one of the more interesting fights on the show i think good for Derek lewis because he said he wanted a little more time so this is now the new main event replacing jds versus Stephen struve they couldn't find a proper opponent for jds to headline that card do you like that as a as, as a new main event is that a suitable when you think about the first show in halifax that had rory mcdonald remember that against um tarek safadine yeah this is the second one what do you think taking a fight away from brooklyn putting it in halifax tough uh tough situation i think that that's suitable i think that that's something that fans can get behind yeah kind of a bummer for the brooklyn crowd though uh, Brooklyn's card looks all right. At it's the, all right. It's, it's not great. Look, I'm, I mean, if the ex, you know, we we have to kind of think about the expectations here. There's just only so many fighters available at this point, and um, so many cards. Now, I think as the year continues and the subsequent years continue, 
um, we'll be getting stronger cards. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that. Um, where the the number will be less and the and the the number of good fights that can be on each show will be higher. Um, but for now, the reality is there's there's a lot of spots to fill, and uh, I think this is a great fight. There is. I'm a excited fa- about it. Oh, it's a great fight. Yes. Yeah. It just sucks when they have to take one away. There's a sure. fascinating thing brewing in the UFC. Um, Joe Silva was known for working incredibly quick, and you see now fights are taking longer to get booked. Main event slots are taking longer. Witness the fact that London is coming up in less than two months. Tickets on sale this week, so I expect them to announce one once the tickets are, are, are fully on sale. But it's rare for an entire fight card to be booked and not the main event. And this is becoming the norm. They've already canceled the show in, in actually two shows in 2017, one being a pay-per-view. It's taking them a long time. And there's a transitional period. You know, there's there's now McMaynard taking over and Sean Shelby's doing other things. And I think they're two very capable individuals. And actually Mick Maynard is getting a ton of praise from managers and fighters. But I would... Do we I, know if anybody ever took him up on... Uh, no, I don't know. Coming to see him? No, I don't know. I don't know if anyone did. I'll ask him. But I, I will say this. There are two men overseeing 400 or so fighters. Maybe it's time that they add more to that. And, so fights can get booked a little quicker there's just a lot. I mean, and, they're they're working very slowly right now. And, and I think another important factor beyond just, you know, transitioning from a guy who had done this for, for so long is fighters are more aware of their worth. They're more willing to sit sure. out and exert their influence. Yeah. So that makes it more difficult. It, we're, de- we're dealing with a different playing field. So the guys who are in that headline, guys and girls who are in that headline spot, who they're going to be negotiating with for those spots, know that they can potentially, you know, hold out and create demand and we've seen this already throughout the throughout the sport with with the headliners um so the i think the the entire situation is is just made more difficult by all of it one other note from kevin ioli in this tweet that he put out four minutes ago no memorial day las vegas show this year they're going to dallas may 13th instead um no update right now on the stipe miocic situation he was on the show upset as upset as you'll see stipe at least now and uh no no, no update there they did announce Angela Hill versus Jessica Andrade for Houston. So good to see that they're modifying that four-month rule, which I thought was unfair to fighters who had once fought in the UFC, but upon returning had to go into this four-month testing period, USADA. But if you're a UFC rookie, so to speak, you don't have to do it. So I think that that's great for Angela Hill. And wow, Angela Hill has just had the toughest road ever in the UFC. I mean, it's amazing who she's fought. Um, speaking of the strawweight division, Jocelyn Jones Liebarger announced her retirement last week, so we do wish her well. No real update on the Robbie Lawler American Top Team situation. He's not really willing to speak as of right now, but I'm curious to see where he goes. Is this bad for Robbie Lawler? Mm, TBD. All right. Let's put a pin in that one. Okay. Um, Eric Winter, who mm. helped give Fight Pass sort of a face and was very... Um, accessible on social media and responded, I thought, with a lot of professionalism and even, you know, to fans, to critics. He was just very active and, and very quick to respond, has been on this show, announced on Friday that he was leaving the company effective immediately. Don't pin this one necessarily on um, the WME era. He said it was his decision. His family lived in California. He was commuting to Vegas, just too tough on the family and understandably so. But I do think it's important to note as everyone was kind of celebrating him and he did a great thing. You know, it was what, 18 months or so that he was in the company and it was kind of surprising to see this happen. Fight Pass has a very big team uh, behind them and, and that's one guy and sort of the leader, but there's a lot of great individuals who work on Fight Pass. And so I don't think that 
this is a sign that the product is going to suffer as a result or regress. Um, there, there's some some very smart people that I've met who work for FightPass, so I, I do think it's going to only get better uh, from here on out. Um, one last thing, UFC is in Denver this weekend, Fox show, and also Bellator is back. Top of your head, best fight this weekend. Go. Sorry, let me look up the card. <laughs> Let's see what we got. Juliana Pena versus Valentina Shevchenko. Donald Cerrone versus Jorge Masvidal. Oh, yeah. oh, Andre I mean, Arlovsky versus Franson and go, go no further, my friend. Cerrone Masvidal? Oh, come on. And this is one of those fights that I was talking about. I need five rounds of this. This is not a three-round fight. You can make the case that this could be the, the main event, especially in Denver, which is where Cerrone so is. So are you, are you admitting that I have a, no, a point no, here? No, 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 Five no, rounds, Cerrone Masvidal. This is what I want. Massively important fight for Aljamain Sterling against Rafael Sunsell. Massively important after signing the deal. I, that, that's second place. I also really, really like that one. Yeah, and, and Ganu versus Arlovsky. Not as high on the... Still fun. On the chart. Fun fight, but not a Sunsell and, and Sterling... A plus Cerrone Masvidal A plus uh, main event also interested uh, a little bit lower maybe like B B plus um, I will be watching that card from England I am going to Manchester late Friday getting there early Saturday and then leaving Sunday morning 26 hours in Manchester for this Conor McGregor uh, interview and I just want to quickly say this before I go because this came out last week there was some sort of press release which I never even got that this was going to be on <laughs> pay-per-view and I mentioned this last week on the show but all of a sudden everyone noticed it and, and got all up in arms um, and so if so 5,000 or so tickets have been sold for this uh, live event I was actually just sent the itinerary and it's crazy what, what I mean it's unbelievable there's this gigantic elaborate menu there's an auction vip all this stuff after party i mean this is a real big is black tie event um and it's very cool how it's put together the company and experience with very professional and people are upset i see online that they're upset that they're being charged for it and so what i wanted to say to them was a i make no money off the pay-per-view obviously this wasn't my idea i've never asked anyone to pay for an interview content that we put out on MMA Fighting or any other site that I've worked for, for that matter. So I can understand why some are upset. I will maybe counter with this. It does cost the same as a cup of coffee. So I know pay-per-view is a word that is usually attached to a $60 event, but you know, they're not asking for $60. I think it's around $4.99 American. Um, and so, you know, look, if you don't think that it's worthy, if you don't think, that's totally fine. I'm not offended. Some of the comments I think have been a little strange because I'd like to think that I've sort of proven myself that I'm going to give you the best product possible, content possible. And I think Connor and I have had some really interesting interviews. That's me being biased. Um, I know people buy things for $4.99 all the time that they don't have much use for. An hour or so of entertainment, great. It's going to be a fun conversation. And what better time than now to talk to Conor McGregor because he's so in the news. It's not like we're talking just about his life. There's a lot of things that we want to know about pertaining to Conor McGregor. I want to say that for anyone thinking that questions are being selected beforehand, anyone thinking that they're telling me what to say, there's been not one question about my questions. No one has asked me. Uh, I don't think anyone will ask me because that was one of the things that I made clear beforehand. So I just want to make that very clear as well. Nothing is scripted. It's the same as any interview that you see on this show. No one's telling me what to say. No one's telling me not to say anything. I think that's very important. For those I want to know, and you're, you're fine for asking. I'm being paid by 
the company putting on this event, not by Connor, not by Paradigm, not by the Mac Life. It's by this independent company that puts on events like these with Al Pacino and Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, I believe Mike Tyson, Sugar Ray Leonard, Jean-Claude Van Damme. That, those are the, the people who reached out to me. Um, and so again, I understand the concerns. I understand what you are feeling. You want to watch it. I know this is coming from a good place. If you didn't care about the interview, the content, you wouldn't be upset. I get it. And, uh, you know, I hope that if you do decide to, to watch it, if you're not going to be there, that you will be entertained and enjoy it. And uh, we can talk about it next week on the show. I also will say a lot of people have come up to me and said, oh, you know, will you be available for a meet and greet? Because there's this thing with Connor. I'll be there. I don't know. There's nothing really official. But again, um, more than happy to meet anyone. Uh, when you're there, hit me up, tweet me, and I'll do my absolute best to meet with every everyone. Um, I think the website is Notorious live.tv let me just get that right because uh, i should probably do that uh if they had sent you the damn press release yeah what the heck notoriouslive.tv is that it that's it notoriouslive.tv and there you can get information i do think 399 as far as uh pounds are concerned i think that's around four four and a half um no uh four to five dollars or so uh, american so there you have it i know new york rick won't be um, watching because he doesn't support anything that I do, but I expect that not. from him. Some of you out there belly aching, I'm disappointed in you. All right, there, I said it. Uh, anything else? We good? Um. Oh, yes. Back to Bellator for one moment. Okay. <laughs> the, the ramps and stuff. Yes. Do you like that or do you not like that? You know what? I don't mind it. I'll say this: they've done a nice job of making the events feel big. Mm making them feel important, making them feel, there you see it, Tito Ortiz with his son. That was a really cool moment. I, if you ask me like, you're putting on an event, you're the promoter, what do you want? I like the old school go through the crowd. I love that moment of the guy coming out of the tunnel or or the female coming out of the tunnel and, you know, the crowd is all over them. That, That feels intimate. It feels like a moment. You're coming through, you're emerging and then you're going to battle. It's a little too vast. But it's not for like the pro wrestling reasons. I get it. This is a this is a much nicer ramp than the one that they had in Strike Force. That one seemed a little too cheap for me. It was all, it was like a catwalk, and there were just drapes. I mean, the the production, the screens, it's great. I think it's nice to have a bit of an alternative to what the UFC is doing. So that's good for them. In the past, Strike Force had the women's division. They had other things that the UFC didn't have. That's not the case anymore. So they have to find little things here and there to make them seem different. But they have to be careful. Like, there you see the chill intro, entertaining. But if you're going to play up this stuff, then you're going to open yourself up for these accusations. So they have to be very careful when playing that game. Completely agree. I do like the theatrics. It feels big, though. I, I, I like No it. problem with it. I think they do a great job. They added Jen Brown, uh, uh, interviewer. That's cool. I like the fight night interviews in the locker room. Very fun. I think Jimmy and Sean do a great job. I like, I like that they refer to the UFC. That they talk. I think, I think they're, they're in a good place. Yeah. There's growing pains. They're figuring it out. Overall, I think it was a successful night for the Bellator promotion. I think the guy that they probably wanted to win didn't win. But as far as a promotion is concerned, selling tickets, we'll see about the ratings. As of right now, I think that that was a pretty good night for them. Yep. Um, sad to see Mike Goldberg go, but yes. glad we got to How great to was him. that? Learned a lot there. Yeah. And uh, of course, I'll be watching on Saturday. Are you crazy? Okay. Thank you. I love you too. Wait, how much is it? <laughs> let's, let's, let's actually do it. Um, pounds. You know what I'll do? I'll periscope myself watching. Oh, it. come on. That's not nice. That's called piracy. No, no, right? no, no. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna periscope the event. I'm not gonna 
do that. I'm going to periscope my reaction to it. So as of right now, 399 British pounds is five US dollars on the dot, according there to Google. There it is. So there it is, five dollars. Um, and again, here, MMA fighting, that's, you know, we haven't done that. We've given you a lot. Um, this was their thing. And I will reiterate, it was a live thing, sort of like a Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld comedy show, concert, whatever sold sold out 5000 and now they wanted to offer it what the reasons are for putting it behind a paywall i don't know but no different than you know the wall street journal going behind a paywall or the times or you know like sometimes you got to pay for things and uh that, that's above my weight class but i'm not making a cut of it and so you know i can understand and i know deep down all the haters want to watch i know it i love you too <laughs> i know it comes from a nice place um but hey it's just one of those things. That's all. In the words of the great Dana White, it is what it is. <laughs> okay. We can't follow that. Yeah, up. you can't follow um, You can my music. Thank you very much in your career. Great t-shirt. Great, great, great selection as always. What a fun show. This was a real fun show. Wow. I see now Kevin Aioli writing something about Manny Pacquiao throwing his hat into the Conor McGregor circus. Speak of the devil! I know where we can hear from him. Conor, that is. What a time. It's a great time. Great show. Really enjoyed it. Thank you to everyone who tuned in on this Monday afternoon. Thank you very much to uh, all our guests. Great stuff. Uh, Appreciate Tim Kennedy's time, and I do wish him the best. A great ambassador for the sport. Has done a lot for this country and sounds like he is committed to doing a lot for MMA fighters. And I'm very, very, very interested to see where this goes. Some renewed enthusiasm now about the association. Um, All the best to Yair Rodriguez. Congratulations on the big win over BJ Penn. Thank you very much to Sage Northcutt. Great stuff as always from him. Got to get him and Chrissy Teigen in the same room. That'd be a nice viral moment for the UFC and its new owners. Thank you very much to Tyron Woodley. Appreciate him coming on and his uh, candor as always. Thank you very much to Mike Goldberg. Fantastic stuff and uh, very cool to see how everyone has been supporting him over the past few weeks. And thank you very much to Dan Hardy for coming on and clearing the air. Let's be careful with our tweets, kids. These things are important. And when you are a very well-respected member of the community, People are going to pay attention to them. And thank you very much to uh, Chris Weidman. Good luck to him. April 8th, Buffalo, New York. Back next week, same time and place. Until then, I say peace. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.